the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I do appreciate you as ever for tuning on in. Welcome, welcome as well to all the new subscribers that have been jumping aboard here on the channel as we continue to grow, grow, grow. Thank you so much to all of you who hit that subscribe button. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Today's a beautiful day. Today's a most wonderful day. It's not necessarily the beginning of training camp, but it's kind of that first full feed feeling of beginning of training camp because they really are all in the field nobody's just getting weighted and measured and picked on by the doctors in the background today we actually get them out on the bright sunshiny field players running around going through uh you know the beginnings of installations and you know it's it's, it's they're they're keeping it light you can see on the first day that's for sure but there's just something about okay football's going now you know and you guys i'm sure are seeing it on all your feeds with cutups of other teams that are already a couple days into theirs and they're already, you know, really um, doing some seven on seven drills and some of that type of stuff. So we've actually got some things to really talk about here now uh, with the beginning of this season um, as far as news news goes. Uh, so we have a, a, a potential developing situation that was going down when I was talking with uh, Jesse at Last Second Sports out there on Monday night during the stream where there was a lot of discussion about the restructuring of Quandre Diggs' deal. And um, there seems to be on the surface of it a little bit of information with this Uchenna contract where he signed this extension, but it doesn't appear that it's saved necessarily on the surface of it any money this year, though the Seahawks could have. We'll see where the final numbers fall on that. we got to see the contract, and it hasn't yet exactly been fully, I think, released. Kind of hearing differing, differing things on that on two different ends. Over the Cap had mentioned that Seattle could have potentially saved like $5 million on the contract with an extension, but then there are people also saying that it was just money tacked on. But to lead off, I want to give a little bit of the news off the top here of what we're hearing from in training camp. Coach Carroll has uh, talked and spoken, and there is a little bit of some notable items. Off the front is going to be Devin Witherspoon, who is one of the, I think, only remaining unsigned first-round picks or draft picks of uh, this past NFL draft as the Seahawks and uh, Witherspoon's camp are locked in some intense negotiations. I don't uh, believe that this is going to be a very big issue. Coach Carroll spoke in his press conference today about having a lot of optimism towards the, the situation getting resolved and resolved very soon, and that Devin's there with them on the, uh, the meetings, and he's going to be up to speed on all of the stuff um, that he needs to understand about the ins and outs on this defense as far as at least that goes. So it has to do with uh, right now guaranteed money is what's holding this up. Seahawks have tended to defer a little bit of the guaranteed money when it comes to first round picks. Witherspoon's camp wants it to be a little bit more of bonus money up front. So they're just trying to find a, a kind of a common area, common ground here um, for it to work out, but it'll be resolved and not in too short order. I would expect him back here within the next couple of days at most. I think also notable here at the start of training camp is the PUP list. That's something that, of course, we always take a very close look at because, uh, you, you know, there's always a couple of surprises. And certainly this year as we come into camp with a couple of guys we're really worried about, Jamal Adams and uh, Jordan Brooks and where's their status, how close are they, how far away are they, they indeed did start on the PUP. Uh, Noah Fant, Brian Monet, Austin Faluilu, and... Cornerback Tariq Woolen did not, are also on the PUP. Let's also remember the PUP, you can activate them at any time. P, some people are going to maybe get a little bit concerned with these. Uh, I'm not, because Coach Carroll, in the way he talked about it, was very positive with all of them. He mentioned all of them are cutting full speed, running full speed. Really where they're at with every single one of these guys, as far as he what he said, was getting them to a place now where they can 
go all hard in practice and there doesn't have to be any worries. So they're just essentially training them up, training their bodies, preparing their bodies for the full go practices because Seahawks, of course, are renowned for having hard practices, practices where they're trying to push them every bit as hard as you would be pushed in a game as far as they can go within the rules of course training and non-contact and all that. So you want to make sure you have a guy that really is fully ready to go from that, especially coming back from all of these injuries. So we didn't get a timeline as of yet, but if I'm going to read and parse Pete here and give you a general temperature in the room, he wasn't down on any of these guys. He didn't separate from one of these guys in the list that he was talking about and say, well, this guy's it's, he's, he's much further away than everybody else. Everybody's running, everybody's cutting, everyone's training. So it does appear everybody is reasonably close. You know, that's, I think, encouraging to see, especially when it comes to the case of um, Jordan Brooks and Jamal Adams, as we're, we're very much hoping we get those guys back sooner than we do later. But uh, no other real notable name outside of that. Wollen's fine as well, so no worries there. Arthroscopic surgery, they're just being very careful with these guys. I think that's something that's been taught to the, to the team over time when it comes to the practicing and whatnot is that we will have a guy go hard, but if there is something that he's just maybe coming back from or an injury he's kind of dealing with, that's when we want to be a little bit more careful with him and uh, just a little bit, they're always a little bit conservative with their injuries um, no matter what, but they especially, I'm sure, going to be with these kind of players. So that was interesting. Nothing that was surprising too much except maybe Fant and Woolen still being on there, but we'll have them back. I'm sure they're going to be ready by week one. They'll be at full speed by week one, so... Don't get too concerned on that or or held up on that item. Jaron Reed, a nose tackle that we brought in, is referenced as a nose tackle by by uh, Pete Carroll. I think this is an interesting term to use because the Seahawks, of course, are now playing a 3-4 defense, and technically the defensive ends, you would call them 4-I. Um, I, I think there's still times, as Clint Hurt was talking to Mike Morris on the phone on draft day, where he still called Mike Morris a 3-tech. You, know, you ready to go be a 3-tech? It's like, wait, we don't really kind of have a three-tech when we go to the two-man line. But the Carroll mentioned nose tackle I thought was interesting because it does confirm a little bit of what we had had as far as suspicions go in that they're going to try to roll him out there to not only the one-tech, which is going to be a little bit, I think, infrequent. They'll split the the reps between, but the zero-tech, that by which he didn't do when he was here in his prior time here in Seattle. And so you're, you're moving him into that role probably, I would say, now ahead of Cameron Young as the starter if they're going to commit to moving Jaron Reed into nose, nose tackle. And technically, a one-tech a one or a zero-tech positioning of the, no, of the defensive tackle can be considered a nose tackle in both of those two places. So it, it doesn't, I don't know, maybe it doesn't necessarily mean they'll throw him into the zero, but it does mean that there's a little bit more of, we know we're going to be using Jaron in this run-stuffing role He'll, he, he's outside of now a little bit of that pass rush stuff that he had done prior. So even just the way he termed that, I thought was kind of interesting from Carroll. And uh, good to hear that they feel good about him being able to line up in there and handle those duties because that's, of course, one of our real big concerns out here. If uh, Jaron Reed does move into the nose tackle, it does potentially open up that item on this board that we're going to talk about in a second as well being that uh, we may need or may go out and look to go get another player on this defensive line. And maybe it's not as we had always, uh, as all of us had kind of wondered, it would be necessarily a zero tech or nose tackle. Maybe they go back out there to the end. Uh, Mike Morris is over 300 pounds. He showed up uh, definitely, definitely put on the weight. And uh, this is of course up from his 280 pound pro day, which is what they've wanted. And Carol really said he looked impressive. 
Um, he, he said he looked uh, that he was really technically on it, which they liked from early on, that he already is kind of popping and showing to them a little bit. Mike Morris, a very interesting player. A lot of us are tracking as a guy who could really turn out to become one of the bigger potential steals out of this class for the Seattle Seahawks, considering where you got him in the fifth round. Carroll also referenced Kenneth Walker and the work ethic of him throughout the offseason, mentioning that he was the epitome, the epitome of work ethic. This offseason, he said he did everything he could to improve, including, notably, getting better in the pass-catching game and working on those aspects of things to, to hopefully to make an impact. And my mind goes back to minicamp, where I don't know if you guys remember where Walker actually took the top off the defense on a bomb, and I think uh, it was Geno that hit him down there on a deep play. So we may see more of that element that was one of the question marks with Walker coming out of Michigan State was how really much could he be as a pass catcher? Wasn't utilized much like that with the Spartans, but maybe that starts to build a little bit more in this fashion with this team. And I put that in, put that right there with uh, what we're also hearing in camp was some real successful runs in the screen game. Um, Carol bristled a little bit when the reporters asked him about, Hey, the screens looked pretty good. Looked like guys were kind of on it today with that. And he said, Oh, well, you know, the defense wasn't taking anybody down. <laughs> so Carol, Carol kind of put a little bit of a, a kibosh on that one, but it is interesting that the Seahawks are working on that part of their game, because of course it's something I've lamented quite a bit here on the channel, their inability to play the screen game, just how often it's just, it does nothing. It's a, it, it's almost like a, a negative play is the best hope you can have on it just about, or an incomplete pass. So if they could work that a little bit more into the offense, I think it's a place where a lot of defensives, when they've played the Seahawks over many years, have stopped really worrying about. And the problem with that, of course, is that if you don't run a traditional screen game, and say nothing of bubble screens, let's just say just traditional screen game to some degree, those defenses on the front are going to pin their ears back 24-7. And it's the one thing an offensive lineman, not the one thing, but one of the many things an offensive lineman will tell you, he does not want to give to the defender across from him. The ability to just pin his ears back, not worry about the run or, or worry about the screen game, which is, of course, what punishes those pass rushers who get uphill too fast, too quickly, without any sort of awareness to potentially the screen game getting ran. So we'll see if they can start to maybe build that in a little bit more into the offense. Carroll also said and really did seem to gush quite a bit about uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba when he was asked about him. Um, I, I know Carroll's a very uh, optimistic guy in the way he speaks about a lot of guys, but giving the rookie the love he did on that, just calling him a natural, saying he was going to help the team out quite a bit. Part of this is your way, you're listening for him to maybe say something like, you know, well, it's him and Eskridge battling it out. We'll see. You know, he's a really good player, but he's a rookie coming in. Eskridge has been here a couple of years. Let's, let's see them go at it. And instead, it was really nothing but kind of loving up on JSN and what he brings to the table a bit, which I thought was kind of um, notable from Carroll's stance on that. Not that they're not still in the competition, but it does speak to, I think, how impressive Jackson Smith and Jigba has been and uh, how much the team really is looking forward to him this upcoming season uh, going out and, and really bringing an impact to play. Uh, we've got uh, also a little bit of news as far as cuts go. We had some early cuts go down here, which... Um, I thought was notable. And on those cuts, we've got not a couple guys here that are, are big deals, I would say, in um, James Campbell out of Montana State or Isaiah Dunn, a defensive back out of Oregon State. But the other guy that got cut was one Alton Robinson. Alton Robinson, a fifth-round pick from two years ago, who in his first season went out, had four sacks in a real small rotational kind of role, Right, wasn't really a, given a, a lot of reps out there. Looked good in that respect of things. Brought a lot of what you saw from him as a prospect out of Syracuse to play on the field. But 
as Carol said in his press conference, he just couldn't get back. So it sounds like whatever the injury was that was derailing him last year throughout the course of the year that took as long as it did, he never got back after a really early, early, I think it was like the pre, last preseason game he had the injury. But it does sound like there's still some issues there with that knee and it's just not, it's not ready to go and the team doesn't want to take the risk with it at this point. So now does you do look to now Tyreek Smith or one of these undrafted rookie free agents to maybe try to go out there and take that final edge spot on the roster. You got Taylor, Nuosu, Boye Mafe, Derek Hall, that's four. You're going to go five. You'll have four live, four live hand grenades on game day. But you're going to have a fifth at least on the uh, edge of the roster somewhere. And so it's, I, I think the early betting odds favorite here is that it would be Tariq Smith at this point. And maybe this is an indication of how much uh, they feel also good about him uh, that they didn't want to sit back and wait for um, uh, Alton Robinson. But that's tough to see because he did show you some really good play that first year. Just sometimes this happens to these pro football players and it's brutal where you get an injury and you just, you don't go, you don't come back from it from a year. You're never quite right after you bounce back from it. Um, we think mod- medical science and modern science is great, and that it can always you know, bring any bring you back from it, almost anything. But um, indeed, that's not always the case. And he didn't even take what I remember to be really a brutal hit. I think he just had his knee kind of land on the ground hard, and that seemed to have been enough. That seems to have been enough. But uh, let me turn this over. That was pretty much the only thing we got out of here the first day of training camp. But let me turn this over to, I think, what has many of you guys probably really interested and certainly is at the heart of my thumbnail here on this channel today. Um, and please do hit that like button if you like what you're listening to today. Um, and that's going to be the un, the ever-changing way of a situation that happened on the back of this Uchenna Nuosu deal. Now, Uchenna Nuosu is going to cost $13 million on the cap prior to making this, this new deal happen. And so... There is the reports we're hearing that there's really no new new money, that they're, they're, that the, this, the cap hit's going to be the same this year, which could be understandable because if you take you didn't want to take his base down to a bare minimum of a million dollars and then just have it all be bonus on the other half, uh, then you could quickly get back to that $13 million mark, and that could make some sense. They could have also saved maybe just a couple of million on it too in just a very small way without, without having to take it necessarily down to the $1 million base or $2 million base because he's a veteran, sorry. But uh, it, that's the reports we're hearing right now. I'm going to lean back on and trust is until we see the final numbers, we don't know for sure, but Uchenna seems to be still sitting at the same contractual number. The team then did a restructuring deal of Quandre Diggs, converting his base to bonus this upcoming season, and they're going to save $6.1 million in doing that. So this, to me, indicates that there's another deal coming down the pike. And this had many of you guys, of course, excited. You guys hit me up all over the place, uh, 20 ways from Sunday. And I, I got a, I think I got about 55 Chris Jones uh, DMs and comments in the section. And, you know, so Chris Jones, <laughs> and I'm, I, go, I hope, I hope. Um, and so I, I think it's, there's three, three potential options here. This could be, I'll go with the two big ones. This also could be just a matter of, and this is maybe the most likely if we really said what were they looking to do with this money. It could be just that they're getting out ahead of that cut, that cut situation that's going to happen down the line that's set to occur after the third preseason game. Everybody does their final cut. You go from 90 on a roster all the way to the 55. So there's going to be just a, a, an absolute tidal wave of players that reach the market. And if you've got some ducats to spend at that time, the theory would go maybe that you in all of that chaos and panic 
and people trying to figure out who's who and who can get what, you can come in there and drop a, a bag of change on somebody's table and pull in a player that you know nobody really would have thought you would have gotten that kind of caliber of back when we were talking about free agency and who would, there was available and who could possibly really help this team out. So it also really could be that as much as anything or awaiting for a trade even a couple of weeks down the line of this as well. I want to acknowledge at the head of this, I'm going to talk about a couple of options here, but I want to acknowledge at the head of it that, that this is as much anything to give John the, the flexibility to get into talks and not have to worry about whether or not he can create the space if he has to last minute. It, it could mean also that there is something somewhat eminent that they, he did wait to do that until he knew it was kind of going through the last parts of negotiation. And uh, what could be the final kind of bear on this, of course, then is if they're trying to go get a player and potentially sign him to an extension or something, if it's part of that in, in the trade you make. So let's go with the first guy who's probably the most obvious guy, who's the guy that's been talked about the most here through the last couple of days. And I love my level-headed Seahawks fans out there who are like, well, it'll be, it'll be Shelby Harris then. You know, like no, nobody was shooting too high for the moon. I went hard for the moon with the Chris Harris talk a couple of days ago. I'll acknowledge it, but you guys can see how this worm can turn quick with this kind of stuff, right? And I still stand on that, that this stuff is still a possibility within play. But Harris is <clears throat> the obvious guy that, that makes a ton of sense for, you know, being a guy familiar with the program, familiar with the defense, um, theoretically still offers something to you as a player. I think I kind of have what it is they're looking at in him that stands out that, that would, I think, really attract them to him in the respect of other than that he's not going to cost a ton of money necessarily. But when you look at Shelby Harris for a three-year period, let's just take PFF, and then I'm going to show you a couple clips from last season to kind of nail this down um, as to why this could make sense looking at him here um, as, that, as that option. Um, and number one, three years ago, I had a phenomenal year all the way around, pass rusher, run defense. Um, he only had three sacks, so there was a little bit of limited duty here. It wasn't a full year, obviously, at that point. It, that, that, that does help you usually in the sample size of the PFF data for the most part. But he had a good year in 2020. 2021 came back, and it was not as good a year. Probably why the Broncos were willing to move him in a trade uh, rather than Draymond Jones, who the Seattle Seahawks had asked for. They said, we want Draymond. They said, we'll give you Shelby Harris. Seattle said, fine, fine. So 61 overall grade, 2021, 62 run defense, 61 pass rush. He got the seven sacks, but you can see that the if you put those kind of numbers together, you say, well, he did that on a high volume approach. That was not with him being efficient. That was him taking a lot of swings with the bat through the zone um, and a lot of strikeouts like a Mariner lineup to get to those seven sacks. So it wasn't well graded, but let's go to last year and try to maybe lock in a little bit, maybe closer on where Seattle might be looking at with him with why he makes sense to bring back, why they would look to that. Uh, last year, playing in, I think, 14 games, missed a couple, um, and was just part of the rotation as much as anything. 30 tackles, 14 assists, and only two sacks, which is a drop from the previous year, but you can actually see with his grade overall, the season was better than the previous year he had, at least as by the grade goes. And one of the reasons I want to, as I always like to do with you guys, because I know I've got some ardent folks in the chat that are anti-PFF believers. So this is where we are going to try to, to pair a little bit of what I'm going to show you on the tape with what the grade um, showed out as well. Um, the pass rush, I think, is also very fair. Uh, I didn't get as many reps to kind of show off where he was struggling with the pass rush, but I think he's got one move he kind of goes to with the overhand swim move. And if he can't pull that off in the pass rush, he's going to try to just walk a guy back and slow walk him. And so it becomes really a now the pass rush built on 
high effort motor, staying on top of it, just just walk, just just staying, keeping momentum going back. You may not be like walking the guy back like he's on the skates, but you're at least getting him to be pushed back further and further more and more. But the run defensive grade is where I think this could make sense for our Seahawks and why they might make this move. 73, 73.2 overall grade, which is above average. You're about 65 on a PFF grade on where you're at. You're about average there. So he is above average in his play last year in that respect. And it was on the back with the not somewhat, yeah, somewhat poor pass rush grade at 60.7. It's the, it's the 76.9 run defense grade. And this is where Seattle looks to maybe bring him back. Where I, I talked, we had Jaron Reed now sliding into the nose tackle, Cameron Young backing him up. Let's think about this on early downs, run defense early downs. You look to bring back then Shelby Harris as your early down defensive end, hoping he provides you what he provided you last year as part of the rotation, which then allows you to slide Mike Morris in as your your pass rushing defensive end. It allows you to potentially slide a little bit of Miles, Miles Adams into that role as well. Um, and then the other guy on the other side, of course, you'd have is the uh, the guy that, from the Tennessee Titans, Mark, whose name I can never freaking remember now. I got to get this guy's name embedded. But you'd put these two guys on the side on one inch, and then you would have Jaron Reed up the middle. And that would be an actually pretty strong early down run defense, uh, run defending looking team. Um, give you a couple cut-ups here from last season. This is the first Bronco game. Pursuit really stood out with him. There's a lot of pursuit last year from guys on their defensive line where, you know, when they did this, and I've got this marked, by the way, so you can, you know, you can see this pretty easily on this. Um, so let me replay it. What is going on here? Replay the darn thing. Um, you can see here, I'm, I'm marking this too, by the way, on the, the deal. But we had a lot of defensive linemen last year that would get to moving and they couldn't kind of locate the ball. You know, they would be getting, they'd slant, they'd go slanting down the line, moving down the line, these outside kind of runs. And you would just see a little bit of a struggle for them to locate the ball. It's like, I can, I'll, I'm moving, I'm moving, but then I've got no understanding of awareness of what's actually happening with the handoff. Um, but I think a lot of these, a couple of these cuts I'm going to show you, you're going to see that's what he was doing last year when he was playing really good against the run. Gets his hands in there, just tracks it down, stays down the line of scrimmage. It's nothing flashy. He's not a flashy player right now. This isn't, that's just not what you're getting, but that's why you're getting him at the price. You know, you're going to be getting him coming back. Um, back in here again. Shows off the power. Look at him just continue to track down the line of scrimmage here. This is a play that goes for five or six yards, but it's also a play running away from him, isn't it? I mean, this isn't an outside zone run. You know, he's over on the weak side of it. Really doesn't have an opportunity here, theoretically, to come back and make this play. But strong off the line of scrimmage with the pop, with his hands, still has really strong hands. and gets back over there and tracks down the run. He gives you the effort, gives you the awareness and space. Again, a big part of what was missing last year. Here's another cut with the Lions. Takes on the double team. Stays, stays strong at the point of attack. This is the other part that lended well to his run defense last year is he could, he could track, track and rack, but then he could also sit down and, and hold up at the point of attack. Teams were not able to run at him. Oftentimes when he was in the game, you saw teams looking to kind of run away from him at points in times last year. He didn't play a lot of football, really heavily rotated in. He was an older player. Darr played a lot of football. Guy's been linked since 2014. But uh, you can see here, gets the double team right at, right at the stack there and still angles in. It's kind of a combo block more than a double team. So the guy does peel off of him, but he does stay strong, uh, at least in that early part. Here we got the goal line, again, at the point of attack, going right at him. Gets down there and helps to make the play, stops this from getting into the end zone. Really tough. There's no no room for error here, you know, and it's coming right down at you. And he takes the one-on-one -on -one block, 
just you can see he's not really got a lot of moves. He would, didn't come to see out with a lot of moves in what he's bringing, but he just has good strong hands, good pop off the line of scrimmage, and then he uh, and then he locates the ball carrier, which is the second item. You got guys with the heavy hands that just can't locate the ball carrier. Here we go again off this, kind of now in a four outside look there. Locates the ball, gets inside. So off the snap here, this is gonna the play's gonna go to the right. And he just keeps, stays patient, locked up, nothing flashy on any of these cuts. I just wanted to show you guys a few of them as he was pretty good. Here he, he corrals Kyle Murray, Kyle Murray, throws the guy around, goes lock, locates him up. You can see in none of these cuts do we have him in really a one, a one tech or a zero tech. He's all defensive end if you're bringing him back. But a good little play there. And able to get his hands on Kyler. That's no easy task. Show that play. A couple more of these. Just want to show you guys here. Got him out in a kind of pure defensive end role here. Setting the edge. Fine ball carrier. Two different things you got to do on this kind of play. Let's not forget that. When you watch these guys do this, it's, it's to appreciate them getting back to the play. First responsibility is set that edge. That outside lane on your right shoulder. And then get back to the running back. So there's some functionality still here to his play. Here against the Chargers, it's one of the more impressive ones. <laughs> Throws the guy down. Uh, poor, poor left guard had no, no chance on this play. That's that little swim move I was talking about where he can be just so strong with the swim move, pushing the guy first out of the way. He's really got that, one, I, with one arm, I can throw you as a grown man and get some movement off you with a couple of inches and then get the overhead, the overhand swim move back underneath the top because I'm just so strong and so powerful with it. But then finish it off. Go find the ball carrier. Don't just stop there. And look at a chin out there making a play too with him. Last uh, little play here. This is a fun one. Hustle. Last part of his game you saw on his tape. He's here as a defensive end. This is a little play out to the flat. Guy breaks a tackle. Shelby Harris goes down the edge and, and tracks him down and goes and makes a play. So hustle, ability to, to, to rally and find the ball carrier, even on runs that flow away from him and, available, and able to stay stout at the point of attack. These were really the three things he brought last year that, that these aren't star-making components, but as we all know and as many of us are worried about, as it stands with this defense right now, we're quite concerned about the where we're going to be at when stopping the run is concerned. So the more, you know, the more guys you, you can get that can do that, the better at this point. You know, that's, that is for sure. So that would be the, to me, okay option. That'd be to me the option where I would say, all right, it's fine. It works. I mean, that work, you, you guys, you don't have a lot of money to spend. Okay. There are two other options here, though. There are two other spots that we can potentially go here where they still might be looking to swing big, and I think this is still a situation where there's a lot of unknown going on, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of talks happening in the background that are a lot of kind of talks that occur that never really necessarily always lead to anything because they are such big trades to make off. We don't make off. Uh, we don't really know where the Chris Jones saga is going to go. He does still remain held out. They have not come to a contract. Every day he holds out. A $50,000 fine racks up that cannot be forgiven. There are creative ways to maybe fix that on the back end of a contract from the Chiefs standpoint. Like if they go two weeks with Chris Jones 
and he's amounted a million dollars in fines. Could they throw an extra million dollar into year two? That's a roster bonus that he just gets back at that time or even this year. Sure, they could still kind of find a way through it. But nonetheless, players don't tend to want to be in this mode of sitting and holding out phase for really long. And if they're doing it, it's doing it because they're trying to really get some traction in a situation where they don't maybe feel like the numbers are close or that there's any sort of uh, any sort of common ground quite yet to be had. This is the card they have to pull. It's the only one that they had to pull to really try to f- force these in a different way. We talked that to death last Sunday. I won't go too far into the Chris Jones thing. Go check out that show off the Sunday show where I went into a little bit of how I could see that unfurling. I think that with the with the um, Quandary Diggs restructure, you may you may say you don't think this deal is likely. You may say that uh, the Chiefs are, are, there's no way that they would ever move uh, Chris Jones. He's foundational. Uh, good points. All solid points. Um, you could say John Schneider's not going to be willing to give up the draft capital cost in order to get him done. But the one thing you can't say is that the deal can't get done because there's not the money to make it happen. There's the money to make it happen. There's the type of move you can do on the other side of this with just, just the savings of 6.1 off digs. And if you included, let's say, Noah Fant in the deal now, you've covered the first year cost of a Chris Jones contract, even upwards of 28, 29 million per year, if that's where it's going to go. So the money's there to do it now. And I would expect that if you're going to you know, move, move that kind of contract, you're going to probably have to move a couple contracts somehow in this deal to make it all kind of work. But the money is there now to potentially try to go make this kind of move if you want to go do it. I think the Chris Jones is a long shot one. I don't know if there's a DeForest Buckner-like availability out there for the Colts. I, we've heard nothing of kind of that. So it's very quiet on this rumor front as far as what they're looking to do. And I, that's why I fall back into this is probably a patient patience thing more than this is a, you know, chomping at the bit kind of thing. The other move that could be looked to be made potentially here is there was some talk on, and I don't know if it was chat sports with all their clickbaiting stuff that was the only, I was trying to look for more people talking about this, but there is obviously to another guy out there that's a little disgruntled with his contract who would fit a big need for the Seattle Seahawks. And that would be um, Devin White with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He has wanted a contract last year. It's quieted down since then. I'm not so sure that Tampa Bay wants to get him a contract because he has had a little bit of up and down play. There's some questions about his motor, but he is still a phenomenally talented player. He is still tremendously young. And that could also be another deal where they find a common ground approach there with Tampa Bay to, uh, to make a move for him. But that also would be one that would take a while to get done because I would imagine the Seahawks would probably be trying to sign him to a contract extension if they are going to trade for him in that manner, because that's the only reason he'd be willing, or not him willing, but then, you know, I'm sure he's going to, you don't want to trade for a pissed off player. These are the guys that are notable at the front of this, but again, to go back and triple back to this one last time, I do think you go back to it just being as much. John's got the flexibility. He's got the money in his wallet, back hip, and everyone just waiting for the right time to strike, waiting for the right player to jump in there and go buy on. So I, I do think they're going to utilize that. I don't think you just... Uh, you know, converted digs base to bonus just for the hell of it. That pushes money off into the future. That that removes the flexibility John could have maybe have wanted. Not that I don't think he would have wanted it, but it does remove the flexibility for John to be able to move off of digs as easy into next off season as he could have if he just let this season ride out with the base on the on the books. So I think it it does say that there is something coming down the pike to some degree. He is cooking on something. The pot's boiling. Something's underneath there. Every time I'm reaching for it, he's slapping my hand off of it. But I, there's something, I think, going on at least beneath the surface of your bubbling. And uh, maybe it's just Shelby Harris. 
I'd be perfectly happy by that. Any kind of move you make right now to help out this defensive line and to improve the run defense, I, I'm going to give a, a big, big happy smile to because that's really where our worries are at. And it's not mine alone. It is by far as a, a guy that does multiple shows a week on this channel talking to a lot of different Seahawks fans. The people are really resolutely in the same place. And this is not a, this is pretty unusual. A lot of seasons, it's, you'll have a contingent of the fan base that are talking about the corners or the, the running backs, or do we have enough wide receivers? You know, yeah, but what about the interior of the offensive line? You know, right now, everybody is laser focused in on this defensive line at the front forefront of their concerns. And I think it's rightfully so. And it does need to be, it does need to be addressed. But I also think John Schneider is going to get on this at some point or another. And uh, boy, if he gets a big swing out of this, you're going to just feel that much more better about this upcoming year, won't you? Uh, thank you for watching, folks. I really do appreciate it. Uh, please, as I said before, just hit that like button if you could. I would really uh, would appreciate that as well. I hope you guys are all having a, a great, great summer afternoon. Another beautiful day out here. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. And uh, it was awesome watching some of the practice footage that they had out there on the berm. Uh, players look kind of hyped up. Quandre Diggs and Mike Jackson working on their handshakes, you know, working on their interception shakes. I kind of loved it. I dug it. Uh, Lazy Dog, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Nagasa, what's up? How you doing? Uh, uh, Spoon gets the exact same amount of money. Yep, uh, Witherspoon gets the same amount of money no matter what goes down in that situation. So it's just a matter of the guarantees. Mark Habercorn, how you doing? Good to see you in the chat. Chad Hart says, how, how, plays in, how plays in the Hall of Fame game? How plays? Don't know what you meant on that. I'm sorry. Space in the house. What's up, Space? William Leonard, hello, hello, hello. Ryan Ball, training camp is here and the season is just around the corner. Just around the corner, Ryan. We're almost there. What's up, Megan? Gerald Lewis, how you doing, man? Good to see you in the chat too. Chad Hart, hello. Did Megan, did something happen to Brian? I don't know if she accidentally might have deleted your message on that or something there, Brian. Uh, bu 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 Michael, of course, uh, be nice to have Shelby Harris back. Uh, he didn't leave. He was solid. Team player has a great motor every snap. I agreed. I agree with that. Sure he does. Nagasa says the spoon holdout is more on the agent than spoon. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's an agent being able to put a feather in his cap to future clients saying, look, I how much guaranteed money that I get. Uh, Dogzilla Monster, what is JS up, up to? A big signing in the middle of the D-line so we can try to stop San Francisco from creaming us again. I think it's the logical conclusion here, Dogzilla. You know, it's not to get a wide receiver. It's not to get another tight end. I don't think you're going for an offensive lineman at this point with that money. You got your secondary locked up. I mean, I, I get pretty much to the thing where you go, man, you've done so much good work this offseason from Schneider's point of view on this. You don't even need uh, insurance safety for Jamal. You're not in a position right now where you're like, well, we lost Ryan Neal, and we don't know where Jamal's going to be this year. You got, you got Julian Love sitting here. 
you're all good. You know, so uh, I, I think uh, they feel pretty good about where they stand with that stuff. And I, it's got to be the line to me or linebacker. It's one of those two, but I think it's only kind of those two as well. Mega says, is JSN making a play for Chris Jones? I don't know. I'm not too sure. I hope so. I hope he is. You know, I'm in favor of it. Uh, Jarrell says this team is capable of beating San Francisco, but yeah, it would be nice to have more help up front. Boy, would it be ever. Boy, would it ever. We need the help. I, I've heard it from so many. I agree with everybody's outlook on it. I just, you need, you need a little bit more. Maybe not a lot more. It'd be great to get a lot more in a guy like Chris Jones. That'd be a lot more. But uh, even just a little bit more. Reside says, pull, Spoon pulling this crap as a rookie, not a good look. I lost some respect for him. He needs to get into camp. I think when you're the last guy in a rookie class where the, the, the salaries are basically set, yeah, I, I agree with you on that, Herberside. You know, and I, I'll say this about it too. It, it, you, you couldn't be worried about, am I going to get all my money? Am I not going to get all my money? You know, if I'm not mistaken, and we go back through the first round picks in recent history for the Seattle Seahawks, you may not have activated the fifth year option on everybody, but all those guys, Jordan Brooks has got through his four years, you know, which that's what we're not talking, the fifth year options irrelevant anyway, because we're talking about this original contract, the bonus on, the, on that deal. But uh, Jordan Brooks has been all right. Uh, he's he's going to get through all four years of his first rookie deal. LJ Collier was dog water and he got through all four years of his rookie deal. If you're going to go to an organization and get worried about whether or not you're going to get all your money or not, or that they're going to get cutthroat with you, know which organization you're dealing with. And the one that you're, you're dealing with right now is one that has taken care of their players, or at least guys that, that do get paid through their salaries. The only guys that aren't going to get their paid on rookie deals really are uh, Malik McDowell if you drop an ATV, ATV on your face. And then they're going to be like, okay, we, we, we've got to, no, that's, we're not, that's too much. As it should be. But everybody else, is, if I go down the line and think about recent first round picks for your Seahawks, everybody else I think has gotten through the first four years of their deal. So you're going to get that money. You're going to get that money. I agree. Herbicide says, I love the Chenna deal, by the way. I do too. I'm, uh, I'm currently going back through right now, Herbicide, and putting together um, a video breakdown again. I did it last year, but I think it's worthy of another one because I only did it halfway into the year. And I'm going to show off a lot of these plays that Uchenna pulls off. And, and really the goal is going to be just to show how well-rounded he is. And, you know, he, he's got every kind of pass rush move in the book, spin move. He, you know, I, I mentioned in the video, he doesn't have a tr trademark move, but he can use everybody's moves. Like he's got, he's watched everybody and can kind of take some from everybody a little bit. He doesn't execute as brutally as those guys do, which necessarily sharply as some of those guys do, but he, because he can go to all of the different, different ways to win and beat you in the pass rush game, it's just notable. And then he just, he sets the edge and the motor is insane on the guy. Some of the tackles that he made were he's running 15, 20 yards down the field on a play where you just, you go, shouldn't have a chance to be even in this play at all. And he does. Um, still a young player, still a really young player. You're going to get the prime of his career. There were some times twice last year, if you guys get a chance, go check him out. He was mic'd up uh, for the Seahawks. And in both of those instances, I think you got a good feel also of kind of the leadership quality he can bring to the table as well. Just seems like one of those steady, 
calm kind of guys you need on your on your team as well as the the wildmen you know you need those guys that are the bobby wagner types you know that are just as intense as everybody else but they're just as locked in as everybody else but always just always the always the calm waters a little bit but i like it too nagasa there's no way we make a big move this summer we'll see nagasa we'll see man it might be it it to me it's hard to predict on whether this is now or maybe they're looking into like you say to the trade deadline uh, but I do think something's coming down the pike at some point. April Gurma says some whack prediction from the guy on TV had us going eight, nine. I laughed, shaking my head. Yeah, I people are still not going to buy in on the the Gino experience. Um, that that's clear and kind of still looking out there is there's people that are really impressed by what he did out there. And then there's a lot of people that just say, well, it's still just one year he did it. Um, they don't have a lot to base on there that, that he's going to backtrack. I, I've heard a lot of though, Gino will regress. And I, and I start bringing out the reasons why I don't think it happens. And I don't get a lot of reasons on the other side as to why people are so confident it will happen. But um, there is some of that thought process on there. And those people that don't think that they're going to be a playoff team or like you say, able or like that TV person was saying, personality was saying eight and nine, that they'll come back and tell you it's, well, I just Gino and run defense. Seahawks Jose Rodriguez, thank you for hit, telling folks to hit the like button. I do appreciate it, my man. And folks do please do get subbed up to Seahawks Jose Rodriguez. I would really appreciate it. He's, I think I've been on the road just about getting close up to that thousand mark. Get him up over the top. Jarrell Lewis, it more than likely will be resolved here in a couple days. Yeah, no big deal. They'll get it figured out. Chad Hart, how you doing, man? It's good to see you in the chat. I'm having a great day. Start a training camp. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Jarrell says, if anything, Michael Jackson just getting more reps. And Trey, I think uh, I think Jackson, yeah, that's true. Uh, Trey Brown, too. Trey Brown's out there because Woolen's not out at the moment, so him getting a little bit more love in that respect as well. And certainly Trey Brown could probably use it. Um, because he didn't get a whole lot of action last year coming back off that injury. Hunter Crackpipe is Witherspoon holding out already. Glad I chose the Jackson jersey instead of him. Well, he'll get back. He'll get back. It's only a couple days, and it's not going to be at some uh, great cost, I don't believe. So, James Max has bleeding blue and green since 1982. You picked him at five. Pay the man. Hashtag Hawk Apocalypse. Let's effing go. Let's go. Nate, I think the uh, Witherspoon agent that's holding the deal up, I think. Yeah. And this isn't a big thing. You lose a couple days in training camp. He's been there for rookie mini camps. He's been there for the mini camps. Um, he's there in the meetings right now. You know, so he'll, if this was something that lasted to, to like two weeks, I'd get worried. But a couple days is not a big deal. Caleb Flynn, uh, he'd be better, he better be doing something. Yannick Ngonkwe, Miles Jack, Quan Alexander did uh, Deion Jones. Like, what the F, man? We have one defensive end. I've never heard of the guy. <laughs> I think you're right to be concerned, guy. I, you're right to be concerned, Caleb. I'm concerned right with you on it. You know, uh, you need some help. And you really don't want to go through this season seeing this potential car crash so far up ahead of time. You know, we're three streets back and we can see the intersection. We can see all the lights are green. You know, you just don't want to get to week nine and you're like, here's another team running it down our throat. What the hell are we going to do? I don't know. We just don't have the dogs to get it done. But I think they're going to do something. I don't think we're going to be facing that. Narc Diaries, what's up, Kelly? It's good to see you in the house. Hope you're doing well. 
Uh, Kelly says, uh, Bobby, Tyler, DK, J, K9, JSN, Jarek, and Tariq all signed autographs for so long after practice. Kenny McIntosh signed for just as long and then snuck back out to sign more. Oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. They looked, uh, and maybe you can attest to it, Kelly, they looked pretty pretty hyped up. Everybody seemed like, you know, let's go. You're starting. They're ready. Even Bobby, old man Bobby out there has been, has been through so many of these. He seemed to have kind of a little bit of a spry, you know, spring to his step, dare I say. So let us know if you saw any kind of details out there, Kelly. We'd love to know some of the in-person stuff you might have seen. That's cool they're signing autographs, though. Oh, Kelly's the other one there, but someone posted. Oh, okay. Well, it's good they're doing that. Uh, Megan says, this time in 2026, we'll be there with you, be some of the 12s for the 50th birthday. Let's go, Megan. James says, hey there, kitty, kitty. She's doing good. She's having a good day. B says, uh, Jones or Harrison, why? Uh, I'd go Chris Jones. If you're going to swing, swing for the fences. Don't swing to hit a single. That's what I'd say. In my guess. Are we having a... Looks like, Megan, we're having some... Spicy in the chat or something? i seen a couple of deleted messages in there. Uh, let me get to uh, a couple donos here. Sorry, I'm a little slow on it. But uh, Taker610, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, what's the latest on Jamal Adams? Will he be in camp? Jamal is in camp right now, Taker610. He's part of the PUP list. But Carroll sounded, while not getting any specifics on any of the individual one players, really, there was uh, one guy had a cyst removed off his foot. I couldn't quite hear the question from the um, gallery because, of course, they don't mic up the reporters, so you can't make out what they're saying. But it sounds like he's cutting, running full speed. Um, it's a matter of right now, they're just prepping all of these guys to get them to good to go for practice. So that's the, uh, basically I was taken away from what Carol was saying about him where, where he's at. So it's still a little undetermined, but overall optimistic in the look outlook of what you heard today. First, a little bit of what we've heard from Carol recently, which has been a bit of a, a hesitancy to necessarily land there, you know, where he's going. I don't, I don't know. We'll have to see, you know. James is having Bobby back and no Cody Barton will help our run D. It will indeed. Yeah, that, that's a part, not many people talk about James, but definitely is a big part of what's going to help this uh, help this run defense out is Bobby can still be a very, very good run defender. The people that want to have some questions about him in coverage, I'll, I'll listen to you a little bit on that. But I still think, especially with his instincts and to be so on top of where knowing where players are going, plays are going, that helps to make him a step faster in those situations, um, which then just makes him that much uh, better, um, even if he's lost maybe half a step or step or two or whatever, you know. He makes up for it with the the smarts and the instincts. Uh, Taker610, thank you for that $2 donation, man. Jamal will be back, man. I'm, I've am i got a lot more optimism today after hearing Carol talk, the, maybe a potential first game being available than I did before. So that was good to hear. 
Kevin Lonice coming in with a $20 donation. Thank you, Kevin Lonice, for the big $20 donation. That's very, very kind of you. I appreciate it. it. Says John doesn't just restructure a player just to free up money. He's up to something. Go Hawks. Hey, go Hawks, Kevin. That's my read on this situation as well, is that this is not the manner by which he normally operates where he just haphazardly frees up money for the hell of it. And he's not going to necessarily need to do it for the, let's think of this too. If it's, if somebody wants to say, well, it's because he's trying to get the Witherspoon thing done. Witherspoon's wanting more bonus. If they're going to lean into the place of needing to add more bonus to the deal, that will technically lower down the cap hit this year of the contract further. So if that's the case, then, um, you know, if that's the case, then yeah, I, I, it's something else to me. There's something else cooking here. And it doesn't mean that's imminent, but there is something to me. I think you're right. There is something to me that's, that, that's going on. It isn't just something, it just, just for the hell of it, as I said on that. So thanks for the $20 donation, Kevin. And uh, we are of like mind on this one, man. I, I don't know if it'll be a big swing, but you're adding something you're, and you're going to help the defensive line or help the ability to stop the run at the forefront of that, which just makes me feel a little bit more warm and fuzzy about the nature of this upcoming season, because that's where I feel like our exposed back Achilles heel is sitting back there. We're wearing sandals and we're running through a room of axes swinging at ankle level. And uh, I just, I don't want to get, I don't want to have that to be the thing that clips us. You know what I mean? Thank you though, Kevin. Appreciate the dono. Nate Dog says, how do you think the Colts will do? I think the Colts are going to have some ups and downs. I think that Anthony Richardson is going to look really good this year at times, but be very inconsistent if they're going to try to play him from the start. Right, Jonathan Taylor probably has a bounce back season as he's trying to go and get a, a contract now. Um, and, and probably will, you know, will try to be on that field no matter what. I don't think the Colts are tremendously talented as a football team across the board um, as much as they've been in recent years with some of their depth. So I'm, I'm a little bit, I, I think they're going to go through kind of a, a middling season to a slightly below middling. Five wins, you know, six wins. And probably most of those wins are Richardson doing something miraculous to help pull them out of it. But he's so young. He's got 13 starts on the college level. I'm kind of surprised they're going to um, try to run him out there game one. He really needed to probably sit this year. Would have been, I think, had the best for him rather than trying to do this whole let's roll him out, let's go thing. Uh, Chad Hart has been a, mem a member of the Hawks Nest for two months. Thank you for that, Chad. I do appreciate your longtime membership. It says, uh, great information on the Seahawks. Hottest July on record for us Arizonians. Damn. I've been waiting for every, I've been waiting forever. I've been waiting forever for those throwback jerseys. Go Hawks. Oh, well, Chad, there has been no, uh, no time that I think I've seen the 12s in, in quite unison as much as when you saw the day of the release of the jersey. As everybody loved them. Every, they sold out those jerseys across the board pretty quickly, I think, for a while there at least. They might be have restocked them now, but uh, everybody loves them. Across the nation, everybody was loving them. Uh, Carol even mentioned today when he was asked about it, he wished he could wear them more. You know, he's like that with it. all of us are in this place. This is where we get to that place where everybody wants it. So why do we do it? You know, just give it a try for a year. You know, just give it a little bit of a swing for a season and see what happens. You know what I mean? That's all I'm saying. Give it a try. Um, Mar uh, Mao R6, thank you for the ten dollar donation. I appreciate it, brother. Says I was here a lot last season, but haven't checked in in a while. Hopefully, I'll be in here more. Really love your content and dedication. I hope you're doing well. Excited for the season. Well, no worries on that. Thank you for the donation, uh, Mao. And uh, it's I know it's we get folks in and out. Sometimes some they're there year round, and uh, I appreciate you watching whenever you can. 
know, we've had a great off season, brother. We've been uh, you know, kicking butt and taking names and had an awesome draft. And it's just been, um, we haven't lost any momentum from the end of the season. It feels like we've just been keeping the ball kind of rolling and uh, I'm loving what I'm doing. It's uh, having as fun a time as ever in doing this. So thank you, man. I appreciate you. And um, I, uh, I, uh, oh, sorry. I thought there was something else there. But uh, I love what I do. It's, it makes it easy to be dedicated, get to this, get up every day and try to find what I can do to help put something else out or what can I dive into and look into a little bit to understand this further. I just, it's still to this, doing this years now as a channel. I've, I love it more than ever and doing it. Um, Cause I've gotten to appreciate, I think football at an even more of a deeper level than before I kind of started doing this channel, which um, has been awesome. But thank you, Mal. Appreciate the $10 donation. Good to have you back in the house, man. And uh, yeah, we get some good discussion here as we go into the future. Uh, Kevin Lonice with a $20 donation. Kevin, thank you for the $20 dono, man. I appreciate the double dono. You went double, you went double 20 dono on my, on me. So thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's very, very, very kind of you. He says, uh, I loved, I'd love to have Harris back. Great depth. Go Hawks. I agree. I, I think you bring another veteran in there on a very young team, a very young defense. It can't hurt. Uh, you got to feel like maybe his, his time working with Draymond Jones, they might know how to work well off of each other to maybe some certain degree. I would just pause it to guess potentially, but uh, he's not going to cost a lot of money either. You're going to get him at a significantly discounted rate from where he was at. I think they had, he was at eight, 8 million or something like that in the last year of his deal. So you'll get him out probably back for three and a half on a one-year deal, something like that, which if you get it back at that price and he can come in and give you a, a run stuffing presence that equates out to what he got as a rating last year from PFF, I think you're going to feel very encouraged by that. And that'll be money well spent for this defense. So is it a home run move? No, but will it be like that Rolling Stone song? You know, sometimes you don't get what you want, but you get just what you need. And maybe it will prove to be that. It does add up that it could be going to that, Kevin, because you know, especially now listening to Carol talk about Jaron Reed being a nose tackle and referencing him in that realm. It kind of was like an aha moment for me. Oh, okay. He kicks in. He's not really the defensive end necessarily as much as we thought. He'll do some of that, but it's because you're going to, you know, probably go out to add on that spot rather than adding to the zero one tech, which is what we had all been thinking was going to be how they were going to roll it. So kind of interesting on that, but thank you, Kevin. I appreciate the donation, man. Very kind of you. Uh, snail, not just the one donation, by the way. Thank you for the double donation, Kevin. Jeez, very kind. Uh, snail, uh, thank you for the $2 dono. It says, John is clearing cap to bring Marcus Trufant back. Now, snail, you left out Pacific Northwest sports legend, I think. We, we've gotten on the same page on this one, my man. You, you've always got to, you've got to preload that sucker. It just, it just Marcus, just true. And you didn't give the Marcus in there. You just Trufant, Desmond. All right, do you mean Desmond? Desmond played more recently. You got you to give the man his, his title. He earned that snail. <laughs> he earned it. Uh, Kevin Mullen, thank you for the five uh, dollar donation, man. I appreciate you. It's good to see you all in the chat too. Love seeing these names in the chat always. Always some great discussion when you guys are in here. Says, it's funny how we're not targeting a penetrating nose tack, a one tack, one tech now when we could have drafted one. Question. You think New York Giants defensive tackle Leonard Williams is a target? Uh, I share your strain, the, the strangeness view of the fact that we've not targeted that, like you say. It's like, this has just been kind of one of you just kind of sort of 
have you just kind of haphazardly went, well, we'll get to him. We get to fourth round. We'll get a, a Jaron Reed on a slow end contract. Okay, we'll bring him back in. So it's it's been a little odd in the same manner you talk about and looking at it going, um, I'm not, I, I don't know what kind of to make of that. It does, I, it has made me make the guess like you, Kevin, on this, that this means that there's another move you're going to make to go get that guy at some point. You're not going to trust on, well, once Brian Monet gets back here, once he's running full steam, then nose tackle's set. No, no, said nobody. I, uh, we had that list originally. We we're putting up a, probably about a month ago, looking at defensive tackles that, you know, you could see the Seahawks maybe target if negotiations were to break down with these defensive tackles on the new deals that they would be looking at. I think a couple of those guys have signed deals since I put those names up. And so it's a list that is ever narrowing. And now we're going to probably get away from looking at guys that we maybe potentially had in a tier one group. And now not, does become more looking into tier two. But one of the top guys at tier two, I would say, Kevin, would be Leonard Williams. And he is on the final year of his contract. And it would not break the cap to bring him in on the final year of that contract. And he would foot the bill for finding that penetrating nose, tech one te- nose tackle one tech type. So, you know, he would check those boxes off. I would be very happy to get him. I don't think that the Giants are looking to move him, though, until the trade deadline. Because they're in go-for-it mode. And they're hoping to have him as a key ingredient piece down on a defensive line that I think they're hoping helps to drive a lot of that defense. So I, I don't think you're looking at getting him unless the Giants suck and they're kind of looking like they might be out of it when we get to the trade deadline. So we, we'll have to wait on it, but you're absolutely right to look at him because he'd be a great, uh, a great target. Um, hard to do better than that. You go down to the Tier 2 group when it comes to Leonard. He's a solid, solid player. He gives you a, he gives you a good all-around player too. Kevin Lonice coming in with a third $20 donation. Oh, Kevin, you are very kind. Thank you so much for that big donation, man. I really do appreciate that. That is very, very kind of you. He says, I just can't get behind Chris Jones. Between the contract cost and the draft capital, not to mention his age. Just can't get there. Go Hawks. Well, Kevin, thank you for the the triple, triple twan. Triple twan, as the kids would say. But thank you for the triple donation on that, man. That is very kind of you. And uh, when we talked about the Chris Jones thought of going and getting him, I, I remain in the same place as where I was on that Sunday night and thinking of this and giving it a lot of consideration. Uh, is it likely to happen? No. Is it, uh, is it possible it could happen? Sure. Am I in favor of the Hawks making this move? Because I just tend to be aggressive. And I think aggressiveness is often rewarded in the NFL at times when you have these kind of opportunities that arise. Yeah, I am. But for the folks that stand on the other side of it, and you know, we did a poll of this, Kevin, but I still probably maintain it's, even though the poll came out like 70-30 in favor of Chris Jones, I do think that there's a pretty good well split here, Kevin, of more of a 50-50 range overall in the fan base of, of those that would share your viewpoint of it, of the money, the contract, his age, There are some things here to where if you say this doesn't make sense because of these things, even though I'm in favor of it, I completely understand it on the other side to say that's fair. And and to pass on that or or if he does become available and to find out our Hawks don't dip their toe in those waters and them to say this is the reasons we don't or we can read into it if they didn't, obviously, that that would be the case because obviously he's a fit for for what they want and what they need and and how good he is. But I think that's, that's a completely fair standpoint to take on this one. That it's, it's not maybe the right time. I'd even add audition that, Kevin, that maybe it's not the right time. I think I saw that comment earlier on my video, one of my videos today that was posted. Where it's just not the right time. Maybe a year from now, it'd be the right time to make the go for it move. You know, 
when everybody's a little bit older, but, but, but there's some good reasons not to do it as much as they're every bit as much, I think the equal reasons to potentially going and doing it. And they might even override it. You know, that might be the, if you're, if you're just making this choice completely unemotionally and let's stay, stay patient to the process. Let's be like the 76ers, trust the process. Then you would say, uh, don't make this kind of big swing move right now. You know, it's, uh, or maybe ever on that, just go through this and do this organically a little bit, you know, resign and reward your own from within and don't look from without to, to improve. I think it's a great, a great standpoint to take on this, Kevin. And it's very, an, a very even keeled, uh, approach on this that, uh, I think smart and could help this team out long-term and in, in being patient in that way. I'm very aggressive on it, but I, I can certainly be convinced to the other side very easily, but Kevin, thank you, man, for all the donos. Very, very kind of you. Uh, Megan, thank you for the $10 donation. Uh, she says, I need some distraction today, 12s. Need a CT scan, and I am gravely claustrophobic. Oof. I will be thinking of the chest of steel and be wearing the Zorn throwback jersey when in the tube. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time, I had a woman think about me wearing a Jim Zorn jersey in an MRI tube, I'll tell you, I'd be a rich man. Uh, we'll get better out there, Megan. I hope you're feeling a little bit better uh, on that side of it and nothing too serious out there but uh, we're gonna have some good Seahawks discussion today do some breaking down on this stuff we got the start of training camp a lot to feel good about but uh, happy thoughts in there find find that meditative place that transcendental meditative place we were talking about in the last stream the, you know Jonathan uh, JQ Concepcion thank you for the five dollar donation there wasn't anything in uh, comment in your dono that came through but uh, appreciate you uh, donating as well to the channel very very nice of you Appreciate all the donos. You guys are very, very kind. Jorge Gomez says, I think it's possible we go for Daniil Hunter or Chase Young. Those are possibilities. I've struggled a little bit in understanding if we, and they've been raised a little bit, Jorge. I can see where they could do it. Um, it'd be a big, it'd be a big, big swing. But it also, then you go and you take Chase Young and you go, okay, that's a one-year deal you're getting for him. And then, you know, how does that, what, what does that then make the plan for Boye Moff and Derek Hall this year? Is it just let the best man kind of win? And if you get there and Daniel Hunter, even beyond young, you're really saying at that point, you know, those guys sitting back up, they're just going to be slightly rotated in around our starters of Achenna and Daniel. That's possible. Tired Canadian says, bring back John Randall. The Melo 1987 says we got Draymond Jones better and younger. We did indeed. We did indeed. And I would, I would agree. Sam the Great says I'd rather go with Devin White over the other dudes. I love Devin White. He's been long. I know I agree with everyone that talks about the motor issues with him and, and being there's a little bit of the up and down play and all that. But uh, he's a guy that, to me, when motivated, is you know one of the most athletically gifted linebackers in the sport. Um, and boy, he, he gave us the business last year in Germany. He said, I take you to Hawks and I put you over my knee. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Sajin, is Spoon going to be a problem with the contract? Not a problem. Just a couple days. They'll get this figured out. Brian Myers says, is Shelby Harris the fallback case? Is Shelby Harris the fallback in case the Jones trade doesn't come about? I think it could be. He certainly, I don't think, going anywhere anytime soon. So it's a hard to read this on this a little bit. My instincts on this are you free up that kind of money. It's, you're looking to make more of a big move here. 
Um, especially coming on the back of after you just signed Uchenna in the way you did. And we'll see what the Uchenna numbers do. It wouldn't be surprised me if we really find out in the Uchenna numbers and they come down that, oh, well, there's a couple million they were able to shave off maybe here. A little bit extra that you cap on the other side of it. And so there's, there, there is some stuff here with it where it's, it's possible on that, but it is hard to read because we don't, I looked into the, not a lot of rumors being heard, not a lot of talk or chitter chatter. Antoine Elizabeth Kant says, I hope Matt Landers will do well. Me too. He's a good player. Hawks fan, how you doing? Fantasy Football Garage, what's up? James Hughes, my buddy says, Niners taking a step back this year, but couldn't say why. <laughs> Zumber making that prediction with him. Uh, I, I still feel they are, in their, they are in their window right now. I think that there are some things that could upend them this season, like any team has things that can upend them as far as this goes that way and that goes that way and you're in trouble. And uh, so that's not something any other team doesn't deal with. I think it's just that those things are probably more clear out of them this year of what that would be. Your offensive line, maybe not good enough. Your secondary, not good enough. Who's your quarterback? You know, it's these three things that are, are things that can, any one thing could kind of end up, you know, causing them to take that step back. But uh, yeah, James, I'm not at the point, even though I think those will be things that are to some degree issues for the Niners this year. I don't think any of those things are going to be causing them to step back necessarily. Brandon M, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Judah, how much do you think Charbonnet takes away from Kenneth's fantasy value? I don't think a tremendous amount. I, I, I think that there's going to be plenty of money or money. I think there's going to be plenty of um, uh, carries between the two of them. And I think Walker is going to get enough carries to where he'll be an upper echelon fantasy back. Uh, I would draft Kenneth Walker. Um, I wouldn't maybe go first round or second round, but I would definitely look to be targeting him because I think that though Charbonnet is going to come in on short yardage and probably get some goal line situations, I still see Kenneth Walker coming out of this season with 250 touches. And if Walker gets you 250 touches and he walks away with 12, 1300 yards and you've taken that in the third or fourth round of your fantasy draft, I think you feel pretty good about that. I think you're going you're gonna to feel like, yeah, let's, that's good to go. Brian says Jones, but only if the price is right more players than picks. It's where you could make this maybe interesting for the Chiefs because you could put a package together of players that then would maybe reduce the cost of the draft picks involved. I mean, what if you just put all together an Eskridge, Daryl Taylor, Noah Fant package and then you end up saving $9 million on the front end of the trade? How much more could you take down the draft capital assets at that point if you did package those three together? It'd be a crazy trade. I think it's awful late in the process, of course, to have Chiefs trying to onboard that many guys at once like that versus making a trade like that more in minicamp. But that could be a creative way to get to it, to have it maybe reduce some of the picks. Um, I'd love to do it that way too, Brian, though. I'd lean to try to find players and assets we could move to them, especially guys that may not have a plan here long-term, i.e. like an Eskridge or like a Taylor, especially after the Achenna signing, but could be a value to other teams. And boy, the Chiefs just had to have that Kadarius Tony get that cartilage fixed in his knee. Already going down. Tired Canadian, don't worry, everyone. We'll get Jalen Carter in the draft, and that'll solve the defensive tackle problem. Oh, wait, the draft happened already, and the Seahawks drafted a corner and a receiver in the first round. <laughs> that did occur. Carl Nerney, what's up, Brandon? How you doing, Carl? Another one OG's in the house. Good to see you in here, man. Says, no matter how good Witherspoon is, I'm good. I'd rather have Kobe in the slot and Mike Jack on the outside than deal with this. 
it's not a good look for a rookie to, to kind of show off like this. Everything's slotted. Everything's put into play. You know, why do you, why do you have to be the outlier um, thing? And the, as somebody else said above on this, the agent is definitely driving this. And uh, it, the sad part on this is it reflects bad on Devin Witherspoon. And it's really the only upshot is really to the, the agent. He's going to get just as much money as he would have gotten before, but this is to make the agent look better for future clients. And uh, that part's unfortunate, but I do think he'll be back really, really soon. Trey Mello, 1987 says, love the show. Thank you, man. Nothing but love right back at you, Trey. Appreciate you watching. Don Don. Oh, sorry, I got to drop back a little bit on that. Do, do, do. There we go. Don Don Ranger Power. Says Hawksness. Hello, Brandon and all. How you doing, man? Hope everyone's well, despite the passing of Sinead O'Connor. Rest in peace to Sinead O'Connor. I'm ready for our national women's soccer team to take on their Dutch counterparts. Go Team USA. Well, go Team USA against them. Against them Dutch. Against them tricky Dutchers. Those Dutchites. And yeah, rest in peace to Sinead. Gone, gone really, uh, really young and... Uh, Sounds like kind of a sad situation. Son just passed. It sounds like prior is what I was hearing. So tough. A lot of people, a lot of people passed in the last few years. Lots of people. TP1 filler Brando. Happy day for one and all 12s. Thank you, man. Happy training camp day to you too. <laughs> Hope you're doing well out there. It's good to see you in the chat. Uh, TP1 says, folks, I don't know about you, but I think Mario Edwards could have a huge impact on our rushing D on the down low because no one's talking about him, but his PFF ratings have been good over the past two years. Former second round pick from the Raiders, uh, who never really quite tapped into that promise as a pass rusher like you talk about TP. And indeed, he is a run stuffer. Um, this is where the plan could come into place in our understanding of it a little bit more clearly. If it's not to go get maybe a star guy like a white linebacker or a Jones, a defensive tackle. But then you're going to look to get a lower guy like a Shelby Harris to add in. But Shelby's been pretty good with the run, was really good in the run stuffing nature of things last year. So you like that. And then you now have, like you say, um, Mario Edwards on the other side. So you're in your 3-4. Those two guys is your, are your edges. Jaron Reed is now your zero tech. And you go, that, that could be a unit that could hold up all right. Especially if you've got the guys on the edges who are solid in setting the edge and being a factor in the run game. Uchenna. Absolutely showed that off and that he was able to do that last year. And between Boye Mafe and Derek Hall, I, I absolutely feel like one of those two guys will be able to do that on the other side of it. So you, I think you, you, could put, you could start to kind of cobble together a good run-stuffing unit from that if they go that direction. But I, yeah, I agree, uh, Filler, uh, TP, they're, gonna, they're absolutely going to have a plan of Mario Edwards being the early down run-stuffer in that, in that mode. You know, him, Cameron Young... Those guys are going to early downs be a lot of the time down in there, I think, when they know there's a good potential for a run game. Because you're right, he has been pretty solid in that realm. It's a guy that doesn't get a lot of love because he's he is the second round pick. And the viewpoint is he didn't ever really tap into what you thought he could be when he was taken by the Raiders. But at the very least, to round into being a really, really solid run defender who's now just going into his prime, he does provide that. Jacob says, I think we are blowing this Witherspoon out of proportion. It's not a big deal. You're right. James says, when he makes a rookie mistake, uh, I'll thank him. Maybe he caused some of the, maybe it's because he missed some of camp. 
I guess that's fair. It's fair. It's not a huge deal though. Uh, Herbicide, I'm going to be happy. To, I'm, I ain't going to be happy till we Chris Jones or, or Buckner. Second that happens, we're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'll be on that bandwagon as well at that point if it goes down like that. I'll be sitting right now. I'll be sitting shotgun right next to you. To, uh, 2J, Yeti says it's still a problem with him thinking he needs a big signing bonus without playing a snap. I, I get it. I get the people a little bit of the consternation there. And if it does, I think if it does go a little bit, if it goes long, I'll, I'll probably be consternating right with you folks on it. But I think on a couple days of lost practice, and it's not fully lost practice, he's, he's in there on the meetings. They got him zoomed up, I'm sure, remotely so that he can be in there. It's not the same as being in there, of course, but it's also not him being just completely absent on the other side of that too either. He says, I uh, started uh, Mario Edwards, D. Jones, Jaron Reed today, not bad. I can see them doing that. I mean, that's the default down to. I think they would love to be able to have Draymond Jones and Mike Morris as your pass rushing edges that you don't have to bring in there as much on rundowns if you can avoid it. But, but that's where we're absent a little bit of the edge depth too if you're going to kick Reed inside then at that point. Makes some sense. 360, is there... Is all these recent moves related to getting Jones? I hope it is 360. Um, I, I hope it is. Um, the timing was sure great for my video I dropped on Sunday, I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm, I've, with looking at the Chris Jones and putting that forward as a potential option, that was me really looking three and four steps ahead and that those steps have to occur for that to even, you know, come into this. Um, Chris Jones would have to, there'd be, have to be some, you know, that he's on the market. I don't think the Chiefs would be able to keep that quiet. And I think they would have to get a little bit more frustrated with the negotiations and his holding out before it would reach that point. But it's like the Witherspoon thing, give it a week from now and this thing's still going and the likelihood of it goes up way more highly than it probably stands right now. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I was trying to do some math on Sunday's show with the Chiefs recent history, with, with John Schneider's recent history and being active around the trade around the training camp including making really big time moves, big swing kind of moves, and then looking at how the Chiefs could be helped and aided by the move, looking at how they've moved off of the big time salary guys uh, that aren't playing quarterback. You didn't want to pay the $30 million to Tyreek Hill, who's going right into about an age that's the same place Chris Jones is going into. You know, you didn't want to pay Orlando Brown this offseason, and so now he's moved on. I, I think that they're looking at their situation, and maybe this is a little bit of forecasting with the Chiefs to a degree where they want to keep that offensive line top-notch. They're going to have to be paying guys through that, including Creed Humphrey soon. Patrick Mahomes now is really starting to slide down the realm of the paid highest-paid quarterbacks. I think he's like the eighth-highest-paid quarterback or something right now. So while he's taken a discount and been really good with that, are they going to have to come back around and deal with that contract here pretty soon as well? And it's going to be a monster? Yeah, you probably are. Um, so... I, that's where you do some of the math on this 360, but I can't say that it's necessarily related or grounded in knowing something's imminent, you know. Gemini Glass says, I'm super pumped about this season. Go Hawks. Go Hawks, man. I'm, I'm hyped as well. Sam Dog, it's not a good look for him in the early develop. Not a good look. I agree. This is, it is not a good look for Witherspoon. I don't make a big deal necessarily to this side of it, but I do understand it's, it certainly is not. You're trying to make a first impression. You're the highest selected player that's been here in Seattle and, 20 years and, and you're holding out when the contracts are slotted and it's tough. Do 
Just tags. Uh, what do we? What about Chase Young? How do we feel about him? I'm. I wouldn't mind making a move with him. What it probably comes down to with making a move for him is you're you're probably swinging Daryl Taylor and maybe a third, fourth round pick, or maybe you're just able to flip Daryl Taylor straight across the board for Young because you have, you're giving Washington two years of cheap club control of Daryl Taylor versus the one year of club control then that the Seahawks would have of him. Could be some of that at play going on here a little bit with the Chase Young situation uh, if they're going to look at him. Um, and, and Seattle maybe just really thinks he's going to prove to turn into becoming a real impact guy now off the edge. Um, but he's a great all-around player. He's freakish in his size and his length. Um, when he was healthy before the knee injury, he showed off some stuff where he, you know, he, he was a little bit like clowny, but with, with actually a little bit of bend, you know, to him. Um, cause Clowney got his knee jacked up in his first year. So he's a, he could be a solid player. He hasn't been a solid player for a while. He's never been a dominant player in the NFL, but the physical potential is certainly still there. Megan says, love CMP jumping up to the tap, the sign before, uh, sprinting out onto the field. The energy of that man is awesome. Absolutely. At that age to be jumping, every jump is a risk at that age. You know, a hop is a risk at that age. So, you know, he's in. TP says, we got one more year with our overload of cash spent on the safety position after this season. Then we can go all out and get an expensive Chase Young type ringer. True. True. Yeah, you can just kind of um, push push money from one side to the other on that. You know, if you want to take it out on, take, take from the Jamal side and just put to that, you can do that. And it'll all be about a wash. Mr. Isaac, hey, Brandon. Hope all is well, brother. I'm doing amazing, man. Having a great day. I hope you are as well. David uh, Tekesti says, do you think we can get Chris Jones? I think we can absolutely get Chris Jones, David. I think the unique position that we stand in is this. Um, there are 32 NFL teams, but there are not 32 NFL teams the Chiefs would be willing to trade Chris Jones to. The Chiefs would be willing to trade him only to the NFC. And when you go through the NFC and you look at, this is if he becomes available, of course right? This is if Jones, which is still fully uncertain. Nobody knows where this sits. I, I got to acknowledge all that. I want to say that line, so I'm not making it sound like, yeah, it's going to happen, but let's go through it. If it did no NFC, NFC teams, they're not going to AFC teams. They're not going to trade it within their own conference. So that means it's only the 16 teams potentially in the national football league. Arizona's not making this move. Not right now where the roster is. The Rams don't have the money to make the moves. The Niners don't have the money to make the move. Uh, the Falcons, I don't think really have the money to make the move. And I really don't think there are maybe a potential, but I don't see that as being really a fit. It's possible. Um, Saints, maybe it's possible. They can move money around. They've shown a willingness to do that. That could be a team. Carolina would be a no to me, in my opinion, with where they're at. They already have a pretty good defensive line. And I, I think they're going to look to build more to the offensive side of the ball. Tampa Bay doesn't have the money with the dead, dead money in the books from the Tom deal. Chicago, maybe. Uh, Green Bay's never made these kind of big swings in the past. I don't think they're going to start now. Uh, Detroit Lions, maybe. Minnesota, maybe. But then you look through the NFC East. Dallas, the Philadelphia Eagles feel fine about their defensive line. They're not going to do nothing. Dallas feels fine about their defensive defensive line. They're not going to do nothing. The Giants have uh, Williams, Leonard Williams there, and they've got the what the Lawrence or Lawrence kid, right? So they're not going to go make that move. And the Commanders have Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. So you go through the NFC and you go. And, and a lot of these teams I don't think are real likelihood, but you got Minnesota, Detroit, Chicago, New Orleans, Atlanta, Seattle. Six teams just on the surface of it that you can really quickly grind down to as for those teams that would be in the neighborhood for maybe trying to go out there and make a move 
for Chris Jones. So I don't think it's going to be some insane bidding war coming from every angle if it did happen, but it's hard to predict. We can do it, David. We've got the ammunition to do it. We've got eight picks in next year's draft. You've got players that I think that the Kansas City Chiefs would find of interest. And I think you could make it happen. The key is, is are the Chiefs going to be willing to make the move? Will they be willing to trade a guy that's been a foundational defensive player for that team that's coming off of his best season last year? Don says, okay, I'm back after singing along with the Star Spangled Banner and Willem Helmus. <laughs> Megan says, uh, can you explain to me what the PUP list is, please? Uh, yeah, the PUP list is a list that you get to put together. That You have guys that you put on the list that you, you take them off at any given time throughout a training camp period. It, the rules change once we get to live season, Megan, where if you put them on, they have to be on for a certain a lot of time once we get to the regular season. But if they're coming into training camp on the PUP list, you're having them on this list and they're sent, they're sending kind of a holding pattern, uh, like an airplane circling around an airport where you're trying to get them through the last part of the rehabilitation process to get them ready for the field but you're, you're not ready for them to be on the field. So you don't want them to count against the roster spots. So you can still have guys out there to go out there and practice with a full, a full crew of people out there at that point. So it's, it's just a way for teams to have flexibility to keep a guy off the active roster, keep him there for when he's ready, he's close. They just don't know exactly when, is it a week? Is it two weeks? So you want to have still a little bit of that flexibility on the um, roster space on the other side. Whereas if Megan, if you have them not on the PUP, then it counts against your roster. And that's one less guy you got on the practice field, not practicing. Um, which can get tough really quick if you got five, six guys on the PUP. TJ uh, Yeti says straight a bag of chips and a can of tuna for Daryl Taylor, Daryl Taylor, and Daryl Taylor for Chase Young. Right, I think that's about what it cost. May's Guru Barton was almost always the wrong bad position when defending the run. Drove me nuts. Yeah, the, the linebacker play was not great when defending the run. I, I don't think even, and Jordan Brooks is a little bit better than him in that maze guru, but I don't, I think even with Jordan Brooks, there were some issues with it. I'm, I'm putting together this cut up I'm going to do for the Chen of Nuosu video I'm going to put together. And, it, you know, you're watching him, but then you're noticing stuff with the linebackers. And uh, yikes, yikes on some of our reads from our linebackers last year. Like, I just. <sighs> Another guy just sometimes would have the feel. Brooks can sometimes lock it in and he'll be right on it. And, and just he, he finds the play, locates it and shoots the gap and he's through the hole and he's making a play. But, but a lot of times those guys choose the wrong direction or they get stuck behind, they get stuck behind uh, the clog of people up around the line of scrimmage and they can't find the ball or know where it's at. It's very frustrating going back and watching the tape from last year and seeing that going down with your linebackers where it's a position a lot about instincts and feel. And it just doesn't seem to be there with him. TB1 Filler says, I'm interested to see Tyreek Smith on the D-line, basically his rookie year. It's basically what it is. And I'm with you on that. He was a guy that was looked at at Ohio State as the next guy. Joey Bosa. Nick Bosa. Chase Young. They thought Tyreek Smith was going to be the next guy to ascend into that, into that crew, into that group. You know, create a lineage like they've done with the wide receiver position. And uh, he was not able to quite ascend to that mark. With Ohio State, my cat's having a dream. Uh, but uh, he still he still does offer that potential. TP. Uh, Barry Sotoro with a twenty dollars donation. Sorry, I'm a little late on acknowledging the dono, but I do appreciate it, Barry. He says, "Yo, is fan salary guaranteed?" 
Also, I can't see the Hawks trading any future picks in the first, second, or third rounds with the dark cloud of a sale looming. Uh, no offense, salary is guaranteed, but it is a base salary, Barry. So it's not a bonus guarantee to where at the start of the year, he gets the whole salary at the front. It's throughout, which means that with fan salary, the $5.85 million that counts in the books this year, you move that, you save the, the full, all of that money off the books in a trade if you were to move it. But you can't, that to your question's other side of this, Barry, you can't cut him and free yourself of the $5.85 million just to just to do it for the hell of it. Um, I don't think they would do that anyway because at the very least you could get a, a can of corn for him, right? You get a fifth or sixth round pick, I'm sure, for a, a fan if you were really determined to move off of him at that point. But um, thank you for the $20 donation, Barry. Man, you guys come with some big donos tonight. Thank you so much. Um, in regards to uh, the second part of your... Um, uh, your statement. Also, I can't see the Hawks trading any future picks in the first, second, or third rounds with the dark cloud of a sale looming. Uh, my question on that, and I've been a guy, I've been hot to trot and believing that the Seahawks would get into next off season and that'd be 2024. And that's the deadline that has to pass. in I believe April, where if the Seattle Seahawks are sold after April, they don't, don't do not have to give 10% of the profits back to the city. So, if that's the case, that definitely makes them seemingly more active as a team to be sold at that point in time. But, Barry, when I go and take a look at the Portland Trail Blazers situation with Jody Allen and understanding that they were already much further along in their process of being up for sale than even the Seahawks. Seahawks aren't technically up for sale even at the moment right now. And she's not sold even that entity as it stands right now. And the part that stood out to me in looking into the situation back about a year ago was though the Paul G. Allen Trust dictates Jody Allen has to sell the team, that you've got to liquidate the assets and put everything into the, the Paul Allen pet projects. That is the case. That is true. There's not a timeline given by Paul Allen. There's not him saying this has to happen by 2025 in July. It's, it just has to happen basically at the discretion of Jody Allen. So that does to me seem to, if I'm putting two and two and three and four together here, Barry, I walk away from that saying, Jody's not really in a hurry to sell these teams. Maybe she likes owning these teams. Um, maybe she just wants to be very slow and careful with the process. Maybe she thinks holding onto the teams for longer means more profit and you'll sell it for more if you wait a couple more years. So I think though, I, I still lean to think that a sale does have some likelihood to it especially when you have a Jeff Bezos who's going to be sitting there frothing, I'm sure, at the mouth after his inability to go purchase the Washington Comanderos that he's going to be going, okay, now I'm just going back home. I'm going to get my home team. And, and that's the part that, that could end up pushing this because Bezos can come in there and he can say, oh, yeah, that's, that's cute. The, uh, the commander sold for, uh, what was it, six, six billion? That's cute. That's cute. Hey, Jody. Hey, hey Jody. Yeah. How would you like eight? How would you like eight? You take eight? So he might just come into the room, you know, and, and do that move. You know, that's the move they do in the movies back in the 80s. It was a real trope. Guy drives up to a house. I like your house. And the homeowner's out there, you know, cutting something. And he's like, yeah, thank you. I'll buy it from you. It's not for sale. And then he gives them, they, they whip out the briefcase of cash and open it up. How about now? And then the guy drops his spears. And he's like, sure. And then the next shot is him carrying a suitcase out of the house. Uh, as the next thing. That's basically the, uh, the equivalent um, that you could see with Be Bezos coming into play on this, Barry. But it's really uncertain. 
And I think that the Blazers situation has got to be a bit of a canary in the coal mine for the Seattle Seahawks and whether or not they're going to have their sale go down and how fast their sale could be expected to have happen. Because I don't think Jody Killers one iota about the basketball that much. I do think she has a little bit of a fondness for the football program. Blazer fans can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've seen Jody Allen presented at the Blazers draft front and center, you know, with a pencil behind her ear. You know what I mean? Like she was the last couple of drafts here in Seattle. But um, yeah, I'm not sure, Barry. I'm not sure. Would it, would it affect the sale having future first round picks? Let's, let's look at that too though, Barry. You know, I mean, let's look at this. Um, because there's always with that kind of thing and, and first round picks being something that encumbers a sale of an NFL team. I would look at that on the surface of that and say, yeah, you're probably right. That could be encumbering. An owner's buying a team that doesn't have draft capital and that might make it harder for him to build a winner quicker. But, but we actually have a recent example of this too, where the Walmart family bought the Denver Broncos last year in the midst of them not only giving up one first round pick, but them giving up multiple first round picks and multiple second round picks as they were buying that team. And so there has, and we could look and see if there's any other track record of it occurring in recent history. It has occurred. There has been times where a team has indeed gone out there and said, you know, or an owner said, I don't care. And I think especially now this is the case, Barry, as much as anything, because there's so few NFL teams that are up for sale and there are so many billionaires that would like to own an NFL football team. I, I, I think that that's a little bit of what might override that just, to, just at least to a small part. But didn't scare off the Walmart family, that's for sure. Thank you, though, Barry, for the $20 donation. You guys are incredible. Mr. Dog, thank you for the fiver. Says, based on what you've gathered so far, does Jamal Adams start week one? Love the streams. Keep them coming. Well, thank you, Mr. Dog. I'm going to keep going hot and heavy all the way through this season. I'm, I'm planning on loading for bear here. So we're going to be doing, you know, two B&B shows a week. We're going to be running out with the two shows a week here on the Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm going to be doing, I think, like a late, little quick little fantasy uh, show on a Saturday night just before the games the next day. We're going to do the Thursday shows for members. So we're going to be cooking, man. Cooking. I've been really, really, really um, slow roll in the Jamal situation because the way Coach Carroll was talking about him through the offseason in his interviews, there was definitely a little bit of a, you know, hesitancy on his part to just go overwhelmingly overboard about the fact that there was no doubt Jamal would be back by game one. And we, we, that's what we're counting on. And we're planning on that. You know, he has certain things he'll say like that that he said in the past when guys have gone through injury situations like that. And he wasn't talking like that previously. Today, for the first time in the way that he spoke, and again, he wasn't speaking specifically about Jamal. It was more about the group of these guys on PUP. But it sounds like everybody's, everybody's going hard. Everybody's cutting. Everybody's doing the change of direction stuff. Nobody is inhibited or having to be protected in how they're working out. And if I'm to read the tea leaves on that one, I come away from that Mr. Dog saying, a lot more likelihood of him being here in week one than I thought now, than I would have thought even about a month ago. So I, I, I would have probably said a month ago, you know, 25% chance he plays week one. I probably say now you're looking at about 60% chance that he plays week one. And you know, Jamal Adams is going to be pushing for it. You know, he's going to do everything he can and try uh, to get there. Kevin Lonice coming in with another, coming with the quad twan, coming in with the quad twan, $20 donation, fourth time. Thank you 
Kevin, so much for that donation. You are very kind, man. Very kind in giving him that. I appreciate all the support here on the channel. You guys are wonderful. You always are so. Um, just absolutely amazing. Question Tado. Question Tado. You remember the 87 playoff game in Houston? That is the first game that crushed me. Fred Young made that interception. Go Hawks. Uh, that's definitely back for me uh, a ways on that one. Let me make sure I'm, I'm thinking of the right one. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that's the... That's... Is that the one? Yeah, that's a hard one for me to remember exactly and lock in on. Because uh, Kevin, I had I'm, I'm, if is it the one I'm thinking of? Is that the one where Largen had the the two catches at the end to come back? Where it was like Largen Largen got him back into it, if I'm not mistaken, on that one, and then Warren Moon had like a final drive to tear our hearts out of that year. If if I'm and I'm, we're going deep in the memory banks on this one, Kevin. You know what I mean? Like this, I'm going three decades deep on this one. You got a good, re you got a good reference to get back to beyond it that way. But um, I can vaguely remember that game. I think it was the year after too that we had the. That was the year we did the Cincinnati one, and Cincinnati. That was the one that kind of crushed me a little bit. We didn't have a great record that year, but we still seemed like we were coming along and we we're looking really solid and. Since he since he went to the Super Bowl and lost the Niners, I think that year. Maybe it was eighty nine. It all runs together after a while. But if it's that game, I've i I even went back recently and watched that game. I think I was I did it for the Largent video. I'm eventually ten years from now gonna get done. Um, but if it's that game, that was a one of the great games in Seahawks history. We just can't reference it that way, of course, because it was a loss. I might be thinking of the wrong one, Kevin. But if it's that one, let me know in the comments. Um, if it's that one that I'm thinking of. But Fred Young was a hell of a player. Hell of a player. And Warren Moon with that run and shoot offense in the Oilers in the late 80s. You got to give Moon credit. And the run and shoot was one where you, yeah, it was a single back at a time where everything was two back. And then it was three and four wide receivers 24-7. And so Moon, poor guy, never had any extra protection. There was no chip blocking. You know, no, no real double teams happening often, especially if the other teams are going to blitz. And you just had to have a quarterback with ice cold blood in his veins who's going to sit back there and just get smacked right in the face play after play um, and, and hope one of his guys was going to break open of the four that were running the routes. Tough game for our Hawks. But Kevin, thank you for the $20 donation, man. I hope I'm remembering the right game on that one. They do run together at this point, and especially in recent years because I go back and watch all these games at times back, rewatch them on YouTube. <laughs> they start to just all definitely coalesce into one thing. But Kevin, thank you so much, man, for all the support on the channel on that. Four $20 donos tonight. You're amazing. Uh, Megan with a $5 donation says, I don't hate the Uchenna deal. I just believe we should be looking at filling D-line holes first. Uh, I can get where you're coming from on that. I'm, I definitely think that this is where the worry is at when you look at this team right now. Megan is, you know, is it strong enough up front to hold up? And it is at the Achilles. Um the thing that does give me a little bit of, of, of liking a little bit more is I think it's also making that change over that you have to look through on the moving from a 4-3 defense to a 3-4 defense. And that the onus does become more now upon the linebackers in the 3-4 
than it does become on the defensive line. The defensive linemen still matter and having dominant ones and having guys that can handle their job is uh, vitally important. But you need as much as anything almost at the forefront of it a little bit at times of those guys off the edge that can get their job done too, especially as pass rushers. I still fall in line saying that I think that the zero tech position is as much as important as those ones is in, in setting the tone on that defense. You need the big dog up front that can command the double teams, that keep your linebackers free and clear. Um, that's to be sure. But uh, right with it, step for step, is those edge guys and, and them you know, having that kind of impact too. But um, I get it. I get it. It's a preference thing, Megan. And certainly it's a place that is, remains right now on a team that doesn't have very many weaknesses. It remains your main one weakness that you do kind of have. Um, it's not that it's going to be, it just ran over, but it's, it is what it is. A little bit of a weakness as it stands. Uh, make it with another $5 dono. Make it. Thank you for all the donos tonight. It says my godson Noah had his sweet 16 today. And where is he? Training camp. Let's go. The proper place he should be, Megan, right where he should be on that one. That's awesome to hear. It looked like it was, uh, looked like it was a great day out there. I love watching the stream they had going. You had everybody just chilling back on the berm. Beautiful, warm day. Seattle looking its finest. Water in the background. You know, it's like the first day of spring, you know. Uh, the deers were prancing. The birds were tweeting. Squirrels were chasing each other. <laughs> something like that. It was like something out of that, you know. But I'm, I'm a little jelly. No, I got to go there. I was watching the stream too going, man, I wish I was out there right now. I need to be out there. Thank you, Megan, for the donation. Congrats to Noah out there. Getting to watch him out. Check him out. Uh, William Leonard, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you as well, brother. Says, did you see the Amazon sponsor logo on the training camp jerseys? <laughs> Bezos is closing in. I hope he buys the team. Uh, it's, it's, uh, well, first off, that's, that's true. He's already making the power move, putting, getting the, the Amazon sponsor logo on the jerseys. I, I indeed think that that's, uh, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely kind of gangster move right there by Bezos a little bit. Um, I'm with you. This has been one we've looked at seeing coming down the, down the line for quite a bit of time, especially as you, as the, when you heard the story come out that Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, had said some bad things about Dan Schneider um, and put him in a bad light. And so Schneider, because of that, was not going to sell the Washington Commanders to Bezos. You instantly went, well, okay, now the timing sinks right up for the next team to be up for sale. Probably in the National Football League is going to be the Seattle Seahawks. And you have a basically a local guy who's got all the money in the world and is chomping at the bit to go buy a team now coming and probably coming in to buy the team. And um, some people really are against it and, and don't like Bezos for some of the, the business stuff that he's done in his dealings through his time to get where he's gotten. And for those folks that say that, I get that. Um, I also, though, do fall in line with the place of saying, look, you know, it's not, I'm not saying this is a good thing or a thing that we should make acceptable in society, but, you know, there's not many billionaires that get to where they got by not having some they got some stickiness, you know, let's just put it that way. It gets a little sticky. It's a little sticky on some things. So it's, it's kind of a bit of the price of doing business when you have these guys that are that way a bit to me. Some are maybe worse than others. And then, and maybe by some tones, some people are like, oh God, he's the worst, but he's going to have a big, a big pocketbook to call upon and beyond anything else for what I want an owner. I want a guy committed, committed to winning, not, not worried about profit margins not worried about how much money am I making yearly with this establishment, you know, not worried about cutting a big check 
if it means this team's going to get put over the top for a Super Bowl, that's what I wanted an owner. And not all billionaires are wired that way to do that. Not all owners are wired to do it that way. Paul Allen was. Paul Allen was. And on the back of operating that way, he took a franchise that had the same kind of reputation that the Mariner franchise carries in Major League Baseball, and he got you into three Super Bowls over the last 24 years, 20 years. You know, because he, I'll, I'll get the coach. I'll spend the money on the coach we need to get. What free agent do I need to sign? Okay, that coach is done. Who's the next big coach I can go find to run this thing? Who's the next brightest proposition to go grab? Got him. I don't care whatever he costs. I'll spend it. Get him. That's what you need from an owner. That's what you need for success. That's what you need to get yourself back to a Super Bowl. And uh, I think Bezos, as much as you might have some reticence on him in some other areas, would absolutely, at the very least, I think, supply that. Thank you, though, William, for the $5 donation. Uh, Ran in the cut has a super chat of $10. Thank you, Ran in the cut. Appreciate you too as well. It's good to see you guys all in the chat too. Love seeing these names in the chat. Says, let's get Chris Jones in the building and start our run to the Super Bowl. Let's do it, man. What are we waiting for? We ain't worried. We ain't scared over here. We ain't scared. Super Bowl winners don't operate fearful. I'll tell people I give any of the people on the other side that say, no, Jones, I got you. You tell me, Brandon, that the cost is too high. I say, I hear you. You say, Brandon, the draft pick's given up. It's way too much. And I say, brothers and sisters, I'm listening to you. But at the same time, at the same time, you could bring in the second most devastating defensive tackle presence in the National Football League and inject it into your defense. It's hard for me to say no to that. It's hard for me to think about the long term within that. It's hard for me to get caught up in the particulars of the cost within that. Because if you add that to this defense, what does this defense become this year? What does this team become this year. Yeah, there's the injury risk. Yeah, there's the age. Yeah, there's some things on it that are there that, that could come to, or you don't get anything out of him because he just ends up tearing his ACL in week three. And then now you're down your picks. And then what, Brandon? Okay, I got it, got it. But if it goes right, and you get him for 15, 16 games over the course of the season, what does that do to this defense? What does that do to the top end of this team and its potential? And I think uh, I, I find myself aligning right where you align with it. At the end of the day, ran the cut. It's not that I arrive here lightly or easily or quickly. I, I'm waiting up the stuff that all the other folks say on the other side of it. And I ain't going to call them out, out of line for saying that that's the right way to go. I can get their point loud and clear. But I'm a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. <laughs> Thank you, Randy the cut. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, Randy McDaniel in the house. What's up, Randy? Uh, Thank you for the fiver. Appreciate you, man. Says, do you know how much money we have available? I've seen between 11 and 17 million. Not a great, uh, not a great look that Spoon isn't at camp. Well, on the first part, on your second part first, there's definitely been some consternation here in the chat. I've read along a couple of notes here by more than a few people that feel the same way you do on that, Randall. And, and I do say it, it is not a good look. It isn't. I don't expect it to last really long because uh, the, the agent's going to have to eventually get to a place of me pushing for this bonus money versus how bad this is reflecting on a client that's the only client in the NFL that's holding out right now has got to eventually kind of start to win one over versus the other. Uh, you know, those two things can't kind of exist in the same sphere when this starts getting into five, six, seven days of him holding out. But um, yeah, I, I, it's not a good look. 
Um, I'm uncertain a little bit by how much money exactly we have, Randall, because we still haven't gotten the final particulars down of the Uchenna Nuosu deal. We do think it's, I have, I think as solidly as I can kind of maintain, it looks like the numbers are going to stay the same around the $13 million mark, but you had the opportunity to clear a couple of million dollars off of it by signing him to an extension. And it would be odd to me if Schneider didn't at least maybe have a, a couple million moved around off of that Uchenna deal to create a little bit of that extra cap space. So somewhere between around where your numbers are approximately. And of course we have the, the, the Witherspoon deal will come down and take a couple million off that um, on the other side of that, bringing that down a little bit when that eventually does happen. But um, that's about right. I'll, I'll have a better answer for you on this Randall. Once we get to by the next show, I'll, I should have the numbers up on overthecap.com or sports track should have the Uchenna numbers and how the, the deal breaks out. And once we've got that, then we can, um, then we can kind of more thoroughly know where everything kind of sits. But you saved $6.1 million on the digs restructuring, I suppose. Good to see you, Randall, in the chat, though, man. Thank you for the dono. Kirk Stemmer with a $5 donation. Thank you, Kirk. Jody Allen is making $100 million per year as owner of the Vulcan Group that runs both the Seahawks and Trailblazers. She isn't selling anytime soon. Well, thank you for the, the little insider note on that one a bit. $100 million a year. Well, it certainly is. Uh, at that point, you can see a financial imperative, uh, if that is the case there, Kirk, to why you do drag your feet, even if you are mandated by a, by a trust to sell them. If the trust says you can sell them in 2024, you can sell them in 2032, I care not. Well, if you're making $100 million per year over that time period, that's seven, 800 million you've got to stack in the deck at that point. And certainly for Jody, who has indicated she wants to buy a part, part of the team uh, eventually, maybe not as a majority owner, but at least part of it, that would probably go a little bit of a ways to getting that done. So uh, fantastic point, Kirk. That certainly, that certainly provides a, a motive at that point, right? Beyond just kind of just sliding along, just not being super motivated to do it, but also that you provide the financial imperative for someone not to do it, then it makes a lot of sense why they would uh, they would take their time. And certainly she can just come back like with Portland and say, well, we should have gotten more money. It's not a fair offer. And then it's, well, then who, she's running the top of the show of that. Who's to tell her, no, you should have taken it. You know, who's coming in as sort of the the policing unit at that point saying, no, you've got to take the best you can get here. You got to sell it. That's the mandate. So she does have the power and control on this one. That's for sure. Great point on that one, though, Kirk. 100 million a year. I dragged my feet too. <laughs> Tony, thank you for subscribing to the channel. Welcome aboard the Hawks Nest. I appreciate you. Uh, Megan with a $5 donation says, Noah was born at just under 25 weeks and is now starting a PhD in aerospace engineering to one day work at Boeing. He is our miracle boy and I am so proud. Thank you for all the donos, Megan. I appreciate it. And congratulations out there to Noah. That's uh, be a, a real fun career. And uh, I mean, just, I always used to drive by Megan, that Boeing building out in Everett was really near my neck of the woods growing up out in Muckleteo. And um, you just, it's always impressive driving by that building and how big it is out there. How, how, I mean, they, they got multiple 747s housed in this place and it's just, it's huge. It's so impressive and it must be a pretty fun place to go out there and work at on a daily basis because it's so unique. And, and you're, you're making cool stuff too, right? Aerospace, I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome as well, you know? But uh, thank you, Megan. Appreciate the donations. Very kind of you. And congrats, Noah. 
Seaside Joe, it's not that Witherspoon wants more money, uh, wants more bonus. He can get more than $20 million and nothing will change his salary. He wants more bonus money this year and not to be deferred. Correct. Yeah. He wants the money in hand now, essentially. That's a correct, correct view on it. Uh, TP says, can, we, can you get an open CT? An open CT? What's a CT? Um, oh, you're getting the, you're trying to make it. Daniel, what's the likelihood of trading a player that you just drafted because he wants more money than what we care to offer? I've never seen it in NFL history, Daniel. And uh, it's a little bit like when you take a new car off the lot and it loses 60% of its, it loses like 40% of its value the second you drive it off the lot. Well, the second you draft a player like that, go through a mini camp, come to a contract stall that you're, you're not going to get an equivalent return back for him. Um, so it's never happened before. And I, as always in these kind of situations, if I don't have any kind of baseline in, in, in a given history of something ever occurring, I certainly don't count on it. So now they'll get the deal done. Jeremy, I heard that in the late 90s when New England was in search of a coach, Robert Kraft really wanted Pete Carroll as the coach. Bill Belichick was more of the backup plan. Um. Well, I mean, you you went from you went from Bill you went from Pete Carroll, Jeremy, to Bill Belichick. So, I mean, Pete Carroll was in New England for a couple of years as their head coach. And if Robert Kraft wanted him to remain as a head coach, he could have just kept him there and let him continue to be the guy. So, I think what what I I had not I guess I just had never heard that before, Jeremy, with it because I had always thought with Robert Kraft that because he had such a fondness for Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick was Parcells' guy that he he was trying to strike to go for what he thought would be a better option than Carroll going after a guy like Belichick. But yeah, they didn't, I mean, if he really wanted, wanted Carroll, I mean, he could have just stayed with him. And if he really wanted Carroll to work there, he could have let Carroll institute his methodology in the way that Carroll needed to, to be successful as Carroll's referenced about that stay with the Patriots where, you know, he wasn't able to make the calls on the players. He wasn't able to put the team together in the way that made sense for how he wanted to run it. And uh, so they, they didn't kind of give him the full reins there in the way that he needed to to get the team successful. And he still kind of laid the groundwork for Belichick in a lot of respects. James Hughes, I heard the green is staying. I heard the green is staying and they're getting rid of the wolf gray this year. That's correct, James. Unfortunately, that is correct. He says, well, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> let's do it, man. DBOI, look into it. Not much more expensive and the sides are open, which is usually what makes people, oh, sorry to reference in there. Uh, Alexander, what's up, B? What's up, Alexander? Don't know if you've discussed it yet, but man, those I would love to see Chase Young and the Seahawks throwbacks. I'm not anti-Chase Young, and if they want to make the, the trade of Daryl Taylor, which this would be the trade. I mean, if you're going to move with Washington, they're going to want somebody back that they can get there for, the, for help off the edge. And if you look at Washington right now, they've paid Jonathan Allen, they've paid Deron Payne. They've got to make a decision between paying Chase Young or Montez Sweat. Sweat's been the more consistent player out there. He's a complete player. He's the guy that's probably going to get that contract where then if I'm Washington, I'm looking at the situation saying, then we've got to find something then cheap here for the next couple of years of, at the other edge. And so a guy like Daryl Taylor could then very much fit into that. Now, Chase Young, 
great player. There's a reason he was selected as high as he was originally. And that guys that big, that long, shouldn't move that well and be that on top of just being, he is obviously naturally really strong too. Um, he came out his first year, I think he had seven sacks. Um, but there hasn't been a lot there since then. And that injury he had that was a torn ACL that then took him a whole nother year to come back off of last year where he really wasn't right. You know, my, my wonder with it beyond being interested in the player is, you know, where is he really from a rehabilitation standpoint? Is he a better overall player than Taylor? Yeah. Does he have more upside than Taylor? Yeah. Um, is that worthwhile to take a one-year risk versus the two years of cheap club control that you have on Taylor? Sure. But if you're getting it for a guy that's damaged goods, I'm not, I'm, I'm, that, would be a, that would be a disappointment to me because Taylor can easily slide into a role here where even with your stack three edges of just being a, a rotational pass rush guy here and there when, when you need him to. So I, I, that would be a little bit of a downer if they went with it at that direction of it and end up getting a guy that, well, he's still not over it, but we just wanted to just take a shot and a chance. No, make sure he's got to be over it. He's got to be healthy, you know. Jack says, I can't decide between a JSN and a Witherspoon jersey. Well, based on the chat today, you better go JSN. <laughs> Sean Lee has just finished uh, the stream with you and the Niners guy. Great stuff. Well, thank you, Sean. And yeah, folks, if you get a chance, uh, we did a, I, I had a really, really, really awesome time with Jesse of Last Second Sports. He's a Niner fan, runs a Niner channel over there. And um, we had a great long four-hour discussion on Monday night going back and forth on the two teams, just really kind of chopping it up. Um, I always like talking to him. He's always got some great perspective on where he's coming from. He knows his stuff when it comes to his team. And uh, yeah, it was great, man. I appreciate you listening. And I had a fun time with Jesse. We're definitely going to sync up a couple times again this year. It's, it's always a good time. Spaces, what's the Niners fans website? Uh, Last Second Sports is the channel name for him on YouTube. Andy Arnold, enjoying the 20 degree drop in temperature? I am. Oh, Andy, it's, it feels wonderful. And we're in like late July, which is just really late July. We're going to get down to mid seventies. It's, it's phenomenal, man. I, I'm just like beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I get to go on my walks and stuff and not just be dripping in sweat by the end. Austin Martin says, does Brandon like Zorn at all? Well, this is a common misconception by, by Megan. She says, I don't, but I actually, I've got no, I, I, I like Zorn. He's a revered guy in Seahawks history. But we're in a white and black world. So if I like Craig, then I must have to hate Zorn. And power code, Devin Witherspoon is getting me nervous. He's giving me diva vibes. I don't like it at all. I feel you, man, Empower. And there's a few people that share your sentiments on this. I'm not quite as worried about it because it is just the first, we're one day into camp. But if it lasts too long, then I'll, I'll be in that realm. Like, what the hell? Mazguru says, wasn't Zorn Superman's enemy in the first movie? (laughs) Sounds right. Sounds right. Austin, yeah, I was asking because every time Zorn brought it up, it doesn't sound like he's into it. Oh, no, it's I'm I'm ribbing Megan more than anything else, Austin, because I like to rib Megan on this because she's got such a, a love affair with Jimmy Zorn. So. It's more of that. But no, I respect Jimmy Zorn. He's our first uh, first quarterback here, you know, and he had an uphill battle with what he had to do where, you know, he's taking a franchise team at that time where when you were a franchise team, you were a franchise team. You know, you weren't getting your pick of like other teams' litters to try to stack your team up really quick and really fast. You had to kind of 
really wade through the time and wade through the wade through the waters to eventually get yourself to a place of being legitimate across the board. And Zorn was a fun quarterback for us playing through that time period. Saijin, I watched uh, 1978 Seahawks versus Vikings, Zorn and Tarkington earlier today. Enjoyed the hell out of the 28-29 uh, Hawks. Hey, I always recommend go back, watch those, those old Seahawks games, even back into the late 70s. Uh, those guys played a certain level of violence. They may not be as fast. They may not jump as high. They may not have the snazzy Madden button moves that they can call upon, but it was a, it was a man's man game back then. And those guys, uh, they were brutal at times when you go back and watch some of those old contests. But I might have to check that one out. A, 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 little ma- a little matchup between the two scramblers, Tarkenton and Zorn. It's a lot of scrambling in that game. I'll guarantee you that. Sam Dog uh, says, can't wait for the season four, especially week four. You better come on my stream when I go live from Soho on the Thursday night when I get into the town during that week's Thursday night game. We'll try to set something up, Sam Dog. For sure, man. We'll figure something out. D- DM me up on Twit, Twitter or Facebook or whatever, you know, either one connect. Mark Abercorn, thank you for mentioning. Please do hit that like button if you like what you're listening to here. It does help out the channel tremendously. Helps me grow. Helps me show up out on those algorithms and just makes you a better human being. Maze, I've been re-watching the winning Super Bowl year up to game nine. It's interesting watching it again. It's always fun to go back and watch the old games, especially if you just appreciate how fast and uh, how much that defense was just on every last little detail. It's always good going. I love that YouTube's opening up to where you can really go back and watch some of these old games and stuff. I mean, some of you can just get it with the subscription to the NFL thing, but going back, especially watching even older games beyond that, sometimes harder to do. I love that they've left a lot of those up now where you can go check them out. Barry Templin, ICC ESPN show, the all-decade team a while ago. Coaches who made the team were Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick. I think that that's uh, strong, and I think that that adds up. You've had some coaches that were pretty good through that time period like Tomlin, but those are the guys that had the best, most consistent success over that period. And I don't think that anybody else is really is really close. McVay certainly had a good five-year period of that last decade, but, you know, I those guys were the, I think they were the benchmarks for sure for that 10-year period. Sam Dog says, regardless of the whole Chris Jones thing, I don't see us making a big trade and giving away any first-round picks because we need those to continue to build through future drafts. Solid point, man. Solid point. I could see that being something that absolutely does hold up a potential trade for a big big Jones kind of trade or even a Devin White kind of trade that they just end up standing back going, nope, don't want to give it up. We're just trusting the process, keep things organically growing. I could get it. Jacob says, what move do the Hawks have to make to make you believe they're going to go for it this year and next year? I think that they, they're showing some of the, the, the look of it with a restructuring of a Quandre Diggs deal. You know, my, my thing with it is that if you have a team that's in a place of being close to, to really being contending, not merely a playoff team, but you're on the edge between playoff team and contender, even with the youth that we have, even with this only being year two of the rebuild, I think it's very hard for teams to find themselves in this situation wherever they are in a rebuild year in and year out. And with what you have at the quarterback position, with the leadership you have across the board, with the seasoning in of veterans as we do on this ball club, in my opinion, if with the op- with how wide open the NFC is, with how bad the NFC West is, in my opinion, 
yeah, I would try to go for it this year rather than I, and this is again, the thing we come down to on the nuance folks. So the people that want to be hesitant, the people that are being patient, the people are saying, no, Chris Jones, keep our draft picks, trust our process, go through with it. I'm not pushing back on you on this. I'm just giving my own personal perspective, which is that you have this team built up like it is already as it stands. Why not push it up over the top? Why not go make those other extra couple of moves here and see if you can really, you know, game this up a little bit. And, um, I would love to, I would love to see them do it. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, going to be willing to do it, but, uh, yeah, I'd love to see it do it. The indicators of that Jacob are at the front of it, doing what they're doing here now, which is not allowing the one and two year contracts to eat up all of their cap space. And then they look back and go, well, we can't we don't have any extra money to spend. They put a lot of one and two year deals out there in free agency this period, which did exactly that. But now they're coming back and kind of correcting that a little bit by first sawing off the bad contracts that were on the books, not sitting on your Quentin Jefferson's just for the hell of that, but moving off of those kind of deals if they're not good deals. But then also converting some base to bonus. I'm not asking them to go hog wild and sacrifice a whole bunch of future cap space to make this occur, but do it at least a little bit. Do it a little bit if it means to add one more extra impact player. Because my opinion on this is that if you're going to choose to be a contender, then there's a price of doing business to get up over the top. And that price of doing business is you got to get that one extra guy. You got to push for that one extra move. And it doesn't have to be now. It can be around the trade deadline. But I think you got to make it if you're going to get to that, that certain spot. Um, so it's really more about Jacob as much as anything being one individual move they make. It's more about the maximizing out of the salary cap in the fashion other teams have in order to fit and get as many of those players up under the cap. My go-to, of course, example on this one and comp on this one has been the, the Draymond Jones signing versus the Javon Hargrave signing. Draymond Jones is an 18 million a year player guy, right? Hargrave's a 20 million a year player guy. But because the Niners put the extra year on that deal, it's a four-year deal and not a three-year deal like you gave Draymond. Because the Niners lowered down the first year of that cap hit, you have one deal that's sitting at $10.1 million for a first-year cap hit, being Draymond Jones. And then you have the Javon Hargrave deal, with, which is at $5.5 million on the first year of its cap hit. That's half, half almost, of the cost of what Draymond's costing us for a player that gives... Well, given more of money than, than, uh, than Draymond is considered, I guess, a little bit better even than Draymond is. So that's maximizing out your cap. You know, that's doing everything you can to try to get every last bit out of it. And that's what I want to see them do the more than anything else, Jacob. That's the final piece to this particular puzzle for me, because there's been a lot of years now where in free agency, we get there and it's a one-year deal. It's a two-year deal. It's another one-year deal. It's another two-year deal. You're not giving out the three and the four-year deals, so there's no way to manage the numbers down the line. You eat up all the cap space, and then you leave an advantage on the table, off the table, of maximizing your cap space in the way your other competitors are doing so to get themselves actual Super Bowl wins, like we saw the Rams do, like we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do. I, there's a little bit, and I can get, people say it's not time I get. People say it's too early I get. I'm not, I'm not saying like I'm, I'm hardline in this one, and it's this way or the highway. If they, if they go the opposite way, they'll still certainly have my support. But if you're going to try to push to truly get into the contend mode and say, now's our time, pedal to the metal, then pedal to the metal. That means making these kind of moves. I, I consider the modern cost of doing business to try to get yourself over the top of these kind of, these kind of Super Bowls. Um, Kevin Lonice with another $10 donation. Thank you, Kevin. I do appreciate all the donos, man. He said the 87 Houston game was in the playoffs. We lost in the playoffs. Fred Young intercepted 
Moon in OT, but called incomplete. Didn't, oh, okay, yeah, that was the one where he got both feet down, right? If I'm making, if I'm making I think he got both feet down, but they said he didn't get both feet down. But that's the one I think is the one where you had Largent had like these two huge catches at the end of the game that got us to field goal, and we kicked the field goal, and then I thought then Moon drove him right back up the field the other way, and it was bang, game over at that point. I think we're talking about the same game, though. And if I'm remembering the young play, they had like a slow motion that they showed that was, it looks like a pick, I think, right? On the slow motion. I could be misremembering this, but I, that's, I, that's where my head's at with it, at least. Bad calls out there in the 80s. And some, sometimes you didn't have the, the, the um, replay. It was, like just, it was just a bad call. Moving on. <laughs> Thank you, though, Kevin. The $10 dono, man. I'm going to have to go back and check out that game. There's probably a couple of clips I can pull out of it for the channel, too. Uh, John Stillwell coming in with a $50, $50 donation. My goodness, John, always coming in hot. Always coming in very kind with the donos, brother. I appreciate you, and I uh, hope you're having an okay time out there on your end, dealing with some stuff you're dealing with. But uh, thank you, man, for the $50 donation. That's very kind of you. Very kind of you, as always, though. You're one of my biggest supporters on this channel, not the biggest, so thank you so much, man. He says, so does Witherspoon have no self-confidence or a ton of it? I would, reckon, I would reckon to believe on this, John, that there's maybe a, maybe a little bit of a blind spot here on this one as to that this isn't, that the, the look of this kind of has a blowback quality to it that you might not be thinking about a little bit. Um, these players are get, these players are instructed to listen to their agent and they're instructed by their business manager and their family and their accountants and their, you know, they, they get told through the prop by former players, listen to your agent. He's got, don't override your agent. You know, that's, these players have these agents so that they don't have to be the ones sitting there determining what is the right course of action. This is probably why I come to John not getting as much in a fret with Witherspoon on this, or as we had a couple of people say, is this you know, an indication of him being a diva at this point? I don't arrive there because you can't tell a player to trust his representation and then not trust his representation because he doesn't get the deal done. And that's, especially for a young guy, I mean, this is a kid at this point. You know, it's not a 35-year-old man who's been through and seen some things and understands kind of what's going on. So I think he's probably just has a little bit of a, blind spot to how this looks and how this will be received the longer this goes. Um, and I don't know why really the agent's going to choose to die on this hill a little bit with him for his client on this. That's the other part of this. Because as we talked about with this, John, and you being, you being an accountant, you know on this, it's like the money's the money. It's slotted. It's set. You're going to get it. And my point on it too earlier on this channel, we are talking about this, John, is that if you're going to be this agent that's like, we want to get our money on the front end in a bonus because we're worried if it's on the back end, you're going to do something to try to get out from under it if he's injured or something. Okay, take that line of thought if you're an agent. Okay, fine. Where's my track record as a franchise that you're dealing with right now? Not a one-size-fits-all, all 32 NFL teams operate like that. Where is the, where is the example on this current franchise's history? We've had that happen with the first-round pick that we've taken. Please, please be, please show us that. Please show us that guy that that occurred on. And when the agent's not able to do it, then you go, okay, so what are we talking about here? You know, let's get this deal done. So, so there's, there's some stupidity here. There's some greediness here, John. There's the agent wanting to look good because he's trying to recruit. And, you know, let's face it, when, when you're an agent trying to recruit guys out of college, because everything is so slotted, how do you set yourself apart? How do you go to a guy and say, you know, why you're going to want to go with me rather than agent B 
is because I can get you more money. I can't get you more money. It's slotted. There's no extra money to get. What I can get you, the one thing I can get you is I can say, hey, I'll get you more of that money up front. And the money you get up front is money now you can go invest. Is money now that you have in hand. Money you're not waiting for that's sitting in the pocket of an owner. Why should it be sitting in the owner? You should be getting it on the front end. So it's, it, this is that coming into play. Um, and it does make it frustrating. And boy, I'm feeling the frustration too, John, within the chat. Not, it's, a lot of folks are, are not happy about the situation with Witherspoon doing this uh, in, as a first look into camp. Um, and if it does get John into a weak status, I'll start to get a little bit like, what, what the WTF here? What the hell? What, what's going on? What, what are we trying to accomplish here? But it does make a lot of sense. And that's why I think it will resolve itself really fast. But I, I think it's more, John, he's just going, I've been told to trust my representation. I'll trust my representation. If they say this isn't a good deal, then I'm not going to consider this a good deal. And uh, I get his stance on that to trust his representation. You play football, you know, it's, it, it, you don't want those guys coming in at, at the random moments into negotiations to put their two cents in. Or if I have a guy that does that, I'd, I'd rather a guy that's been through a few contract discussions at that point. Certainly not a young kid that's never been through this before, you know, it's hard for me to say blame him on it. It's more to me, John, you come back and it's the agent just being kind of silly, being a little silly, being kind of a lot silly, actually. I mentioned John, thank you for the $50 donation, man. Hope you're doing well out there tonight as well. Good to see you in the chat and always so kind. Stuttery boy this is John Schneider doing something potentially weird. I am intrigued. I think you should be intrigued, Stuttery boy. I don't think you create six point one million dollars of cap space. I don't think that you remove the flexibility of being able to move off of Quandre Diggs next year just for uh, craps and giggles. You know, I think you do it because you got some other move you're looking to make at some point here fairly soon. Maybe at the end of training camp, maybe they wait all the way to a trade deadline deal. But this does provide now a lot of flexibility to potentially go out there and make a move and add a, a fairly quality player into the mix if they should show, choose to do so. SBZ says, any thoughts on other defensive tackles we might trade for? I was hoping for Derek Brown until he signed. Derek would have been great, BZ. Uh, he would have been great. And boy, these defensive tackles are getting paid like almost no other position in the NFL throughout this offseason. Uh, Dron Payne, Lawrence kid out there with, uh, with the Giants. Um, geez, Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, man, everyone's getting paid. <laughs> Derek Brown, they're all getting paid. And there's not many really high-end quality ones left at this point, BZ. I think we're going to start getting into more of the tier two. So there's the, I think is the, 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 the Cleveland one or the Cleveland one out with the Colts. They've got a run stuffing defensive tackle. It was on about a, like a $9 million contract. Obviously Buckner would be great, but I don't know if he's even available. BZ. The other guy's a pretty good run stuffing guy that you could take a look at. Um, Leonard Williams of the giants, but that's one you're going to have to wait along down the line until probably the trade deadline to take a look at him. It's we're into more. I think firmly at this point, BZ, if we want to remove Jones, you're into tier two at this point. There's not some disgruntled defensive tackle out there who uh, who's waiting on a contract, who hasn't got it, who's really, really plays well. The team just doesn't want to pay him. They all got paid. Every one of them got paid. And almost all of them in this one off season. I'll try to come up with some more because I've been more locking in on some of the big names thinking they'd make a big swing here, BZ. I'll start looking a little bit more, maybe the trying to pick through who's really a roster bubble guy who maybe has still a little bit of tank left in the, in the, in the, in his play, but who's maybe getting a little bit older, a little expensive that will make him a cut target 
uh, and try to see if I can find me one of those guys that kind of foots more of the bill now for our expectation level. We'd love a shot at the moon. We might have to just settle for lower, lower orbit. <coughs> Alexander, we should try, we should try to trade Fant or Disney before the trade deadline. We'd save another 6 million for on either of them. And we don't really need both, especially Grindorf, if Grindorf pans out. You could move with either of them. Alexander, you're right. Um, there's certainly a, a way to save the money with both of those two guys, and you could pick an either or on it. Uh, Grindorf is, to me, more of an inline guy than he is your move-based tight end like Fant is, so Disley would be more of the fix. But you could turn Colby Parkinson into your move tight end and have this guy's another inline guy and then still move off of Fant. So you can kind of take either one um, on that one. Grindorf will be a very interesting guy, though, to monitor through this training camp because the reason you give on that being that if he comes in and he's able to be impactful even as a blocker, that starts to give Seattle a little bit more of a maybe a, a, an itching to think maybe we can go off of one of these guys, save a little bit of money here and continue to add to the stack in order to build it up in an, another position elsewhere, especially for a team that might not be running as many two or three tight end sets this year because they're going to lean into more of the three wide receiver sets this particular season. Megan says, didn't we just re-sign Disley, though? Uh, we signed we signed Disley, but you can technically, I think, save money right now, Megan, moving off of him. So it's it's a deal that was structured in a way that you had kind of a yearly flexibility on it to be able to save some money if, if you wanted to go a different direction with it. I don't think it's I don't think it's a likely thing to come down the track, though. I will say that. Ellen, has Brandon talked about Witherspoon yet? Oh, so we just, yeah, I just covered it. Just got that one in there. Herbicide says, how's it going to look left to right? Mafe, Draymond Jones, Reed, Mario Achena. Achena um, is going to be your weak side defensive end. You know, so he'll be that, he'll be at that spot. You'd have then, you'd have then Draymond Jones as your, your, also then as your, you know, weak side Um He'd be your weak side defensive end, essentially at that point. And then you would have Jaron Reed as your zero tech. And then you would have Mario Edwards Jr. as your strong side 4i defensive end. And then you would have Boye Mafe as your strong side outside linebacker. That would be the, definitely the look more often than not. Diddy Catlover, the deers were prancing, laughing out loud. Did you mean the receivers were prancing? No, man. It's like, a, you know. Like a Disney cartoon. That's how I, it's like a Disney cartoon where the sun begins and you hear the birds twirl, you know. So that's what I see in my mind for training camp. The other receivers are probably prancing too. Retruth, uh, no problem. I feel your pain. Idaho has, has a few 12s mostly in the big city. I'm farm community. Kenny Miller, prime days. Prime days. Gibson says, I'd say our D front is still the major question mark and weakness of our team. I think that's fair. Did the cat lover want either a group of locals or Balmer to buy the team, keep team here and have a true sports fan buy the team? I Balmer has always been kind of my number one hope to, to buy the team too as well. I think Bezos is going to be the most aggressive and, and, and really, really aggressive at that. But Balmer would be great if he could.
Gibson says, I think KC will find a way to keep Jones, but if we can make a move to get him, I would support it. But I am happy with the path we are on right now. I think you uh, summate really well where I stand with it too. I'd love to go do it if we can go pick this up. I think KC will find a way to get the deal done. I think there are some moving parts to the deal that Casey's got to consider that goes beyond just rewarding a player that's been their most important defensive player going forward. Some of what dictates this is the is is their plan going forward for how they deal with their offensive line, for how they start to bring in the skill-making position players they're going to want to build around Mahomes going into the future. You know, is any of that impacted by now having to potentially give $30 million a year to Chris Jones? And uh, I think that does put them in a bit of a pickle in this situation, but you're right. I think they do end up finding some resolution one way or another with it. Herbicide, is Mario more of a run stuffer or a pass rusher? He's way more of a run stuffer, I would say, than a pass rusher, Herbicide. Tennessee Titans used him a little bit at times last year like a pass rusher, but he wasn't really efficient with it, and he was at his best in stopping the run and has been the last couple of years. Jacob says, oh, some good news. I've heard Purdy's throwing the football. Brock Purdy, starting quarterback for the 49ers. They sound like that. Maybe he's going to be ready. We'll see. Shanahan's been pretty unsure on that whole thing. Nathaniel says, can you update me on whether Uchenna got $59 million over three years or over the four years remaining? Seeing conflicting stories. I'm seeing conflicting stories as well, Nathaniel. So uh, give me until next Sunday to try to see where we'll, we'll, we'll probably know the contract by then. It's a guessing game right now until we can see the actual numbers to make the determination of how this, how this bears out. So uh, I, I've heard it's just the three extra years on the remaining year of the deal with the money. That's how I've heard it to be. But we'll see here in a few days on exactly how it looks. And it's th- it is Uchenna Herbicide's point on that too, Nathaniel Parks. It's 45 million new money, basically. So far, 45 plus, I think the 13 at that point would be the way to look at it. So I guess that's 58. It's... Nothing new on the cap, though. I do know that. It's no new cost on the cap. Alan says, Rand, uh, uh, BZ, it would be cool to see Jody buy the team along with Pete when he retires or at least part of the ownership group with Bezos. I'd like that. That'd be nice. He cool to see a couple players in on his minority owners, too. Like, how about, like, you know, you got a group of, like, Marshawn, Cam, and crew of those guys kind of come together. That'd be That'd be kind of cool. If they could pull it off. Kirk uh, Cirrus, Cirrus, thank you for becoming a Hawks Nest Pro Bowler. I appreciate it, Kirk. Looks like we've got some new members. Thanks to some of our uh, Hawks uh, members in the channel doing some gifting of subs. So if you were just gifted a subscription, do please keep an eye on your community post. We'll be doing a show tomorrow. I do a members-only show on Thursday at 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So uh, do be on the lookout for that. But thank you, Kirk, for jumping aboard the Hawks Nest uh, membership program. Appreciate you. John says, Witherspoon isn't looking for more money. It's just more up front. He won't get it. Yeah, makes it silly, John. If you're going to hold out, hold out for more money. If you aren't getting more money, then what are we doing here? You know, And, and that's where the agent comes back, John, to me and goes, well, get the more money in the hand now. What if he gets a catastrophic injury after year one? And it's like, yeah, but that does never happen. You know, If you're going to bring a fear to me as far as an agent and say, I have this concern, this is going to happen to my client. It's my job to protect my client. It's got to be a valid fear can't be one that you just invent for the sake of trying to make yourself look better to gain more clients, which is exactly what this agent is doing. Mr. Thick, if I remember correctly, Joey Bosa also sat out training camp to negotiate his bonus on the rookie deal. Nothing we should be panicking about. Agreed, Mr. Thick. Well said, and I agree. 
Connor says, I prefer green over wolf gray personally. I'm more of a wolf gray guy. DJ says, was uh, Jaron Reed Ataba Rubin's successor? I think that sounds... I thought they maybe played alongside each other for a little while in a year. Can't remember. Alan says, I heard Pete Carroll wasn't down with cheating, so Robert Kraft canned him for Bill of Cheat. <laughs> well, they don't call it the evil empire for nothing. You don't get an evil empire without an evil billionaire. Rumble podcast in the house. What's up, Rumbler? Faces the weather's great right now. Weather's beautiful. John Stillwell, on top of a big time $50 donation, has just gifted 20 Hawks Nest memberships into the chat here, man. John, thank you so much for gifting those memberships. So, uh, Ben Dennett, Tyson, Santi Saucier, Sham Sajir, Kelly, uh, Drop Top Submarine, James C., Just Tags, The Seahawks Times, Jacob Haas, Aiden Eccles, Don Don Power Ranger, Space Beef Stew, Flick of the Switch, Chronic Feet. FT, Chronic FT, Moo, Mike Smith, Steve looking for silver, Sons of Patriarchy, Ayush, William Asabako, Walter Peoples, Tobias Otter, and Max. You have all just been gifted a membership by John Stillwell. John Stillwell, thank you for gifting all of those memberships. 20 memberships to the channel, Seahawks Times. I saw your uh, email, by the way. I will be responding to you, man. I'm sorry, this week has been nuts with the Sunday, Monday, Wednesday stream. I'm on Bleacher Report on Friday. And I got the members channel show tomorrow. So I've just been prepping and getting done all for all the shows I got lined up this week. It's been a little bit nutty, um, but I will be getting back to you Seahawks time on your email with that. So bear with me, man, with that. But John, you're the man, brother. You know, you're the man. I appreciate you, man, so much for all you do on this channel from a sports standpoint. And uh, folks, those memberships this Thursday, five o'clock Pacific Standard Time, we'll be doing the member show on into the future at that very same time. So please do keep a look on that. Kelly Tangerine says, what is John Schneider cooking? It's got a little pesto in it, okay? He's looking at me, throwing some shrimp in there. I don't know if it's going to be jambalaya, okay? Maybe he's just going to just cook some nice, nice little just some, some weird kind of chili or something. I don't know what he's doing. But I think he's up to something, Callie. I don't think he's just creating this space just for the hell of it, you know? John, thank you for all those subs you gifted, man. You're amazing, brother. Amazing. Space Space sees John and he says, hold my beer coming in with 10 gifted memberships as well on top of that. Thank you, Space, for gifting those memberships. So Tyler Mariano, Alan Eight, Jack Glastra, Julius Garcia, Alex Farias, Tim Shumi, Benelli, Matt, Matko Crocan, MX Nance. You uh, have all been gifted a membership. So thank you, Space, for coming in hot too as well. Appreciate you, brother. Very, very kind of you guys for doing that, man. Welcome aboard, everybody, on the new membership program. <laughs> Appreciate you. Derek Lighting fan, you were gifted too. You're on that mix. John says, I think the holdout record since the rookie salary cap was implemented is 31 days, Joey Bosa. Bosa brothers are definitely not shy about making sure they get their money. Can't blame them on that. They've had a lot of injuries, but between the two of them, you got to make sure you get your money. But yeah, that's, uh, that sounds right, John. And there's not been a lot of guys willing to sit out during this slotted rookie contract stuff that's been implemented since it has been implemented. But it has been a thing that's been too every, has every year seemingly kind of grown more and more where these rookies and their agents, because what are you going to do? You got to better the, what the previous guy did. That's the only way to up your rep. So the previous guy was able to get 
45% of the bonus in the first year and you'll get 65%. And then the guy after you could get 70%. And then you get to the place where the teams are eventually like, look, we're not giving you 100% of the bonus up front for your next four years. We're not doing that. The answer is no. <laughs> and I get that from a team's perspective. It pushes just a little bit too far. Jacob says, Brando got kind of triggered when the one dude talked about Gino taking a step back this year. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, John. That was, Jacob, that was kind of one of the few times we had in the, um, in the discussion with Jesse where I was a little bit, I was a little bit bristly. As we were discussing earlier here on the channel a bit with this, you know, I hear pundits and I hear certain people talk about Gino taking a step back. And as always, you can convince me of a standpoint that I don't necessarily agree with. But if your standpoint is just going to be, he's going to take the step back just because, you know, there's no way you can do what he did last year. That's not solid reasoning. That's not, you know, basing it on anything that, that is grounded in, you know, reality or, or logic or anything else. That's just, I have a gut feeling this guy is going to be bad because of my gut feeling. And so I, I have heard it a little bit when it comes to Geno Smith, not as much from within our fan base here, of course, but you hear it nationally as far as the perspective goes, or even like Jesse is and his outlook of it. And he's not a, ever been a, a firm believer in Geno at all. So he's been consistent in his outlook and standpoint on it. But where I go from with it is that I can have a lot of confidence that Gino is going to maintain. And I can back a lot of that up as I did with, with Jesse on the show is to say, look, Gino's going to remain where he's at, if not improve because of A, B, C, D, and E. The person telling me that Gino's going to take a step back doesn't even have an A. It's just, well, you know, he's just done it for one year. That's their A. Okay. That's A. What's your B? Well, he's just done it for one year. You don't have a B, C, D, E? No, I just think my gut instinct says he's only done this for a year old. So that's not enough for me. And I will, I, I am at a point, I think, well, or I will get a little triggered by that and push back on that on the people that say that, because you can make, you can make those kind of audacious statements, but then back it up. Tell me what it is that you base that on. And it can't just be your gut instinct. And Gino put up remarkable stats across the board, set Seahawk records last year, how he played and how he won and how he carried the day was done in a way that should give you confidence that he replicates that, not that he takes a step back. He even answered the calls about him not being able to bring teams back in the fourth quarter. He did that a couple of times. So, yeah. That one set me off a bit. John says, one of my favorite moves made in a hot game was Dave Craig replacing Jim Zorn. <laughs> Shots fired, John. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Oh. Gibson says, people forget how good of a coach Chuck Knox was. He was a three-time coach of the year. His failures in the playoffs probably kept him out of the Hall of Fame. Fantastic coach. Uh, you can go back and watch a lot of the season retrospectives of players talking about Coach Knox during the time they had gone through it. And uh, you, it's rare you didn't hear players talking about him with reverence and, and liked playing for him. He had the old school kind of uh, mentality out there as far as the coach he was, blood and guts and all that. But uh, a fantastic coach, a very good, uh, really good about implementing a real creative rushing attack that was hard to defend, that commanded you to bring up guys into the box that, that um, you know, then he could take advantage of you over the top with Largent. That stuff worked really well between, his run game with Largent worked really be well between each other. And then the defense that he would send out there. I mean, he would, he would bring every guy up on the line of scrimmage. Knox was not scared of the casino blitz. You know, he wanted to bring pressure. He wanted to bring the heat. 
Um, he, he dropped back in the zones and the soft coverages two at times, but they, they liked the, he was more aggressive. I felt like defensively than probably just about any coach we've had come through here. Quite frankly, I've had a lot of coaches come through that just play more of that soft style of defense and just kind of sit back and it's a more of a read and react kind of thing. His defense took it to you. It was a mentality thing. Uh, Mega says, uh, Craig only makes quarterback after Zorn had his ankle smashed and you know, at Hawks nest. I, I, I'll agree with that. <laughs> Rumble podcast Gene uh, genuinely do not understand the Gino regress perspective seems insulting to Gino's football IQ and the work he put in what detail about this offense makes that seem likely to these people I think you capture well just what I'm feeling on this too what what is it he has a he has his two rookie tackles last year who played through all the season Nobody in the modern NFL has had to deal with two rookie tackles. He had three rookie starters across the board last year. He had no slot receiver for a very good portion of the season, yet he set those records as he did, yet he played as well as he did. Now we come back to this next year. He doesn't have rookies starting. He has second-year start guys starting who you know did okay last year, but they'll take steps forward. You know He's, he's going to have a slot this year that's the 20th pick in the first round of this draft and looks every bit like maybe a star on the rise, at least as the early reports that we've heard. His offensive line across the board is going to get better. He's got more running backs to go to. He still has all the tight ends to throw to that he amassed 1,100 yards in the back of last year when he threw to them. I agree. There's nothing he's lost. And then he's come into this offseason. He signed a quarterback-friendly contract with a $10 million cap hit. He's worked since literally the final playoff game. He's been back in that weight room working his butt off 24-7. There's, there's nothing you can pick apart on this on the regression train other than going back and saying, as I said with this, you know, well, he just did it for a year. So that means he'll fall back. It's only one year he's done it. Well, that's the first opportunity he's gotten in 10 years. So even that one doesn't hold up very well. Gibson says, I think Knox lost four conference championship games. Sounds right. Sounds right. It's weird too, because it's, you know, his his style of play is one that you would have thought would have done better in postseason. Run-centric nature of things. It's going to play good defense, value special teams, not needing to necessarily throw the rock all over the football field. But indeed, just fell short when it came to playoff time. Drew Blanick says, feels like the channel is going to blow up. People really like the live streams. Oh, I agree, Drew. And we've been, we've been cooking through the offseason, man, and I've, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a ball with it. I certainly, what I've got to do is get better this year about getting the clips out, you know, and stuff that's out, that's more clip centric. Cause there's certainly a lot of folks that are not as much into the four or five hour long streams, which I understand, but, um, that's the next thing for me to knock out on the channel. And if I can do that, we'll definitely, we'll definitely blow up big time throughout this season. That's going to be kind of the forefront, forefront of what I'm going to try to get tackled this year as we come up to it. But, uh, I'm having a great time, man. We got the community in a great place too, Drew, where it's, it's so much Great discussion with the folks who come in here. Everyone knows what time it is. You know, nobody's coming in here. And even if you had a bad day with, with, with your baggage on it, you know, everyone knows we're coming in here to talk football and talk, how is this team going to get better? What's this team going to look like? And uh, I love it. I absolutely love it, man. Thank you, though. Appreciate it. I hope you're right. Maze Guru says Chuck Knox equals run, run, pass, punt. Later. Lather, rinse, repeat. I'll give you that. He was not the most creative guy in the play calling, and it was run, run, pass. It what that was maybe in probably maybe the downfall you get to the playoffs of if you're that hardened into running that style, uh, a smart defensive coordinator is going to eventually be able to to uh, outmove you on the chessboard because you're not playing chess at that point. You're getting very simplistic. 
Rumbler, this channel is top shelf. So deeply happy I found Brandon's content as early as I did. Y'all are my people. Well said, man. So very well said. Y'all are my people as well. Uh, John Stillwell with another $20 donation. Thank you, John. All the drops tonight, man. You're awesome, brother. Appreciate you so much, man. He says that Chuck Knox was a big proponent of gut pressure being the key to a good pass rush. Yeah, I, I can see where he, he would operate within that. Um, because you, you can always chip, you know? You can slide your protections. And if you start to generate it to where you have inside pressure coming and, and that's what the teams have to deal with more often than not, that starts to now remove those guys off the edge. And now the guys off the edge are able to be freed up in one-on-one blocks. And now they're going to be able to win those one-on-one blocks. You know, he, what, was, what I thought was interesting about Chuck Knox too, John, was that he was able to generate that pressure at times. He was able to bring down that heat near the box. And his defenses still didn't necessarily get gashed over the top. It always seems like that the that the price that you have to pay if you're going to be that pressure-based team is that you have to give up those big plays. But the team did find a way to to still make teams kind of earn it going up the football field if they were going to beat them like that, you know, in that manner. But uh, yeah, he would double-A gap blitzes, John, with two linebackers. He'd throw them up in there. And sure enough, you know, he was able with that, that lot of gut pressure. That's what ha- allows now Jacob Green. If you watch Jacob Green and you go watch his highlights, you'll notice He's getting a lot of single block situations, despite the fact that guy's a perennial 12, 13 sack a year guy for us for many years. But he couldn't get those double teams because this is what smart defensive coordinators do, of course, is they force you into single blocking a guy. The Rams do a great job of this with Donald. You have a a four-man front, and then you got the five offensive linemen. So what are the Rams going to do? Like what they did with Bobby last year, and they weren't able to probably really take advantage of this as much as they thought they were going to be able to because uh, Aaron Donald was out most of the year. But you know Donald's going to pull the double team naturally if you leave the five on the four. And so what you do is you bring up the fifth man in the blitz, not as much hoping he gets home, but that he creates now the one-on-one situation for Donald. You pull the double team off of Donald at that point. You force the offenses to block it straight up. And uh, yeah, I think that's something that was uh, a big part of, of uh, you know Knox's deal. I've got a picture somewhere. I've got to go locate it. There's this funny shot I got against of them against the Kansas City Chiefs, John, where He's got everybody up on the line of scrimmage, which I knew where I could find. I got that somewhere in my, somewhere buried in my stuff, but it, it would be hilarious, John. You know, he's got, he'd have them um, just <laughs> all like, like 10 guys up on the line with one corner out there on a, on a big time island. And, and, and it's weird with that is that he brings all that blitz, John, but then he's obviously so risk averse when it comes to the offensive side of the ball with the run, run, pass nature of things. It was a weird dichotomy with Chuck because he'd be a little bit more willing to, uh, you know, unleash the dogs on defense, and then, but then on offense kind of keep the cards a little more closer to the vest, you know, kind of keep the games tight a little bit. But I, I loved it. I miss, the, I miss it, John. I go back and watch those old Chuck Knox games and you see us bringing all this pressure and heat up on the line of scrimmage and you're like, man, I sigh and I go, oh, I haven't seen that in 30 years. <laughs> Because right, Holmgren wasn't bringing a lot of pressure. Mora wasn't bringing a lot of pressure. Pete's not bringing a lot of pressure. I mean, geez, even going back to Coach Erickson. Erickson wasn't a real big pressure-based guy for his time here. You got to go all the way back to Knox to find those kind of looks. That's why I said I'd love to, next time we do turn this over, is go maybe a little bit more to a, just to get a different style, if anything, John, you know? 
But thank you, man, for the $20 donation, all the, the, the 20, the 50, the membership drop, brother. You're awesome. You're awesome. Uh, Real Cheese with a $5 donation. Says if Bezos bought the team, uh, if Bezos bought the team, could he have the power to make their games more Amazon exclusive? Uh, no. The only way that could occur is if Amazon was looking to enter more of the marketplace as far as football games go, and that being beyond just simply running Thursday night games. Because they're, I think by the new rules, the team can only play Thursday night up to two times a year, if I'm not mistaken. So if that's the case, then Real Cheese, you're locked in only having two games. You're not going to get more than that. Are you going to make, is, are they going to be on Amazon twice at that point every year? Yeah, probably. But you only then do get the two games a year. So it would require Amazon to expand their packaging with the NFL, which could happen. Right now we're hearing about, you know, ESPN trying to entice the NFL in order to buy a piece of them. And if that doesn't work, and if something goes wrong there with the ESPN situation, that maybe they've got to pivot to a different place. And Amazon would certainly be a natural spot to maybe slide to um, in, in their look to try to expand what they've got going. So, um, yeah, no, it wouldn't be more exclusive on that real cheese. Just those two Thursday night games, unless something changes. Joe Stevens, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you, Joe. He says, I got to run, guys. Have a good night. Hey, you have yourself a great night, Joe. Thank you for the donation. I appreciate you uh, tuning in and listening and watching and all that. You're awesome for doing so. We got we got memberships being uh, handed out here, folks. It's good. You got to stay in the chat. You might get yourself a membership if you do. Joe Mannix says, we are more than one move away. That's a fair point, Joe. That's a fair point to operate from, you know. Um, I could be talked in that direction to a degree. I think it does depend a little bit, Joe, on the move you make. I mean, if you get Chris Jones in here, you know, what, what is the other move that has to be made to make this team a Super Bowl contender at that point? You, you could maybe talk me into the, well, we need more of the development, more of the maturation process with the young guys. I'd say that's fair. But if it's about we need to more add more talent, more ability to this team, where? Your secondary stacked at that point. Your defensive line's getting pretty close to getting pretty strong at that point. Just even by one player like that, that does strengthen everything out because not only do you add an extra player that's star power, but you're also rounding down and, and lengthening out the rotations in the right fashion. You know, a rookie like Mike Morris goes from a guy that you got to rely upon to a guy that you can just kind of fit into that rotation spot. Um, and certainly maybe you could say one more defensive lineman, one more linebacker, but I think you'd be as stacked up from a talent standpoint as just about anybody else in this league. Uh, even the even the front-running teams out there have positional players that aren't good at spots. Nobody's super complete all the way down the line as a Super Bowl contender. The Niners, for instance, have questions all the way throughout that secondary short of Tredavious Ward. Sean, Deshaun Gibson had one good year as, after being a journeyman his whole career. That doesn't mean that that's going to necessarily last. They lost Ward this offseason, the other Ward that they had in that, in that secondary. Uh, they got a big question mark there. Their offensive line's got a 35-year-old left tackle who's one of the best players in the sport, but the rest of the line's got some question marks, you know, along it. So it's every, every team's going to have a few of those a little bit to a degree. Diddy says, I'm proud Gino's our quarterback. But it's a, I want to say, Joe, it's a fair point, don't Joe. I'm not pushing back on it too much. I just, I think that's also worth considering too on the other side. Diddy, uh, I'm proud Gino's our quarterback. He's done the right things in the offseason and plays like his leadership. Players like his leadership. Everybody's pro Gino, man. And I love what I've seen from him this offseason. He's making all the right moves. All the right moves. Jared, 
Terry Charles says, I was at that, uh, the Oilers game, Terry, many moons ago. Oh boy, that is many moons ago, Terry. <laughs> Would have been a good game to go check out though. In the kingdom, right? Joe Mannix says defensive end and corner needed. I'm you can give me maybe a defensive end, but Joe, you're you're set at corner. You just drafted a top five guy. You got Tariq Woolen ascending to being a star. You're gonna have Kobe Bryant back into the mix. Still Trey Brown and Michael Jackson back there. Even uh Artie Burns as your as your back end guy isn't the worst as your final corner on your roster. I don't know. Defensive end maybe, but corner we're pretty good at. Nathaniel says it's hard to hate Gino. Just genuinely wanted another opportunity. Doesn't appear to care about money. Seems down to earth. Very easy to root for. To your point on that, Nathaniel. I mean, he's he's a guy that so many of these players misstep and and go the 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 total tone deaf direction where you go read the room, and he has read the room perfectly since ascending to becoming starting quarterback in every which way and form. Um, very, it's been very impressive watching Geno Smith's ascent. That's why I'm so, uh, you know, hot on this with him as far as, you know, having faith in this guy and, and going to bat for him a bit. Because you are doing so many things right. It's like you've earned, you've earned the right for people to have a little bit of your back on this go. And you watch what happens with him this year. John Stillwell says the Hawks are going to the Super Bowl this year. Uh, let's go, John. Let's go. I like the confidence. May says I was pulling for Locke last season, but after I saw Geno Cook, I changed my mind in a hurry. Me as well. You're in that job. Nathaniel Park says, even if we got to the Super Bowl, could we compete with the top AFC teams? Well, by that point, I mean, anything can happen, Nathaniel. It's a long season by that point. Where are those teams from a health standpoint? Where are we from a health standpoint? What what is it costed to get you there? Uh, what is the matchup? I mean, football is a stylistic thing as much as it is a talent thing. How do you stylistically match up against the team that you play opposite you? For instance, on this, Nathaniel, you know, if you go up against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs that wants to try to throw a little bit more, and they're not going to try to be as committed to running the ball, they run for show, they throw to go. Well, that might go a little bit more into the teeth of the Seahawks defense in the way that they've set this up being so secondary heavy. So it is a bit of a, to me, a stylistic thing as much as anything else. Other teams that are built a little bit different, a a Ravens team got to the Super Bowl, that might be more of a problem, Uh, a matchup, even though technically the Chiefs are considered the better overall team. But that's that stylistic aspect of things. Drew says, Brandon, going to be a busy man from here till the Seahawks Super Bowl. And I'll have a big fat smile on my face every single day I do it. <laughs> it's a good busy, as they like to say on that. Herbie said, uh, Hawks Nest, when are you going to do the Niners uh, Dudes podcast? That was great, by the way. I think you guys should do a few more over the season. So we're going to sync back up Herbicide and do um, two more. We'll be, we'll be doing um, right before both of the two games, both weeks. Uh, if we obviously face in the playoffs, we'll do it again. We figured it out this time too, a way where I can stream and he can stream at the same time. So technically he streamed to his, uh, uh, he streamed to his channel as well um, on Monday. So we were able to kind of figure it out because before, you know, if you came on mine, then you have to come on yours. You couldn't do, we, we didn't have the dual stream setup thing going. So we'll go, uh, we'll go again. About, but we got to wait a week. It's going to be like, what, week 12, week 13, wherever we're playing them at. Um, and then we're going to play them in two or three weeks. So you know, we'll be doing a couple times, though, at that point. For sure, we'll be syncing up with them uh, around that time, Herbicide. I really enjoyed uh, I really enjoy uh, chopping it up with Jesse. He does great work over there. Brian says, I... Uh, b- 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 
Kelly, uh, who would be a good team to face in the Super Bowl? I know it's it's scary for some to mention Mahomes out there and say, well, you know, Mahomes, but I, I think Kansas City from a stylistic standpoint of things could be a matchup that the Seahawks could deal with. I think even the Bengals are a team that stylistically the, the, that the Seahawks could deal with. Um, those would be teams that are, they're, they're the best of the best in the FC, don't get me wrong. But I, I feel like you get a quarterback like a Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson against a defense like ours that might try to drop a little bit more into the coverages and might now, if if read one, two, three is gone, that guy can run. And then, then that, 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 proves, that proves to be a little bit more problematic, I think, for defenses versus the guy trying to go back there and, and throw it into this defense in the secondary. So I, I think those would be two teams that would actually be two teams would be good. I think a Bills, a, a Bills Ravens team would be tougher for us, you know, as possible matchups go. Kind of saw this last year with like the, the matchup with Herbert, you know. Chargers would be another team where if you faced them in the Super Bowl, it's, you know, we can talk about what their defense can do to you, but offensively, you know, you you feel like you can ham up Herbert with the way you've designed this defense. Um, and they're kind of uniquely so in that. Now, the, the flip side of this, of course, is that we have huge issues in stopping the run. So if you do face the team that is committed to running the ball, then that's that's going to change this up a little bit. That's going to be a bit of a tougher matchup. Nathaniel Park says, I don't know if we can beat the Chiefs-Bills. Last season's Chiefs game was not a vote of confidence. Yeah, I, I think we've got to look at it, though, with a grain of salt when looking at the last five games of the year. You know, you have a team re rebuilding. You have a team that's, Nathaniel, you're sitting on $57 million of dead money. You're not sitting on $57 million of dead money if you played them this year. You know, you're going to have a better team this year. You had rookies hitting the wall by last season. You had pass protection failing by the, that point last season. The run game wasn't as good. Um, not to mention defensively, Nathaniel. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you had like Tease Tabor out there playing and Jonathan Abram out there playing for you. I mean, it was it was kind of it was kind of rough. Um, linebacker will be better this season, so I I can see that. I understand that a little bit, but I think we'd be better against the Chiefs, especially on a neutral field. John Stillwell says, "Good points, Brandon. That's why you're the man. No, you're the man, man." All the support. Appreciate you, brother. You're the man. No, you. No, you. You. You're good. You're good, you. Maze Guru, oh my God. If we played the if we played and beat the Bills in the Super Bowl, the fans there would just die. Remember the four straight Super Bowl losses? I think that there'll be literally a good amount of the population in Buffalo that will suffer a heart attack if they have to go through another lost Super Bowl if they get there. That would be such a brutal turn for them. But if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. If I gotta, I gotta break the heart of every single man, woman, and child in Buffalo to to get our another Lombardi Trophy in Seattle. I'm doing that every day. I'm making those I'm making those children cry every day, and I ain't apologizing for it. Give me that Lombardi, <laughs> Mom. Our Super Bowl. Go get Jonathan Allen's autograph. WTC says, what do you think about Jaron Reed at the nose tackle? I'm good with it. Jaron Reed's uh, original origin story comes from one of being a one tech at Alabama. That's what he was pure and simple over there. Uh, you got him. And he was a guy that you thought could maybe give you a little bit of pass rush coming out, but that's his, he was a run stuffer coming out of Alabama. He transitioned here once he came to Seattle, partly because he got better as a pass rusher, partly because there wasn't a three tech that you had in place uh, and you were kind of screaming for that need. And he fit into that need. 
And he was able to be productive for a couple of seasons operating from the three-tech in a 4-3 defense. But his origins are as a one-tech. And I think if you can do one-tech, you can probably do nose tackle. They both do very similar things. You're taking on a double team, oftentimes at the point of attack. And you need to be able to be immovable in that role. Uh, Jaron Reed can do that. He used to do it back in the day. I think what it requires him to do, and he started to make this transition, if you look at him statistically last year with PFF and how he played and what the role was he was in with, I think, the Packers, was that he slid more back into that role even last year. They weren't asking him to rush the passer. They didn't need to. You know, They had they have their Rashawn Garys and their Clarks inside over there. They didn't need Jaron to do that. They needed him to be a run stuffer. So he's already started to transition back this way to what he was before he kind of moved to more of a pass rusher. And I do think that these defensive tackles, WTC, sometimes have to sacrifice some of the run-stuffing nature to become those pass rushers. This was the point I was making to Jesse on his channel about Javon Hargrave. While Hargrave is the one of the best interior pass rushing defensive tackles in the sport, it's very notable that the guy for the last three seasons has been miserable as a run defender. Not merely bad, but miserable. As though he has given up any sort of predilection to stopping the run in favor of pinning his ears back and going after the quarterback 24-7. So uh, if you can maybe make a bit of the reverse transition of that, as I think Reed can, I think he can be actually pretty, um, he can be pretty solid in that role. Joe Mannix, Browns are loaded. Browns are looking good. They got a good team put together. Callis' Bills have a good fan base. Hope they win at least one ring. They should at some point. I agree with you there. They have a great fan base. Best, uh, we'd probably call it the best uh, tailgating in the NFL, maybe. Dare I say? Riverside, I like our chances with the Eagles. No way Penny and Swift will be healthy. Yeah, that's both those guys will probably be broken by that point, Herberside. That is true. They still got gain well at that point, but uh, we'll see. The Eagles had a hell of a draft, man. I'm, I'm very interested to see what kind of team they put out. Space isn't Spoon competing for cornerback with Mike Jackson. How is this not a big deal? That's one day. I, I don't think the competition is going to get determined on the back of one day gained, one gain lost. Um, if it if it lasts super long, then it's a, a little bit more of a bigger deal. But I think if it's a couple a day or two or a couple days, I think that can be mitigated. John Stella says the books in Vegas have the Hawks at third or fourth to win the NFC. That sounds right to me, John. We've kind of broke this down a little bit. It's Eagles. Okay. You know, they're, they, they've earned the right. They're not an old team. They've, they went out there and did what they did last year. And they've, they've certainly not lost a lot off. They've lost a couple of players, but they also added some other guys that could be interested and helpful. Uh, the Niners have certainly earned the right to be the number two, if not the number one right behind them. And then as you go to number three, who's the team who should be put in that place? And there's an argument to be made for a couple of teams. Uh, Cowboys could be in that in that realm if you said that, that that's the team should be given it. I go okay, maybe you know, maybe there. I don't think the Giants should be at all. I don't need anybody looking at the Giants and us says that's a better team than us. No way, no no way, shape or form on that. Um, maybe the Detroit Lions. You could make the argument, John. Right? Maybe you could on that. But then once you get past that, there's nobody else. So I, I think Vegas has got this one right. Drew Blanick says, we're probably the deepest team in the NFC. Our second and third string guys are starting caliber players. Certainly do have potentially the best depth, Drew. It's housed in a lot of youth, which is the part, you know, that, that 
it has a little asterisk there with that depth, but the depth is true. I mean, you have three tight ends deep, your tackles are set front to back, your guard center position set, four, four running backs, your receiver positions loaded to the nines. You got multiple safeties that are capable of starting, multiple slot cornerbacks, multiple corners who can start on the outside. Really, this defensive line and middle linebacker are really the only positions of kind of potential, a little bit of thinness. Uh, Nathaniel Parks, would Harrison Phillips, defensive tackle for Minnesota, be decent? Harrison, Harrison Phillips. I got to admit, I don't have a lot of knowledge of Harrison Phillips. Um, good, good run defending grade last year. Doesn't seem like he gives you a lot of pass rush, but he's a big body inside um, who can stop the run. 6'3", 307. So 34 tackles, two sacks last year. Kind of put up basically the season of Shelby Harris last year. I mean, it's almost exactly the numbers Harris put up last year. I wouldn't be against it. He'd help, Nathaniel. If we've got to trade for him, though, I'd just as soon as just sign Shelby because you're you're getting kind of an equivalency at that point without having to actually give up any sort of trade capital. Maxwell Stern in the house says, what's up? Any record predictions? I got 12 and five. Mike Smith says, woo, you guys rock. You rock, Mike. We got Mr. Kane in the house. What's up, Mr. Kane? Brother from another mother. Uh, Kirk Stemmer says, the bonus isn't the only sticking point for rookie contracts. Many of them want to get favorable offset language in their contract. Could be that too, actually holding it up with it. Yeah. There's definitely some particulars in there that could be that. I've heard on this one, it's the bonus deferment, but I don't think anybody knows on these negotiations either as far as reporting goes. Kelly Tangerine, I always come in hot with the jokes, man. Always come. John, you're awesome for the memberships, brother. Who's Boone's agent? His agent is uh I don't know. Doesn't say. Athlete. I guess he's hiding. He doesn't come up on the Google search. I don't know. Gibson says Smith will have more weapons offensively than last season. I want consistency from him over the course of the season. Me too. Me too. And I think if he has less of the failing parts as he did at the end of last year, that consistency will, will be there. Seahawks says, I think we signed Chris Jones. We're probably going to make a trade. I hope we do, Seahawks. Hope you're right. Nathaniel Parks, Gino will have stat regression at the least. Pete's, going, Pete's got more running backs, and he's going to run them all up the A-gap till they're all on the IR, and then Gino will cook. <laughs> fair, fair. And Zeox, yeah, we do have some space to work with right now. We do have some space to work with. Diddy Catletter, I hope the OL uh, is better, especially later in the year. Gino didn't have much protection at the end of last year. No, he didn't. That was a big part of, I think, the regression that occurred as the pass protection kind of broke down at that point. 
Spaces, who was the worst quarterback ever? Jamarcus Russell or Nathan Peterman? One of those two. Sajin Spoon's a rookie. How is he different from anyone else that's happy to be chosen to play in the NFL? JJ better not screw this up. Uh, Logan Simpkins, Brett Coleman broke down some stats from Geno. First in completions, uh, completions of 20 plus yards downfield and being first in completion percentage despite being 32 in yak. He basically hit every mark when he wanted. That's the part we come, you mentioned that as well, Logan. That's my, my feeling on this too, is that if you come back and look at Geno, he didn't just win in one way last year. You know, he didn't just win from the pocket. He could scramble around. He didn't need to be rust-like and extending plays to find success, but he could do that. Uh, he was tremendously accurate short. Like you mentioned, the completion percentage, throwing for nearly 70% of completion percentage is truly amazing. And if you usually saw that stat from a quarterback over the course of the year, you would then take from those numbers that he wasn't doing much to push the ball up the field. His average per attempt would be some of the lowest in football, you would think, at 70%. But indeed, with Gino, that is not the case. Because like you mentioned, Brett pointed out, he was also tremendously accurate on throws deep down the field. So how do you defend him on that way? What do you take away from him on that way? If you have a quarterback that can only do one thing, or let's say we had a quarterback in 2020 who shall not be named, who might have only been a really great deep ball thrower, who didn't really want to lean on the short stuff, who was not a guy that was going to be a high completion percentage guy at that point in time in his career. Well, then you as a defense could slide into a cover two look, take away that deep stuff, and then he wasn't going to eat you up underneath with the holes that were open there. Gina will eat you up with the holes that are open there. That's where we come back to. How does that regression happen? How does he, how does he you know, suffer from that at that point? Where does that show up? Does it show up in less talent around him? No. I think if somebody said there might be a stat regression where he doesn't have as many attempts, you know, you threw, I think, like 58% of the time last year, which is unusual for Coach Carroll, and those attempts might come down. But does that, does that mean his efficiency goes up? Does that mean he is not still nonetheless just as effective, if not more effective than he was last year with more of the talent there, another year suited into the starting role? Um, and as you also say, Logan, let's also factor in 32nd and yak. So whoever Geno Smith was throwing to last year was 32nd and yak, which isn't a surprise when it comes to a guy like Tyler Lockett, for instance, right? Who, who does fall down after the catch a lot. So he's doing his damage on the back of him throwing the ball, not doing the Tua Tagaloa, I'll throw a little three-yard bubble screen to Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddle, and then they're going to go house at 60 yards up the field. And it looks like on my stats, I threw a 60-yarder. You know, that's not, that's not the way it was with Gino. He was the absolute opposite end of that particular scale. Great, great point on your part, Logan. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, Connor Wilson with a $2 donation. Thank you, Connor. I do appreciate it. It says, Max Strong, his favorite Hawk, been with you for a long time. Well, thank you for hanging in for a long time as you are, Connor, and I appreciate the donation. Max Strong is a, a fantastic Hawk to have as a favorite. Um, you know, he's... He's in that place of a lot like Joe Nash was, where you know played 15 years, went through a lot of different, um, a lot of different coaches that came through here. A long time was through here, uh, but a tremendous player. He certainly is going to be at some point, Connor. I, I don't know when I'll get around to it, but I got to get around to it at some point. He'll be a player that is certainly going to be worthy of um, doing a video on at some point and doing a breakdown on on you know what made him go. I mean, even just Connor being able to show a great bunch of clip cutups of him just literally decleating linebackers out of the hole to clear the way for uh, Sean Alexander. Um, the guy was probably the best in, in Seahawks history from the fullback position at being just an absolute hammer in the hole. 
I mean, he could just deliver a punch. He was built like a fullback, just did like a pile driver when he would get in the hole. Uh, linebackers did not want to fill that lane when that guy was on the field. And uh, I'll eventually get a video done of him. I'll eventually put something together for you on that. So you'll, I know you'll dig that at that time. But uh, appreciate the long time uh, watching the channel, Connor. You're awesome for doing that, man. I, you're uh, tremendous. Randall McDaniel with a $5 donation. Says, didn't Derek Hall sign a rookie deal that's unprecedented for a second round pick? guaranteed or something close to it. Maybe that's Spoon's situation. Maybe that's making Spoon's situation harder. It could. It could. I mean, I'm, I'm making a complete guess in this game, Randall, with where negotiations at or where the, what's causing exactly the holdup. Um, these are all going to be behind closed doors. So it is, it is a blind guessing game, which I never liked the blind guessing game because it could be this, it could be that, it could be over here. You know, it, it, it's a little bit tougher with that. Um, I wouldn't think... I wouldn't think that that would be the impactful thing, Randall. Uh, I think I'd read that, you know, like Will Anderson and a couple of the other early first round picks got some real heavy amount of their guaranteed salaries on the front end of things. If I was making it, if I was hazarding a guess uh, on something that is a little more blind with this, I might say that that might have, that might be impacting it more than it is the guaranteed money that you did give Hall. I think you're right. Hall did, I think, get a little bit more guaranteed money than usually the second round picks get. This is what these agents are pushing for now. You know, this is that they had. It ain't about more money. It's about getting the money on the front. But I, that was what I was, when I was looking into this today, Randall, the thing that I noticed, I think like Will Anderson got a ton of his money on the, on the front end. And I think that's probably driving it harder if I was to guess. But I am completely a little bit uncertain at, at the holdup here because the money is slotted. You're going to get all the money. You know, what, what really is, what really is the worry? I know everybody wants insurance and all of that, but you know, kind of come on a little bit, right? Like, let's make this, let's make this go and get this going here. I'll be right back, folks. Get a little bit of coffee and uh, I'll be right on back. Uh, Sajin, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate it. it. says, Hawks have all their pieces in play. What would Christopher Watkins say to the team? He'd say, Coach Carroll 
listen, now you and the team, I see you. I know you're good. You're going to be really good this year. But where's Johnny Schneider? There you are, John Schneider. Listen, man, I'm telling you today here, one more move. One. Make one move. Do that. You go to the Super Bowl. Now. It's good you make a move because then you're going to win and not fall short. Now, maybe an inch short, you know, go harder. You could if you wanted. You don't have to, John, but I'm telling you now, do it. Make the trade. Chris Jones, he'll put you over the top. Best defensive tackle in the sport. John, now do it. Make the trade. I don't care about what you got to give up. Sign the deal. Now, John, do it. Super Bowl. Here we go. Thank <laughs> you for the five dollar donation, Sajin. Chris, Chris wants, Chris wants Chris. It's Chris on Chris right now. Mr. Walken is all in on Chris Jones. He's the best defensive tackle in my opinion. Just short of Aaron Donald, right with him. They're neck and neck. It's almost like they're kissing. They're so close with the talent. Why would you say no to that? Twenty nine. I don't know. It seems silly to me. No, I don't want that. I don't want my team to be better. Why? Who knows? Silly. <laughs> Cutter Oswagler. This is a random, but have you seen the Seahawks defensive heat chart showing where offenses completed passes above or below expected based on routes run? Woolen's whole side was below average. Putting some uh, clips together of Woolen. Uh, eventually going to be doing a video on him here prior to the season starting and just doing a little bit of a look-see at Woolen. And uh, yeah, that stands out. Look, the guy was, he's locked down on that side last year. You know, it, it, not that he was perfect, but he was locked down. And when you went over there, you're going to struggle. Um, I think then what also happened with this though, Connor, was that you got halfway into the year. Teams started to realize that Woolen was a problem. And then teams weren't going to run their best receiver out to that side. And so that meant Mike Jackson was then dealing with the number one receiver. And then you start to have something that adds up, Connor, to, okay, number one receiver's away from Mullen's side. He's matched up with Jackson. I don't want to throw to one side. I'm going to start to favor the other side. I'm probably going to find some more, you know, completions over that edge. On top of the fact that many teams knew that there was a lot of holes in the middle of this defense, especially with Jordan Brooks in coverage. I'm also putting together some cut-ups together for eventually a Jordan Brooks video where I'm really going to show some of the issues that we have to deal with him in coverage and where some of the, it's just so problematic with him back there at times because he just does not have a feel for it. And so you as an offense, if you're choosing where to attack the Seahawks, I go to the weaker corner on the other side, or I go to the softer zones that are usually going to be opened up over the middle of the field, or I can go to the lockdown corner. You know, you're, you're going to quickly go to those other two options first and foremost at the head of it. I hadn't seen the heat chart though, but it's not surprising. <laughs> yeah, Parks says, I don't know about a run D with Monet and Young. We're about to live and die by the A gap. It's going to maybe be a problem. I think Nathaniel too, off the back of what coach Carroll talked about today, you're going to probably also see more of Jaron Reed in that, uh, in that zero zero tech spot too. So he's going to be mixed in as well. We'll see if it can work. I'm a little reticent with you. I think we got to add somebody else.
Mr. Kane, thank you for gifting out five memberships on the channel. You're very kind for doing that, man. I do appreciate it. My brother from another mother. So Quick K, Isaac M, Jason Marquez, Michigan. Uh, you've been gifted an Eric Cotter. You've been uh, gifted memberships by Mr. Kane. Thank you so much for doing that. I hope you guys do appreciate that and do keep a check. Any of the new people have just become members of the channel, do take a look at your community post as I will be posting out links to the Thursday, 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, members-only, patrons-only show that we do. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Thank you for uh, gifting those memberships, though. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Sup says, we have, we've, we've, hot, we've hot two upgrades already, and the edge groups are going to be solid this year. Indeed, they are, Sup. I agree. Seahawks, they have to pay $20 million a year for Chris Jones. Oh, he's going to cost more than that. Right closer to the 30 mark. John says, I don't see us dumping the cash required to get Chris Jones. It'd be super costly. I think they might do it, John, if he was more of a guy that's 26 years of age. But I think that at 29, heading into 30, that, that definitely could be something that gives you the hesitation. I mean, the, the Rams just signed a similarly aged player last year in Donald to the contract, and he instantly broke down. And Seattle could definitely be looking at that going, no, we're not doing that. Nathaniel Parks, a few months ago, Sherman said on his podcast that Pete was going back to the 4-3. So with Jones and Reed on the inside, do we need another defensive tackle? Or was there no merit to what Sherman said? Some people have said that the, what Sherman said was just kind of more out of pocket. He was kind of doing the more guessing game. Some of this could also be a little bit of semantics. So, you know, technically speaking, Seattle last year had a lot of times they ran a, you could consider it kind of a four-man front. I've called it always, Nathaniel, they ran a lot of the two-man front where you have a guy in a one-tech role and a guy in basically a, a, a three-tech role, and then you've got your outside linebackers on the outside. Technically speaking, from a Sherman perspective, you could say that's a four-man front if you wanted to look at it that way. It's not really a four-man front, though, in how we kind of mean it. So I've heard no other indication out, outside of Sherman's soundbite that the team's going to move back to a 4-3 defense. Um, if you did move back to a 4-3 defense, your defensive line is actually probably in a better place because you have a couple of the one techs, you have a couple of the three techs. It's when you're going to the three, four, where you need the extra defensive line. And so with it, you need the defensive lineman. And so with it, you need the extra depth. That's where it, that's why it becomes so much more of an issue in the three, four, but I haven't heard him going that route quite yet. Mac Pacific Northwest says, Brando, I've missed you, bud. Missed you too, Mac. So this took some time away from the tube. I understand, man. We got a couple of folks returning now. It sounds like we're training camp and uh, that's the nature of the beast of it sometimes with it. So I appreciate you having back, man. Appreciate you watching. Tuning back in. I hope you're doing well. Gibson says, other than San Francisco and Philly, the NFC is open. Big move could put us over the top right now. And I think the division round is realistic. Agreed and agreed, Gibson. Some of my being informed in this situation is not merely us in a vacuum. Where's the team? Where's the age of the team? right? Um, is it that they're too young? No, it's also informed by what's, what's the lay of the land around us? Is the NFC strong this year or is it as weak a shape as we've seen in the last five to 10 years? Is, uh, is the division strong this year or is it as weak as we've seen in the last five to 10 years? And the answer to both those questions, in my opinion, is as weak as it's been in the last five to 10 years. And that at least to a partial degree, in my opinion, 
should inform your decision on going forward or not going forward this given year. I'm making an over-the-top type of move like you described. And Mac Pacific Northwest, the Ox roster is looking mighty solid. You can bounce a you can bounce a quarter off that roster. It's so firm. John says Gino throws one of the prettiest balls in the NFL. I was kind of notating that today too, John. I was watching a video on him um, throwing. Oh, it was the um, I think John, you probably saw the same tape. They, they, of course, Gino made the all the top one hundred, which is kind of weird this year. I, I, they've got Justin Fields ahead of Trevor Lawrence. I, it's it doesn't make any sense this year. But uh, Gino was on there, and I'll tell you, some of the throws where they had it captured on, you could just see how tight a spiral he throws, how quick the ball comes out of his hand. I mean, just it's there's no wobble. That thing can cut diamonds going through the air. It's it's such a tight spiral. Ran ran the cut says, can we just start the season this weekend? <laughs> I know, really, for real. You know, mere mere six weeks till the start of the year. Herbicide says, I'm saying I'd rather give up Taylor, Eskridge, Fant, uh, and Trey, Trey Jones or Mike Jack in a second over two first-rounders for Chris Jones. Me too, Herbicide. I'd rather try to find a package of players that we could include who don't necessarily have a long-term future here, but who would be viewed as a commodity by a team like the Chiefs. To me, the Taylor-Eskridge combination with Fant especially, I mean, that's three guys you package together that make a lot of sense. First off, let's say how it makes sense for Seattle. You have $9 million now you've freed up. You can essentially afford the Chris Jones contract of the first year cap hit by moving, keeping those three players included in the deal. Chiefs get some insurance for Travis Kelsey and Noah Fant. They also get a better second, second tight end of the roster than they currently have. They also get an H-back in Noah Fant that they don't really have as purely there right now. Eskridge gives them the insurance for Kadarius Toney, who just had some cartilage cleanup go down in his knee. And then Michael Jackson gives them some backup for their top two corners that aren't necessarily, they're solid, but maybe not dead set. I think that um, there could be, you'd still have to throw some picks in there, Herbicide, but it'd be enough to at least get it dialed back a little bit, I would think. Maze Guru says, would you rather, for the chat equals, would you rather have the first 12 picks next year or win the Super Bowl? Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Never turn down the chance to win the Super Bowl. Always take the bird in the hand with that one. Brad uh, Kerwood says, what's the word other than being an absolute unit of a general manager? John Schneider already is. You've just cleared out. Uh, we'll see where the final numbers come in, Brad, for the Uchenna deal. If it is truly just that they put the numbers on top of the end of the contract and so that it still remains a $13 million cap hit this year. We'll see if that's the case. Um, that seems to be the early word, but you did save $6.1 million by moving off of the Quandre Diggs deal. And so I do feel like there is another move coming down the pike here, Brad. My guess is that it's, it could be a small move. And if it's a small move, it's probably a Shelby Harris back on a one-year, $3.5 million deal, something like that. But if it's a big move, Brad, I think you could start to maybe potentially see them target a Chris Jones or a Devin White with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, and starting to create the space for that to get that deal done. Um, so. Those would be the deals right now that would look like I, or he's just trying to create cap space, Brad, for the final cut down day or the trade deadline. It's a little hard to know exactly which one it is right now because we don't have any kind of inside information on this and it is just a guessing game. But when you clear that space like he did with Quandary Diggs, when you make it so that it's going to be pretty hard now at this point to cut Quandary Diggs next off season, you're doing so to try to gain something this year. John Stillwell, I love Burrow. I think he's right with Patrick Mahomes. 
I think those are kind of the two. Those guys are on kind of a different level right now than the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL, in my opinion. Allen and Herbert are really close right behind, but. John says we played the Chiefs tough. A couple of plays did us in. Yeah, I, I see it the same way. And that's in John too. That's in Arrowhead. That's a 10 a.m. game. That's the middle of winter. That's, those are tough conditions to play at in Arrowhead, period. But they didn't walk over us, that's for sure. Logan Simpkins, power offense. Teams are basically our weakness. Titans, Bills, Ravens have given us beatings because of the physical scheme. We have speed and athletic players, but lack physicality. I would agree with that assessment. I would agree with that assessment. Steele says, hey, sorry to use you, Brandon, but I've been trying to put myself out there. I'm streaming video games on Twitch at uh, Give Me Cakes PLS. So uh, do uh, go over there. I don't mind you. Do, I don't mind a little promo self-promotion. It's all good, Steele. Uh, get out over there to uh, Twitch if you get a chance from time to time. Get subbed up to, uh, it's, it's Give, G-I-V-M-E, Cake, PLS. Over on Twitch, you can find them out over there. No worries, man. I know it's a hard go over there. You should take a look at Kick too. That alternative to Twitch, because Twitch seems like it's kind of drying up a little bit. Jacob Super Bowl prediction: Bengals, Cowboys. Bengals win it. God, I don't want to see the Cowboys get to the Super Bowl. Media already talks about them enough, but I'd be happy to see the Bengals beat the Cowboys. I want to do uh, give a quick, uh, by the way, shout out to the uh, sponsor of this show, Underdog Fantasy, who has jumped aboard the Hawks Nest here. Uh, thankful enough they've done so. Uh, and sponsor the show. They're going to be our sponsor this next year, Underdog Fantasy, which of course has fantasy football games they run weekly that you can go out there and win some money on and uh, compete with others as far as to put the best lineups together. It's a really straightforward fantasy app. It's not a lot of stuff that goes into it and it's confusing and all that. Every week you draft your team, uh, every week you draft your team, they take the best players from your team. There's no sitting in the bench or waving guys or trying to pick who's going to be your starter. You just pick the best possible team. They take the best players to make the starting lineup who perform that week, and you go head to head to go out there and win money. If you use my code right now, N-E-S-T, that's NEST, all caps lock. Use my code on Underdog Fantasy right now, and they will match you up to 100% on your first deposit up to $100. So get yourself a free, basically 100 bucks. Support the show here at the Hawks Nest and maybe add a little bit of extra excitement to your um, fantasy leagues or your fantasy play or just your NFL watching Sunday. There's nothing like uh, there's nothing like adding a little bit extra flavor when you got a little bit of money riding on the line on it, is there not? So thank you to Underdog Fantasy for uh, supporting the channel as they have and jumping aboard the Hawks Nest as they have. They made a great offer here to me and getting this set up and uh, I think this is going to be a great deal here for you guys. I will be doing a lot. We will be doing some shows centric around some fantasy stuff this year. I'm looking at kind of targeting Saturday night, just the night before um, Sunday as we, you know, when who's injured, who's not injured, who I can recommend for you guys to fill your fantasy roster up at that point in time. But uh, thank you to uh, fantasy. Uh, thank you for underdog. And of course, here's disclaimer as well for any of the, Go on the site and, you know, do the money thing. Got to put the disclaimer up by legal law. 
But uh, appreciate you, Underdog Fantasy, as well as uh, folks, I will be over on the Bleacher Report on Friday at 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. I'll be getting you guys the link on that on the community post. But uh, they've off, they've, they're hiring me. I'm a hired gun over there on the Bleacher Report here for a, for a time or so here. So I'll be over there on Friday as well. Oxo, any concerns about Reed playing nose tackle? I'm not sure if he was good against the run last year against the Packers. He was good against the run with the Packers last year, Oxo. He was good against the run against the pack with the Packers last year, moving back to more of a traditional role of being a run stuffing type guy, not being a guy who's trying to get his sacks and let me, I'll get my nine and a half sacks this year. And I won't really care about the run. Um, he became more back to his origins of what he was in Alabama, which is a run stuffer. So I think that he could transition back to that role as long as he was committed to it, as long as he understands it comes a little bit at the sacrifice of your pass rush to make this work. And to be able to hold your ground against those double teams. Because if you're trying to get upfield, now you might get smacked by those double teams and run yourself out of the hole. The nose tech's got to sit down, plant down, root down. That's something that I think Jaron Reed can do. He did it all over the tape on his back at Alabama. He did a lot last year with the Green Bay going back and watching him. Yeah, I think he'll be, he'll be fine in that respect of things. He will. Herbicide says, uh, didn't that happen? Alex Collins couldn't stay healthy here. Went to another team and got 1,500 yards. I don't know if he got 1,500 yards. Um, yet you're thinking correctly. He went to the Baltimore Ravens and, and had himself, I think, a year there with the Ravens where he was a thousand yard guy. So nine, 973 yards. So he, he was just short with the Ravens for a given season of a thousand yards. Um, but yeah, he did go, he did go over there. They didn't hold on to him for very long, Herbicide. You know, he had that thousand yard year and they didn't, they didn't stay, you know, married to him. They're like, all right, that was good for a year. We're moving on. Brian Myers, 10 days ago, I say Bills-Eagles, but Hines' injury is terrible for the Bills. That's a tough one for them, yeah. They made that trade very, very pertinently uh, last year and got him really for a low cost because he, he does have a little bit of higher salary from the Colts. Really good third down back. Losing him's tough. The one thing that's nice for them is that they did draft James Cook a uh, year, two years ago. So you do have a guy now, James Cook, that can come in there and fill that role if he wasn't already going to be the first guy as, as the third down back-ish kind of guy. But uh, that's tough for the Bills. That's tough. You lose them all for the whole season. And on an injury like that where it's not even on the football field, Hines just got, he's on, a, he's on his jet ski out there in the water and some dude just hits him. Hits him on their jet ski. I want to hope nobody was horsing around or playing around. Let me see how close I can get, dude. I hope it wasn't that. John Stillwell says the Lions are getting third betting money. I get it, man. I get it. I think the, the Lions hype is real. It is. They, they're, they're putting together a good team. Dan Campbell's getting them to buy in, making smart decisions. I can see where people put them up a little bit higher in that realm while Vegas would put them up a little bit higher in that realm. Uh, okay, 12s, wish me luck. I need to kick myself off to have something to eat and mentally prep myself for the CT scan. Thanks for the distraction. You hang in there, Megan. Don't just, just remember, just keep breathing in that tube. Breathe in that tube. Sajin says the Lions will win the division. I agree. I agree. I think Minnesota is going to go through a year where they step back. I don't think they were all that great last year. That defense was horrible. Um, they've got their first, they've got their young receiver. They're hoping who can take some heat off of uh, Justin Jefferson out there running 150 miles an hour on the freeway, getting pulled over. So yeah, I'm, I'm going Lions and I don't trust Jordan Love. He might be all right. I don't know if he'll be bad, but I don't think he's, I think he is a step back for them as far as how the, how that's going to play for them too. Seahawks, I would like to beat the Niners again in the NFC again. We won the 2013 title because of them. I do too, Seahawks. 
And I was talking about this with Jesse on his 49er channel. I said, man, it would be just great if this year breaks down to, obviously I'd like to have it at home, but I, I want to, I want a, uh, a replay of the 2013 conference championship. I want us playing the Niners conference championship game, final game of the night, darkness in Seattle, right? It's like, like it's night, right? The rest of the country's barely keeping their eyelids open because it's late over on their side, but they're watching. They're having to watch. Why? Because the action is so scintillating. The level of rivalry, you can feel it coming through your television and it's going to be the third time, the sixth time they've played each other in two years. The hate, oh, it will be beautiful. I hope it happens. D-Boy in the house. What's up, D-Boy? Good to see you, man. BZ says, did you see the report about Kenneth Walker III being a trade candidate because we drafted two? <laughs> I hate the hot take clickbait uh, this time of year. Maybe it's the majority of the package for Jones. I mean, you know, I, yeah, it's it, it's a weird it's weird to sort of prognosticate that a little bit busy. Um, and I, I I think that there's just no way it occurs. I I mean, again, you go to that ba that thing of baseline. You know, I always fall back on this where I go, well, if something seems crazy, has it happened before though? Maybe it seems crazy on the surface, but let me let me pull this back a little bit. Let me go back five, ten, fifteen years. Has this occurred? And do we have a place that's occurred where? We've got a second round running back. Not even early, just, just take a second round running back who goes out and runs for a thousand yards in his first year and then gets traded after that year. You know, we've never seen it occur before. And would he be worth some value in a trade? Sure. He's got, you've got still three years of club control over the guy. And would that, uh, would that definitely upgrade the Kansas City Chiefs rushing attack? Sure, it'd be a point of it. But boy, just, you just don't see teams make that kind of move. So I got to lean back to say there's just no way. Johnson Spoon wants all his money up front. And that's where it's ridiculous to me. You know, John, I could, I could get this again if there's first-round picks that have come through Seattle. My take on it, John, is that there's first-round picks that have come through Seattle in the last 10 years. So, so you can then judge John Schneider and Coach Carroll in the cold-blooded nature and how, how, how high up does their chart go on their cold-blooded nature? Like, how cold do they get? You know, are they simply like, we'll, we'll use you up and throw you out in the trash and we won't even put you in the bin. We'll just throw you out on the street and, and, and hope the, the garbage comes and picks you up. We don't care if they do or have they been more, we'll do right by players, you know, and, and they've done right by a lot of these guys. I mean, LJ Collier, you did really right by that guy. You went through four years of that rookie contract at no point in time with them really ever doing anything to earn getting here past year two. But they kept holding on going, well, maybe at some point here this will turn through. So there's no, there's no baseline of that for me, John. And that's where I go back to Devin. And I go, well, this is ridiculous, dude. You're going to get all of your money. You're going to get every last cent. You're going to be here for a minimum of that four years. And, you know, get out on that field. The other part of this too is that the longer this does go, if this does go four, five, six days, and he's now not able to get as much as body ready. And then there is some injury come up, as other people mentioned. You know, an injury comes up now and he's, he has a hamstring thing bit him as he had a hamstring already bite him you know, um, that we were dealing with at rookie minicamp with him. You go back to him and go, was that your six days lost thing there? Was, was that what, what kept you out then from able to be healthy at that point? Uh, I hope it doesn't go on very long, John. I think it's not going to be more than a couple day thing and we'll see if it does, but I, I hope not. Sup says, I don't want Chris Jones, rather have Shelby Harris back. Understandable, man. 
And uh, certainly Sup, I think that he's the likely one that they would look to target. Um, we might be looking a little bit starry-eyed at Chris Jones, but I think that if we're all in the casino having to put a betting favorite down on a player that they'd be looking to bring in at this point, I think Shelby Harris would be the betting favorite. Maze Guru, I hail outs too. What was that on that space? You said uh, no Hawks quarterback, Brandon? Did I miss something? Why am I blocked from posting? You're posting, man. I can see you. You're showing up. I don't know what you mean on that no Hawks quarterback, Brandon, thing, space. Can you elaborate on that? Connor says, uh, Seahawks, Yak was awful. Seahawks ranked 32 on screens offensively and 32nd against screens defensively. The defensive one is one I don't know if they clean up as well, Connor, because you don't blitz. And if you're not going to blitz much as a team, then you're going to expect your front four or whatever we're running as our front line to, to gen generate the pressure on their own. If you're going to do that, then you're going to have a tendency to lean into your defensive line and say, pin your ears back and go. And if you're going to have them start to try to be aware or hot to the screen outside of a play here or a play there, you're having them slow down their pass rush, which then makes your pass rush ineffective to that point because it's leaning back trying to protect against the screen. So I think the first part of that doesn't get corrected. I think, Connor, the, 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 the traditional screen games gets corrected with bringing in more offensive linemen that are more mobile and able to execute that style of offense with your Bradfords and your Olawatimis. It's also going to help, I think, Connor, with having guys like a JSN or Eskridge to stay healthy out there or even Derek Young, that are more built to utilize that aspect of the game. I don't know if they'll fix the traditional screen game necessarily. Uh, they're working on it today, but uh, I don't know. I don't think anybody's... Yeah, nobody's been blocked. It sounds like there's some issues today a little bit with the YouTube chat with, with things going in and out a little bit. So nobody's, nobody's blocking. You're, you're showing up right here. So it's, I think they're just, they may be having some issues with the uh, chat on that a little bit tonight. Slightly toasted, more cowbell. I'll tell you, don't need more cowbell with this team. But if you did, I know a cowbell, Kansas City. I was there, 87, Arrowhead. He's a good cowbell. It's Chris Jones. Ding, ding. Go sign him, trade, make it happen. Logan says, I expected Mafe to play a lot this season. He's such a different athlete compared to the others on the roster. And we saw last year, he's already a good tackler. How about we use him as a pass rusher now? Certainly would like to see that, Logan. Uh, I think that he has a lot in his game to step forward and become that guy as a pass rusher. He was absolutely awesome for us as a run defender. I've been putting some clips together. I am going to do a video of Boye Mafe kind of featuring him here before the start of the season on a few of these clips. But uh, he's been really strong. And... Um, I really, I really love what he brought to the table last year in that first year, finding that role. And I think there's a lot of room for him to expand beyond that. He's the guy that sits at the head, I think, of when you look at BT Jordan, the pass rush specialist that you brought in here. He's the guy you're like, BT, get this guy up. Get this guy cooking as far as his pass rush. And we're going to have one hell of a player on our hands because he'll be a complete player. Buddy toasted his hands here, kitty, kitty. She's, she's deep in sleep right now. She's so tired. She's so tired. Nathaniel Parks says, where's the black cat at? He's, he's laying down. They're both passed out right now. She doesn't like to get up the cat tree because the orange one doesn't let her up in the cat tree. She, she basically bullies her out of the cat tree if she goes up there. Brian Myers says, Colorado's leaving the Pac-12. Move approved by the Big 12. Makes sense. 
Seems like everything's going to the Big 12 and the SEC at this point, doesn't it? Harper Side says predictions. Uh, Uchenna gets 12 sacks, Reek gets eight picks, and Diggs gets six. I like that, Harper Side. I like those. I like that prediction. That works for me, man. I'd probably go too close to that. I don't know if Reek gets eight because I don't know if he gets the opportunities to get there. But I think all those others I could see. Maz Guru says, Maze Guru says, honestly, this is a great little community. A lot of knowledge, a bit of humor, and some people show, same people show up. They do. They do. We've got our, we've got our niche here, man. You know, and it's great to see. As I say, everybody kind of gets it. They know what time of day it is. They know what we're trying to do here. And uh, I love my community. I, the support, the, the, just the keeping me thinking, the, you know, thoughts and where people operate from the chat. You can see it's a very intelligent approach everybody applies coming in here. And uh, I'm glad that that's, that's kind of what we're known for in here. And it's great. What I would, it, it's what the goal would be in doing this channel. It's just this kind of chat and the way it rolls out. Sub says, Moffy's more along the lines of a tackler, not a rusher. He can do it, but his run setting is where he kills it. Run setting's awesome. We'll see if as a pass rusher he can develop. I, I tend to be a little more optimistic, I think, than you might be on him sup with that because of the fact that he was coming in as a raw pass rusher. So him not being dynamic in that respect of things out the gate makes sense as he needs to develop that area of his game. He does have a lot of natural quickness. Go look at his 10-yard split. You go you look at his use of hands at Minnesota. There are some tools that he has to work with to become um, a successful pass rusher. I never see him sup as a guy that's going to be a 13, 14, 15 sack a year guy, but can he be a guy that's a, uh, one of the better run edge defenders in the league and then a 10 sack a year guy on top of it? I think he might be able to. These guys do sometimes take a little bit of time to develop off that edge. Ominous Jerry says, everyone's saying Chase Young, but I think Jeffrey Simmons and DeForest Buckner would be better fits. I know we need the nose tackle, but two, three techs being Draymond and one of the others could be deadly. Uh, I wouldn't be against either of those two guys, Ominous. They're great. Uh, Jeffrey did just sign a new contract extension, so there's no chance of him coming to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Buckner would be more favored by me than Chase Young uh, as well. I think it comes down to a little bit of cost on this too, Ominous, if they do go Chase Young. I'm not saying they are going to go or I'm in favor of going Chase Young, but it's an, ap it's an apple oranges situation because Chase Young, you make a trade for him, you're giving up Daryl Taylor, maybe kicking in a fifth round pick on top, maybe not. Maybe it's a straight trade. You're trading for DeForest Buckner. You're probably going to have to flip in a second and third round pick. And there may not be a player that you can kind of include to get them satiated. So it's a little bit more of the cost for Buckner. But with that said, I'd pay the more of the cost for Buckner than the reduced cost for a Chase Young. Because you're right, it does fit a big, bigger need. Sajan says, good walking impression. Thanks, Hawksnet. Thank you, dude. He loves what his team has. They're going to be good. It's a matter of time. I don't want to wait. Wait for who? When? Why? Why wait? I once waited five long years in a Vietnam camp with watch my ass. Five long years. I don't want to wait no more. Yeah, Simmons is in Tennessee. They ain't giving, they ain't giving any of that. Subs is impression solid, but I didn't want Chris Jones. We'd have to give up picks and Pete and company are our fire with drafting. I get it, up. I get it. And I landed at a place of being wanting to, to bank the move, but I also would say I completely understand the folks that are on the other side. And it's a fair point to say that we're doing just fine with the way we're running this currently as it stands. And we don't have to go outside the box or push this any harder at this point because it's running along wonderfully. And I get that sentiment and uh, I wouldn't push back too much on it. 
Snap out of it says, hi, pumpkin. Pumpkin getting some love. She's all sleepy though. Let's see what she... Look at that. She isn't even waking up. I'm petting her. She's so sleepy. So tired. She usually will come up out of her sleep and yell at me for touching her. Got nothing today. She's just quiet. She appreciates the love snap out of it. Cryptic does challenges. What's the holdup with Devon? Uh, the main holdup seems to be, someone was mentioning maybe there's some offset language in this as well that could be part of this, but uh, it does appear that the main issue that's holding this up as it stands right now is he wants the bonus money all in the front end. He wants the guarantees all in the front end. He doesn't want to wait for them. And the Seahawks have traditionally wanted to wait, have their first round picks wait a little bit longer on that stuff. So, yeah, it's a little bit tougher. Right? A little bit tougher to make that roll at that point. Uh, I ever said, you ever guys ever see Tom Hanks playing a roadie on Wayne's World with Aerosmith on SNL? I never saw that one. No, that sounds funny. Mike Jackson was. <laughs> uh, Logan, I think the craziest part of Wolin's film last year was his pure athleticism. When he got beat, he'd recover, not because he knew how, but because he just could. He'd get beat and recover instantly. He is. He's got that gear of speed that he has that's just nobody else in the field has that gear like he does. Um, there are some guys maybe like a Tariq Hill out there or something that does a little bit, but it's it's exceptional. And uh, I saw the same thing on the tape. He gets beat. He he's instinctively makes a play. I mean, even when he jumps routes, sometimes he's five, six yards behind the ball before the ball's thrown. Take the uh, Mariota pick at the end of half where you know he's four or five yards away as, as Mariota's winding up, but he just closes the distance in a way that Mariota can't anticipate and uh, that allows him to jump those routes and make those picks. And it makes you think that he'll continue to do that in the future because why can't you do that once again? You're always going to have that to call upon. And quarterbacks are so not used to dealing with a corner that is just that twitchy, that able to just, you know, pull it like that. William Asupako, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate it, man. Nothing said in your dono, just but did drop the donation. So I appreciate that for you doing that, man. Thank you so much. Very kind of you, William. Hope you're having a great night, man. But Logan Woolen is truly, truly a, a unicorn. Slightly toasted, give Kitty some loving. We'll give her some loving. Here, she's got some, she usually will cackle out here. Let's, let's see if we can get a good cackle from the kitty. What? 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 Huh? Give her a little bit of love. What are you doing? Hmm? You just gonna be cute? Gibson says, "Best case scenarios we stand. Uh, best case scenarios we stand is our offense catches lightning in a bottle late in the season, and our defense does just enough to protect leads." I think that's right, Gibson. If I'd offer just a little bit extra on top of that, I would say um, that the young guys start to take really big steps forward, both the rookies and the second-year guys in addition to that, that you see the development from the rookies and you see the second-year guys really coming forward. That would also be a big part of what would help that out, I think. Slightly Toasted says, think Cortez Kennedy has anything left in the tank? Sadly, no, because Cortez is unfortunately passed on. So uh, unless somebody's looking to try to bring him back like Lazarus. I don't think we're going to see that happening. Zap Adams says, I can't believe pumpkins are female ginger kitty. They are so rare. Oh, they very are. They're very rare. Yeah. Usually when if you see a tabby, they're all going to be males. And I'll tell you, I know it's just a different coat of fur on these things, but 
There is a, a personality to tabbies that is unlike any other cat. I'll tell you what. They're very, very lively, a lot of energy, a lot of spirit, a little bit of attitude, just a little bit of attitude, but a lot of love, huh? Yeah, she's a happy girl. See, Alex Jose Rodriguez says, uh, B, I love, your, uh, I, I love you, brother, but walking sounds like De Niro. It's not at its best tonight. It's struggling a little bit. I'll give you that. It is. Some nights are better than others. <laughs> Sub says, people need to forget about Jones. We aren't doing it. Uh, and if we do, I'm honestly going to rage. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I, I give you, it's not likely to happen, but there's always a chance. You never know. Yeah. Snap out of it. Wonder why Bronny James had a heart attack. Uh, a lot of conjecture on that one. Uh, that's for sure. You know, I do like when people are mentioning that like other athletes are, have had heart attacks before and then they start reeling off a bunch of names of guys that did a lot of cocaine. I always do think that that's kind of hilarious. Um, on some of the names that got mentioned where it's like that guy, you know, yeah. Wasn't just that, well, this has happened with healthy athletes that have just heart attacks out of nowhere before. So I'm like, well, has it? Has it? I don't think Bronny was doing coke. Grug, I uh I hate how Tariq Willen is treated like he's 2021 Trayvon Diggs. I've never seen such a great player be so overlooked. But the one part I've liked about it, you're right. It's definitely an overlooking out there. And, uh, you know, he's not getting a, a ton of love. Um, he did make the top 100, which I think is notable because there are guys that were off the top, top 100 for the Seahawks that you, you kind of went, huh? Or was he off? I think it was off. Yeah, yeah. I think they had him on there. Um, so he did make the top 100. He's getting some respect. But yeah, it's, I, I think it's also a little bit of the Sauce Gardeners kind of, you know, pulling all of the air out of the room a little bit him as they both burst onto the scene kind of at the same time and sauce is getting the love he's getting the love big time but uh yeah one's uh one's gonna be a better player than Diggs, better tackler and just better you yeah. know that Diggs contract was cray cray what 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 Slightly toasted NFC West is San Francisco versus the Hawks. We need to make a splash for a stud nose tackle, but who? Hard to say at this point, man. I'll try to look a little bit more deeply into this slightly toasted. I've been concentrating more on grade A names and the guys that I thought could come in and actually have an impact rather than trying to find guys that would be just kind of a name. Um, so I've got to look, look a little bit deeper into that. I think you're also going to have to wait a little bit for guys that'll be viable names until we get through the cut down period after the final preseason game or before the trade deadline. I don't think that this is going to necessarily occur with a nose tackle situation over the next couple of weeks. Uh, D-Boy, Brandon, uh, it seems in today's era of football, all the best cornerbacks are, all the best cornerbacks are X receiver. Uh, is it coincidental or is there some type of science behind it? Uh, the science behind it would be this. Um, offenses were tending to try to go and they would, they would take their, oftentimes their um, number one wide receiver and move it over to the X side because you're getting it away from the number one corner. And a lot of teams don't have their number one corner uh, travel, even with really great wide receivers. And so you could sometimes then force a matchup offensively, D-Boy, where you're, you're bringing your best receiver over to the X side on the other team's worst cornerback. But 
what what it is is that then the teams that are defensively are going to then counter that are going to then take their best cornerbacks and actually put them to that side of the field because X's are also going to be on the line of scrimmage, whereas the Z wide receiver is going to be a yard off the line of scrimmage. And so when I have a receiver on the line of scrimmage and they're not moving at the snap, which an X receiver is not going to be in motion more often than not, then that means I have a better chance of being able to press that guy. So if I'm a really good corner who's a press man corner coverage guy, I've got a lot of a better chance than to be able to take care of that number one receiver on that other side in my alignment and how I'm set up. Whereas the Z's got a bit of a free release based on his alignment. So it's just an opportunity for you to get a corner, especially if he's good at press and getting him in those press situations. If I put him over onto the strong side of the formation and he's on the, the Z, he might line up and press, but he might not even end up touching that guy, especially if he's a really fast, twitchy kind of guy. So it's it's a little bit of offenses do this one thing, D-boy, and then defenses do this thing on the counter, and then what's the offense's counter to the defense's counter now? You know, it's it's that it's that chess match that can exist in driving this kind of stuff. But that tends to be the reason is really for me, I go down to it's the press aspect of things, D-boy, that I can get my corner up there and he can put that number one receiver kind of to bed after the snap, you know, boom, I shut him down. I throw off, I throw off the timing of the play even a little bit. And that could have a real big effect on the play. Brian says toasted. If Jones doesn't come via trade, it won't be this year. Looking to cut down data fill in. Yeah. Sup says they pushed some of Nuosu's deal and saved cash as well. That's what I was thinking as well, Sup, that occurred. I haven't been able to see how the final numbers will bear out, but I'll know this on Sunday of where it is. I, I do feel like though that part of doing that deal is to save a little bit of money this year. Maybe not a lot, but even if it's just a couple million, that would be um that'd be significant. Ran the cuts of something is brewing. Johnny, what are we doing? <laughs> D-Boy says, did uh, Brandon already talk about what's going on with Spoon? Yeah, so D-Boy, it's pretty, it's pretty easy on this. You know, they, the agents don't have a lot of way to impress future clients. All of these agents, when it comes to looking at rookie NFL players that are going to be drafted in the first round and that are going to be high target players for agents, you know, what do you say to that guy to get him to sign up for you versus your competition when everything is slotted from a salary standpoint? I can't argue for one more bum nickel, one more bum nickel than, than what is slotted for where you're picked in a given draft. Well, the place that they can have the impact is by driving more bonus money into the pocket of the rookies earlier in the contract. And so that's what all of these agents are pressing to try to do. It's not a situation that we're just dealing with with Spoon. It's, you're dealing with everybody. We dealt with it with Derek Hall, our second round pick, um, in our negotiations with him and what his agent was wanting. So it's it's just, that's what you're dealing with. Uh, Hawks don't tend to want to put as much bonus and guarantees at the front of the deal like that with these rookies drafted high. They've not been picking this high a lot in recent years, so it's a little bit more stickier to get through, but I don't imagine D-Boy this is going to last more than a couple days at most. If he isn't back by tomorrow, um, I would be surprised if he wasn't back by basically Monday. Sup, a fan is uh, still a good tight end. I'd rather keep him over any tight end we have. Eskridge may need, uh, may need if Lockett decides this year is his last which could be us drafting Jacks this year. Possible, yeah. Um, we'll see with Eskridge. Uh, I don't think the team's counting a ton on him. And when it comes to Fan, I think you're definitely keeping him from one more year, but I don't know if the team's looking to sign him to a contract extension necessarily. You want to pay Fan $11, $12 million a year on a three-year deal? I'm, I don't know if the team would want to do that. Lightly toasted, it's hard to say how much impact Jamal Adams will have. The team has move this defense over the last two years in a manner that's really structured around getting the most out of him, putting him in a position to succeed and be at his best. 
He was injured too fast last year to see if that was going to work out. We don't know how healthy he's going to be in his return this year. Is he going to be near his former 100% self? Is he going to be able to maintain and stay healthy throughout the course of the year? There's too many questions on this with Jamal to make any kind of firm predictions. If he's healthy and if he can stay healthy throughout the year, he's a Pro Bowl level strong safety who's going to be put in his best position to succeed. And I think that would have an impact on this team in a pretty big fashion. But those are some big mother effing what ifs. You know, those are some big, those are some big hills he's got to climb to get to that point. Rumble Podcast is ranked the following moves in terms of most palatable if they've trade if they're traded for at fair value. Uh, Vita Bay is not an option. Rumble Podcast they move the money around on that in a way where Tampa Bay has no way at all any possibility of making a move with Vita Bay. They don't have the cap space of the dead money hit that they would have to sustain by by moving Vita Bay in, in a deal. Um, so as that was just not possible. Um, my favorite, I would prefer to go Chris Jones, DeForest Buckner, Devin White in that order. Or as you say, what's the most palatable? I think those have the biggest impact. DeForest Buckner is right around the same age of Chris Jones. Um, Devin White's obviously younger than both and plays at a different position, but they would be more impactful in what they would bring to the table, I think. So that'd be my pecking order. But Via Veda is not an option just because of the, the rework deal. We got a lot of folks in here tonight. Yeah, man. We're well over a couple hundred, 250 later earlier. Uh, Logan Simpkins says, uh, the defensive tackle you were thinking about in Indy was Grover Stewart. Very similar to DJ Reader. Pure run stopper. Sneaky against the pass, but won't get snacks. He'll be 30 in free agency, but an underrated player. Could be a guy, if you're looking at his, that underrated, t- underrated guy or an under-the-radar signing, that's the guy that I locked into. I, you might have mentioned it to me before, Logan. Some, I had one of my subs mentioned to me, and I kind of looked him up a little bit. Um, indeed, he's a guy that to me, if you're looking at Indy not being a team that's probably going to compete this year in a very tough AFC, if they get to the trade deadline and they have a guy like Grover Stewart, who you can now bring in for a couple million dollars for the rest of the year, who provides you that really strong, solid run stuffing ability, even a guy at 30 years old, that's not a bad deal to go out there and make if we're talking about starting to lock in on these tier two guys, not the tier ones, but the tier twos. And I don't think you'd be, I don't think you'd be bad as a tier two guy, Logan, for the reasons you do mention. Slightly toasted says Adams might play in seven to eight games max. It's not looking good. It's not looking bright for Jamal. That's been the track record since he's come here. Slightly toasted. That's the baseline. Um, and it's up to Jamal to try to show that he can get beyond that. And I don't know if he can. It's not his fault. But I think that's a fair prediction to make. Rumbler, I would I'd give my first born for Vita Bay in Seattle personally. I'd love to have him here, man. But they did do the, uh, unfortunately, they did do the restructuring. And that restructuring means, um, no dice. No dice. Nathan Parks, you have a good night, man. Appreciate you. Logan Simpkins, uh, Vita, uh, Vita Vea did extend, but the contractor would get off the books easy in 2024, and his cap hit in 2023 is $6 million for a trade partner, meaning Tampa Bay would get more compensation. Yeah, but there's there's an issue on this. Let's let's look at this in depth. Here's the issue here. Tampa Bay is sitting on a bunch of dead money on the Tom Brady deal. And it's it's got their cap space right now at $1.8 million. 
but let's keep that number in our, our mind. So the, right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have less than $2 million of functional cap space as it stands right now. If they were to go ahead and try to move off of Vita Vea, they would have a, a base salary that he's at at $1 million, He's at $1 million as a base salary. So it's a, it's a $29 million dead money cap hit for Vita Vea but they would save six, six million. So the collective savings to them would they'd have negative $23 million to try to move Vita Vea right now this season. But they're only sitting on $2 million of cap space. So to move Vita Vea, you would have to essentially cut out other players on this team in order to, to just get the Vita Vea contract in a place of just being able to move the trade, have the numbers work. Because if, if they just move Vita Vea out purely, even if they move Vita Vea out and we gave him Daryl Taylor and Noah Fant, they would still have a substantial amount of dead money that they would then have to find a way to clear off of their books, which I don't think Tampa Bay is in a position to necessarily look to do as it stands right now. So it's, it's just in a place that you can't do anything with it. I love Vita Vea, don't get me wrong. I'd be happy to go get him, but uh, it's just not possible. Sajin says, thank you guys for the stream and chat. Enjoyed each and every one of you. Hashtag Seahawks. Thank you, man. Uh, very much true for my my respect out to you guys as well. I always have a ball doing these with you guys. Uh, D-Boy says, Jamal Adams is going to show up and show out this year. Watch, just wait and see. I don't think you're going to get a more motivated Jamal Adams than you've ever had here in Seattle than maybe he's ever been in his pro, pro career, uh, at least since he was probably a rookie. Um, you have to feel like he knows that it's it's not going to be a long, he's not going to be long for the NFL world if the injuries continue to sustain, if he's in, unable to continue to get out there. It's not his fault. These injuries aren't, I think, a symptom of him not working hard enough. Some guys just kind of start to break down a little bit earlier. But I still do maintain, D-Boy, if he's out on that field, if he's able to play, if he's running and, and running close to full speed, he's going to have an impact. He's going to make this defense better, especially since now this, this defense caters to what he does best. Whereas in that first year you had him here, you tried to just sort of force fit him into what you did defensively. Logan says, the amount of crap I've gotten from Niner fans because they finally got something against us for once in 10 years. Ugh, I can't freaking wait. I can't either, Logan. It was uh, it, it got pretty vicious here for us at the end of the year with those guys, and, and they were uh, feeling themselves pretty pretty well throughout the course of the end of the year. Those Niner fans were really letting us know. They came into my chat plenty and uh, real mouthy. You know what I mean? Real mouthy. So uh, I let, let them enjoy their little bit of time. It'll be short-lived. That Super Bowl window, like like the sand flowing through the hourglass, that San Francisco 49er Super Bowl window is ever closing, ever shutting. Is it moving fast? Is it being slammed shut? No. But it, are, can you hear the creaks and the groans from the wood as it slowly starts to come closer and closer and closer to the end? As Jesse said on Monday, they've had five years of this run. You don't tend to have six, seven, eight years of a run in the NFL. You're going to have to come back around to your rebuild mode. Maybe they're able to turn around really fast on the back of a rebuild season, but that season's coming down the pike here at some point. And probably some point soon for them. Riverside says, did you guys see the new top 100 NFL players list? Yeah, it was weird to look at from my perspective of things. They, they have Jordan Brooks as 101, and I think they have DK Metcalf as 102. And that, that makes no sense. BZ says, laughing out loud, maybe we trade an unsigned Witherspoon straight up for Jones. Lince was traded to us after a good season. Maybe that'd be a power move by John to the agent. Oh, oh, you want more guaranteed money? Do you, you want a record break? You want a record breaking bonus money upfront contract? That's what you want. Watch this literally power moves calls Casey up on the line. 
Yeah, hey. Hey, yeah, you guys are still potentially open on that. How about we do Wizard Spoon Jones straight up swap? Yeah. All right. Send the numbers over. Just dead eye and the agent right in his eye. Logan says, Justin Fields somehow getting past DK in the top 100 crazy for me and Fields over Lawrence as well was crazy. Insane to me. I, I mean, there's, I, I don't think there's anybody in this country, any football fan of any team that would take Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence at this point. So silly. Logan says, the Witherspoon thing feels like a perfect late July, August bait. So many fans on edge for a possible, a minor issue. Agreed. Agreed. And he's, it's a guy that I think people are hyped up and want to see and have him on the field. I mean, this is the highest pick Logan we've had in 20 years. You know, you just haven't had kind of this bright, shiniest of kind of toy in recent memory. So I think that's also a little bit in there too. BP says, is Grover Stewart a possibility to bring in on a third round trade? Uh, I don't think it would cost that much. He's 30 years old, heading into the final year of his contract. It's probably fourth round and onwards, especially if we're talking about BP, this being a trade deadline deal. So I don't think you'd have to pay that much for that guy. I, he doesn't give you really much as a pass rusher. So f fourth round, probably. Allen says Justin Fields was probably up there in rankings due to the Bears defeating the Niners week one. <laughs> Could have been. Uh, they definitely, he's getting, Fields is getting a lot of love out there. A lot of love. I, I like him, I do, but. I think there's still some questions with him as a passer that I don't know if I can get that loving on him as much as others are until we can, he can prove that he can be a consistent passer. Brian Myers says, great stream B. Thanks. Night all you 12s. Have a good night, Brian. Appreciate you, brother. Logan says, Grover Struvin would be a possible because he doesn't fit Indy's timeline and cap interests. He'll be 30 in 2024, the edge of one's prime for the defensive tackle position. He'd be an instant boost against the run. He'd be great. I'd love it. Great points, man. Agree all the way around. Uh, BPA, uh, hey B, how do you feel about the current state of running back value? And as a team, should you look at a two or three back system? Um, I feel fine with the current running back value. I don't think like a lot of people do that. I feel like they're getting screwed. I, I think it's the nature of the free market beast here. And if running backs were really valuable enough to pay and it made a lot of sense for teams to do and those deals worked out for them, then you'd see a lot more running backs paid. It doesn't work out for teams and it's it, you can't guarantee contracts in the NFL. So I find that the value is correct. I think the BP that the Seahawks have taken the correct standpoint on this, which is rather than drafting the one guy that you're going to try to stretch out on five years of a rookie deal and then maybe get a franchise tag out of him, instead of doing that, what you do is you go for the second round guys. So you're getting the guy that's probably a first round talent, but dipped out of the first round because teams have taken a fundamentalistic approach when it comes to running backs in the first round of we just never draft them because the value is not there to do so. So you're getting a high value guy then in the second round you got him for a four-year period at that point. You get through the four years of the contract, and then I think you let him go in free agency. And I like just how Seattle's done it, where you stack a couple of those backs up in your backfield. You don't just look for the one bell cow guy. You stack a couple of them up. So um, I'm more of the the two-three back system, but I do like also BP with leading with one back. I think it, it breaks down like this. You end up with 240 to 250 total touches to Kenneth Walker. You end up with 125 to 150 total touches with Jack Charbonnet. And then you end up with uh, 25 to 35 touches for Kenny McIntosh. And you can split that out in that fashion and find effectiveness in all three of those guys. Walker 10 is still technically your, your, your RB1, but uh, you've got the other guys in backup. I think BP, this is really driven by 
you got to go harder at your running back than just one guy because the injury stuff does come up. We've dealt with the beast mode curse here for five, six years where every year we're signing guys off the street. Um, but then you've also, I think, got to do it to keep your running backs fresh. Um, you can have different stylistic guys that can hit certain defenses, which might be more, might be more vulnerable in that realm of things. Um, so I'm really, a, I like the 2-3 back system. I like leading with one guy and letting him do, but I don't have a problem with going hot hand either. And uh, I think that's a smart way to go. I like Seahawks. Seahawks approach to me is an ideal approach for how to look at the running back situation. I found myself leaving BP the, the, the real going consensus thought out there, which is that you're supposed to draft your running backs now, fourth run and onwards. Don't ever take a guy in the first. Don't ever take a guy in the second. Don't ever take a guy in the third. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't. I think you get that first round talent, second round, that's tremendous value. Herbicide, I want to see what Hall has to offer to. Me too, man. I'll tell you what, he's going to have an uphill battle this year with Mafe coming, Uchenna here, Daryl Taylor. I wonder how many real true opportunities Hall is going to get this first season um, as it stands right now. PTHV says, convince Jamal Adams to restructure 8 million, sign Josh Jacobs, and real release DJ Dallas. Our backfield would be immaculate. Oof, that'd be a crazy backfield. Jacobs, Charbonnet, Walker. Look out, man. You should be running 24-7. We having that 80-20 run, run pass split. <laughs> you could still cut Jamal at this point. That still is an uh, option that's on the table for the team here. Save a little bit of money if they wanted to, I believe. So uh, they could do it. You'll never know on that. I don't think they'd go after Jacobs, though. Jacob Haas, I haven't seen your other cat. Oh, she's right here. She's, she's sleeping. I don't want to mess with her. I'll try to, if she stands up and walks around, I'll pick her up and show you guys. My other cat. I got a black cat. My other kitty. She's super shy though. She's got, she's, she's camera shy, you know? Wicked garden in the house. What's up, man? Good to see you. Space says, Brandon, I meant who's the worst quarterback in Seattle Seahawks history. It's McGuire. Dan McGuire is your worst, your worst quarterback uh, in Seahawks history. Um, honorable mention, Kelly Stoffer, Jeff Kemp. Um, that'd be it. Those, those are the main three guys. Seneca Wallace only had like a start or two. He wasn't as bad as those guys were too. He was at least like, he wasn't great, but. The other guys were bad. Wicked Garden says Buckner makes a lot more sense than Chris Jones. I can get that. I get that. I mean, if you're able to get Chris Jones to play out one more year of the deal too, you don't have to sign him immediately. That could factor in. Mac Pacific Northwest YouTube chat is Seahawks online circa 2021. No blocking. That's right. That's right. It's open discussion out here. I like, I like, I like free and open discussion. Uh, Buckner would be cheaper. He would be cheaper, yeah. You're getting Jones coming off his best year, so that will that would impact it a bit. It would cost a, a tidy sum to bring Buckner in, I think. Logan Buckner has been consistent top 10 in, inside defensive lineman under the radar last few years. He's similar to Hargrave, Draymond, in a way that he's more agile, leaner inside defensive lineman who gets, more, who gets pressure more than filling space. Yeah, still very strong against the run, though, I would say. Um, I think he's a little bit stronger in the run than, for instance, a guy like Draymond Jones or Hargrave that are a little more pass rush in what they do. That's that's kind of their thing. 
I think Buckner can give you some impact as he's so big, he's like six seven. You know, he is thin, but he's a big, big dude. He's hard to move. Uh, that's fair assessment. Cameron, what a B first day towards our trophy. That's right. Day one of a championship season. I love it. The season's gonna be fire. Hawks for life. I love it, man. That's the energy we want in the chat, brother. Let's go. Let's go. Sup, thank you for becoming a member of the channel. Appreciate you for doing that, Sup. And we'll be doing a uh, member-only show tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to be covering quite yet, yet, but I'm going to look tonight and see what we're, kind of some topics I might want to cover. But uh, thank you for subscribing uh, or becoming a member of the channel here, Sup, and jumping aboard. And I'll be doing uh, some member benefits to you guys that'll just keep expanding in that realm as we go through the season. So appreciate you, brother. No, uh, Novak Jax, thank you for subscribing to the channel. I appreciate it. Um... Welcome aboard the Hawks Nest. Randall, thank you for the $2 donation. It says, tell me about the Bleacher Report deal. Can I view? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm supposed, we're going to be setting up. I'm hoping I'm going to get a link out to everybody on the channel and the community post tomorrow. But uh, it's Friday at 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. I'll be doing, uh, I'll be going over to the Bleacher Report. I guess they're, they're just getting set to unveil this kind of streaming site that they've got for their channel now. So they're going to be doing this whole kind of video thing from their, uh, their end of it. So um, they reached out to me and asked if I wanted to do a kind of a fill-in show on this. And, uh, and I was like, sure, yeah, why not? I'll jump over there and we can, we can get this done. So um, we'll be doing it on, on Friday. I don't know if we'll be doing more in the future or if it's a one-off or kind of how it goes, but I don't have the link yet to where I can send it and share it off to you guys quite yet, um, Randall. I'll definitely get it off to you though, for sure, and let everybody know. Um, hopefully ahead of time on this. I'm just getting, there's a couple processes to get set up because we're streaming through their platform. So it's a little bit more of the moving parts versus YouTube where you're just going live from your deal, you know. But I'm stoked that they reached out, man. It's awesome. It's gonna be fun. Person says, is Jaron Reed playing nose tackle? I thought he was an edge. Um, definitely not an edge person. Um, but he had been playing in recent years as a three tech with us or as a defensive end in the three, four last year, I believe with the Packers. But if you're to if we're to take what we heard from Coach Carroll today in his press conference, it sounds like he is indeed moving back to the nose tackle position, which is where he was at as his beginnings with Alabama when he first came to Seattle. He started in Seattle as a one tech. You know, he eventually made him into a three tech. So he should be able to move into that okay. D boy says at Brandon, with the Seahawks not being a three wide receiver team for the most part, I really need to know how they will use JSN. I'm a little worried. Uh B, please break it down for me. Uh, let me provide you some. Uh, let me provide you a little bit of calm on this one, because I can completely see what's happened here. Um, so I was listening, and maybe you were listening to the same thing. I was hearing. I think it was Chris Sims was talking about it with some other guy on, on the NBC channel today a bit about Seattle's lack of use of three tied three wide receivers last year. Seattle did not. Seattle did not use three wide receivers last year, D boy, not because they don't want to use it as part of their offense, but for two main reasons. Number one, they leaned to where there was the strength of the team in last year's given year. That was with your tight ends, having three legitimate tight ends that could do everything you need to do uh, from run blocking, pass blocking, to catching the ball. So that was the first part of it, is that you had that strength on the team last year. Now, was that equivalent strength at the slot position as well? No. You didn't get Eskridge out there healthy for really any part of the year, of, at least at any kind of substantial time. Marquise Goodwin played good for you for a collection of games, but then quickly was injured for the year. So you were down to Penny Hart and a rookie Derek Young out there. And so you just didn't have the, the place where we're going to go to the three wide receiver set because we know that our slot is going to drive some mismatch on the field. You can go to three wide receiver set, run into the cover two defense, 
DK and Tyler get bracketed in coverage and then your slot guy doesn't get open, the play goes nowhere. So do that or go to the, to the two and the three tight end sets, which had shown much more of an effective nature to them. I think that they wanted to go to more three wide receiver sets, D-Boy. I think the drafting of GSN is an indication that they intend this year to go to more three wide receiver sets. It is also more of the leaning of this offense. If you're going to take Waldron bringing this over for McVay, McVay tends to lead the NFL every year in the amount of three wide receiver sets he runs out. So it's, it's also just not really a part of what this offense usually operates out of, at least going back to its kind of origins there with the Rams that Waldron was bringing over. So yeah, it's going to be featured a lot more this year, D-Boy, but the reason it wasn't used more last year was just you didn't have the personnel more than it is that they didn't want to utilize the package or, or, or bring those guys into the offense more. Herberside says, I got a tabby. He's weird. He's like, he's like, he likes road trips. They're very unusual cats, Herbicide. I've had a couple of kitties in my, in my life and there's nothing like a tabby. Um, they're really, really headstrong. They're like you said, there's a fearlessness to them. Put them on road trips. I'm sure they're the kind of cats that you could probably train to walk on a leash and they'd be the first kind of cats that'd be open to doing it. Um, they're super possessive. You guys were mentioning like why you don't see the black cats because she's, from her mind, she's a one-person cat. And I'm a I'm a one-cat person to her head. Like this this other black cat that happens to exist in this in this realm is she's just here for a matter of time until she's out of her hair. So they've got a strong personality. They're fun cats. They're lovey. Um, they're all over you. Um, you know, but they are uh, they've got a personality like nothing else. I'll tell you that too. Uh, Gibson says, I'm a big fan of GSN as well. I'm an OSU fan as well. I'm rooting for him. I haven't heard one OSU fan not say anything but the, the greatest of praises for GSN, which I think is telling for a guy that missed basically all of last year. I think it speaks to how impressive he had been in his short time there at, how, uh, at the fact that he had kind of won you guys over in that manner. Logan says, We've got, uh, we're over the past year transitioned into a modern offense. Look at the offensive line and the strengths of each player. Pass protection all over. Pass catching backs, three wide receiver sets. Basically, what <laughs> what Russ wanted, pretty much. Problem there with Russell on that is just he couldn't execute the kind of offense in the way that I think Geno can execute it, and that has to be a that has to be the way you do that if you're going to use this West Coast offense. You got to operate on time. Uh, Sub says, "Oh, uh, Cam Robinson. I'm thinking Spoon is kind of setting a sour start dealing with our dealers. Maybe he and his peeps are just being overly careful because they don't really know our organization." It may be. I tend to go Cameron. It's more the agents trying to make an, an impressive role. He's trying to do something to where he can say, look what I'm willing to do that no other agents are willing to do. Everyone else goes and gets signed and just accepts whatever money the team offers him. Look at me. I'm holding this guy out, getting more guaranteed money in his pocket. Now you want to sign with me because I'll do the same for you next year. I can see pretty clearly that's what the agent's doing here. And it, maybe it works. Maybe it's effective for him. Spaces Meyer was the second overall pick in 19-3. And Meyer wasn't a great quarterback either space at least he had the one good year you know which those other guys i don't think he did but he certainly was at the end of the day did not live up to the drive draft status seahawks jose rodriguez what's uh what's Tariq one changing his name to reek is he i hope he doesn't i don't like players doing the name change thing then you get jose people will be telling you, it's actually reek like okay <laughs> they'll treat it like it's Cassius Clay going to Muhammad Ali or something. It's like, no, he just decided to overnight just cut off his name. Remember when Lano Hill did that? No, it's not Delano Hill. It's Lano Hill now. I'm going to say it's Lamo Hill because you're lame if you're changing your name as an adult male. 
If you can change his name, then just take one of his nigga names. Like, just change yourself to the avatar. You're going to go hard. Go hard. And so, I agree. Spoon's going to be fine. He's going to be fine when this is all said and done. It's a camp one, camp day one topic kind of thing. Have a good night, Herbicide. Appreciate you for checking on in. Hansy Ramsey, Sauce Gardener, yeah. Seahawks Jose Rodriguez says, what about a boy named Sue? Shout out to Johnny Cash. Hey, shout out to Johnny Cash. Johnny, I'm Johnny Cash. Um, I think it's a possibility here, Jose. Uh, he's 36 years old, so he is tremendously long in the tooth. He's got walrus teeth coming out of his mouth. He's so old. So um, you do worry a little bit, I think, about the age of it. But if you were to have him come in, Jose, and fill in, I think, in a role of, of like what you had Al Woods doing last year, it might work. The part with it, though, that we've got to come back to on this a little bit, though, too, Jose, is that he's not really been a nose tackle guy for a very long period of time. Most of his career, he was either a, th he was a three tech. Um, he's got the strength and power to operate like a nose tackle. But he's been more in that mode throughout the course of his career. And I will say that on top of being an older guy, his play has started to kind of go down in recent years to match up with that. So I wouldn't be against it, but I don't know how much he really moves the needle coming in here either at his age and where he's at in his career. 360 Inspiration, what are all the possible options for us at uh, either defensive line or linebacker? Uh, well, I certainly will have a better, more, I think, filled out list here for you for defensive linemen as we move over the next couple of weeks and I get more of a firmer idea of which teams are looking to maybe move a guy or who's on the, the cut bubble. Um, certainly Chris Jones is a guy that stands out to me as a possibility that's a long shot that's not likely to happen, but I'm going to include him as a situation that could be ever-changing. DeForest Buckner with the Colts is a guy that maybe at some point becomes available for the Hawks. Wouldn't, would love to jump for him. Uh, we were mentioning a guy by the name of Grover Stewart from the Indianapolis Colts. He'd be more of your run stuffing only type of guy, but he'd be certainly very welcome here and it would help this defense out. If you want to look at more of a tier two kind of guy, I also look at Leonard Williams, uh, a man who is, uh, going into the final year of his contract with the giants. The giants have just spent the money on Lawrence. So they've already kind of paid their one defensive tackle, which means they're not likely to pay Leonard Williams. If the giants come into the season and they fall below expectation level where they're not a playoff team, once again, here at this point. Would they be open to moving Leonard Williams as a trade deadline deal? Um, those would be the early guys I would take a look at. I'll try to get a little bit of a more firmer list on the defensive linemen for you as we go forward because now I think I'm going to start concentrating in on those tier two cats. Those guys that are in that alignment of being not star level, not your Buckners, not your Chris Jones. We're talking now more top three defensive linemen in the sport rather than top 10 defensive linemen in the sport. Linebacker, there's not a really a lot of guys out there that you could go to here that would make sense. The one that does make sense makes a lot of sense, and that's Devin White. First off, the Buccaneers, as I mentioned a second ago about Vita Vea, are $2 million in cap spaces it stands right now heading into this season. Uh, they could move Devin White in a trade and save $11 million off the cap instantaneously, and Devin White wants to be paid a new contract. So he's one that does stand out to me of being a very high impactful player that you could bring in here at that point. Um, who has who is on a team that's looking to also possibly then move him? Um, Jalen Smith has been talked about as a guy in the market who's uh, obviously not signed with anybody, but he's just a free agent that's out there. Um, a guy that definitely hasn't played really well in recent years, but he's a name. People are aware of him. I don't know of a lot of other middle linebackers right now that are out there that are available. So um, I'll try to see if there's anybody else that that maybe is another name beyond that. I don't think they'd look at a street free agent here. Obviously, three sixty. 
Um, not with having Brooks coming back, not sitting on Bush as well in addition to this. But I'll see if there's any other trade guys that might come up as far as middle linebackers that are due to just about be paid or, or could be an option at that point. I'm not aware of any. Brand the cuts is can't wait to shut the Weiner fans' mouths. They've been bad this offseason. Ah, they're feeling themselves. Sure would feel good if we could take them down this year. The level of desperation, knowing that window just starts to more firmly shut down. I could go for that. Logan, I honestly forgot about the structure of Revita. It was under the radar. It wasn't really well published. I've been paying attention to it, Logan, because like you guys, I've been definitely locked and loaded with, with saying, hey, let's get Vita in here. Let's get the Husky back in the house. So uh, I certainly am on board with it, but yeah, they, they moved it in a way. Jason McEward says, what about a deal for Zach Martin? That'd be a great pickup. Wilson would hate. Oh, Zach Martin. Uh, yeah, interesting Cowboys. Uh, you got a Martin who's going to be a future, probably Hall of Famer there with the Dallas Cowboys. And he wants his contract dealt with. Uh, he gave the team kind of a nice deal back in the day. And now he wants to get paid. And the Cowboys were like, that's great. We're going to pay Trayvon Diggs. So um, you do wonder a little bit about where um, Zach Martin is as far as his headspace goes, knowing that they did that. But Martin has been uh, amazing. Um, he's been a fantastic player. He's going into the Hall of Fame. He certainly is getting a little bit older, but uh, I wouldn't say no to him at the right guard position. Uh, that'd, be, uh, that'd be as big an upgrade as you could add to any, any uh, position on the team from where it stands currently at the moment. Allen says, Russ, not ever reconstructing his contract in Seattle sort of wasted Pete Carroll's prime. Sub <laughs> said, uh, 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 yeah, you know, Russ is probably mad at what he looks at the situation with what Gino's got now. He's like, really? Really? Another running back? Really? JSN too? Really? Deadly Content says, hey, brother, is Clowney still available? Clowney is indeed still available. He does remain out there on the open market. Maybe maybe could be an option. I'll try to reach out to him. I've got him, I've got him on my Xbox on a friend account, so I can always reach out to Clowney if I wanted to. I try not to bother him, but I can maybe put a little bit of a note and be like, "Any chance you come back to Seattle? Maybe." Setting the edge for a premier defensive tackle, would you trade a first round pick, fourth year players for each other, Fanton Taylor for Christian Watkins, Wilkins? Sorry planning on elevating Mabry Grindorf to the tight end rotation. Setting the edge. I, I would be willing to make that move. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd be willing to make that move. Uh, Wilkins is one of those guys that is in that realm of being a top 10 defensive tackle in this sport. You know, he's right there with all these other young guys that we'll talk about. Quinn Williams, Deron Payne. Certainly Wilkins has got a, a reason to include his name in that. Um, and yeah, I think that it's Grindorf that you would be able to elevate at that point. Grindorf becomes an inline guy. Parkinson moves to be your H-back. It all works out really well. And with the salary you offset, because you save $6 million and you save a million dollars in the Taylor deal there, um, collectively speaking on the deal, you know, you, in, in many ways you're fitting Christian Watkins money. You're able to then accommodate his salary very easily at that point. So I'd be open to do it. And Wilkins, to your point, setting the edge does remain the one primetime defensive tackle. For, so we got the, you know, we got the Jeffrey Simmons, the Deron Paynes, the Quinn and Williams, the Jonathan Allens, 
the Jeffrey Simmons, you go through all the names of these top defensive tackles. Wilkins is the one guy who's still waiting on his contract at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm a yes on Clowney too. I'd be more on Clowney than I would be on Shelby Harris, to be honest with you. Logan Simpkins, Russ's situation was pretty simple here. He simply wasn't happy anymore. Even if he played out the deal, he wouldn't have resigned unless it was his own terms. Pete and Schneider knew that. Very simple. I agree. Rush pushed, Rush, Russ pushed for the conclusion that he got. You know? Nigel Hawk, Niners may be better historically, but we are dominating division titles since the realignment. You better believe we are. I got us last year, but we've had the better end of this bargain for the past 10 years. Gibson says, certainly like the position where we're at roster-wise over the Niners going forward. I don't understand why they haven't ever seriously addressed the quarterback position. I was asking a little bit of Jesse this question, Gibson, uh, when I was talking to him on the channel. And I do come back to a bit of the hubris ego thing. You know, it's the it's the double-edged sword of having a brilliant coach um, who's one of those coaches who's brilliant in the manner of being X's and O's related and drawing up plays. And I can manufacture things. I can be smarter than everybody else. I don't need the physical talent that's going to be the difference maker necessarily because I can lean to what I, I, I know how to structure plays and set teams up. And, you know, and, and you're not wrong as a coach in operating that way. Like Shanahan, you are able to do that stuff. But you do need to get over the top that quarterback too. It can't be just all of your big brain bringing, bringing you forth and saving the day. And I think Shanahan may have a little bit of that going on. Not maybe all the way, but there is a little bit of maybe that that, that has kind of carried on with him a bit. Um, in hindering him in that fashion. But the quarterback position is the one that could be, much like our defensive line being our Achilles heel this year, the quarterback position certainly at the on the, fir- on the surface of it right now, as you look at the Niners, does appear to also be potentially their particular Achilles heel. Whitebird says if Jamal Adams comes out of the gate strong, he might break his fibula on the first play of the game. I think Seattle has to ease him into the season and not let him run wild and reckless right away. Not a bad point. He got, of course, hurt in the first game of last season. So as to your point on that white bird, I think they're going to be very patient with him. Based off what you heard from Carol talking about the PUP list right now and all the guys on it, including Brooks and Adams, is that they're all running. They're all going full speed. They're changing direction. They're cutting. They're doing everything a football player would do. They're just not practicing because, for to your point on that, they're trying to make sure those bodies are ready. Absolutely ready with, with no question mark, with total certainty. Um, they can go full speed and do all the practice stuff. Um, and I think they're going to be very... Careful there. Very careful to your point. Maybe wait a game or two on Jamal just for the hell of it. Even if he is 100%, just take two less games off of his body this year if we can do it. I can understand that. It makes some sense, especially that first Rams game that you feel like, is Jamal going to be the difference between us winning or losing that game? At home? Probably not. BZ says, in defense of the Niner, Mouthy fans, they haven't won a Super Bowl since 94. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's 91. Isn't it 91? It's even further back than that, BZ. Cam Robinson, I heard I heard Jay Reed is getting moved to nose tackle. That's according to what Carol said today, Cameron. In the press conference, he called him a nose tackle. He didn't call him a three tech. He didn't call him four eye. So we'll have him in at the nose. So it does that does seem to indicate that they're looking at moving him more in there. D boy, Brandon, do you know do you do you like a press and big cornerback, but kind of slow makes hard hits from time to time, something like Brandon Browner or a fast, small cornerback that plays three to five yards off, uh, but very small, smart ball hawk? If I've got to pick between the two, I would probably go for the bigger cornerback. 
because I think the smaller cornerback can be attacked at times on trust throws and contested catches by the bigger receivers that exist in this league. And you can not really get around that at times when you get the matchup of one-on-one. When I have a bigger corner that might be a little bit challenged from a change of direction standpoint, or maybe not quite as fast, I can always round the coverage in his direction over the top and take away where a team would attack him on those kind of nine routes at that point or on the sluggo stop and go routes. So I can protect one. I can't as well, I think, at times protect the other. And I think the game is going more to having corners that are bigger than the, the historically where they've been, where it's been 5'10", 5'11", guys by and large. Gibson Gilbaugh had a little decent run. He had a couple of years in there where he wasn't, he wasn't good, but he wasn't bad. You know, he wasn't the answer. I mean, that's a career backup kind of guy, but he actually played okay. Sub says, how you, how am I tagging people? What do you mean uh, tagging sub? Oh, it meant the chat. Whitebird says Seahawks have 12 million in cap space. Who are we going to get to get that? That's the amount that Shelby Harris is expecting. Well, Shelby Harris isn't getting anywhere near that kind of contract or cap space. Shelby Harris is going to get a one-year, three million, one-year, four million deal at the top, and that's the most he can hope to get. And I don't even think he can get that at this point. So um, Harris is the guy that's been the straightforward one that makes a lot of sense because he's been here before. He's played in this defense. He's technically a fit for what you need, especially on in light Whitebird of the news that. Jaron Reed's moving to nose tackle, and we thought prior maybe he'd be at the 3-4 defensive end. So Harris makes the most sense. Um, we're, of course, playing with other names out there that they could be looking at. Maybe Chris Jones becomes available on the market. Maybe a Devin White becomes available on the market. Or maybe White Bird, they're just going to sit to sit on that space until we get to that final cutdown day where every roster in the NFL goes from 90 to 55, and you have a wave of players available, and they have some money to go out there and actually make something happen. Could be that, too. Could be even the trade deadline. I think it's hard to make a certain prediction on this at this point because we, we don't have any kind of indications necessarily. D-Boy says, Brandon, that's not an option. There's no getting rid of Jamal Adams. Well, I'm not trying to get rid of him. I'm not. I'm saying if it's, you know, if you're pressed, if you gotta, you gotta. Uh, White Bird says, I'd say Matt Stoffer was the worst. He was a star at Colorado State but could not read. Uh, oh, I think you mean Kelly Stoffer. Uh, McGuire came in as a nobody. I mean, McGuire was like a top 12 first round pick, wasn't he? It's hard to put a guy at nobody phase at that point when you make that pick that high. But both of them were pretty bad. BP says, uh, congrats on the Bleacher Report show. Support independent content. Thank you, BP. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm glad they reached out. It's going to be fun. I think we're just going to be kind of covering camp stories with the Seahawks, but... That'd be cool, nonetheless. Logan Simpkins, uh, Seattle hasn't been able to use three wide receivers since uh, David Moore was here. The reason why is because it's simply been unavailable and not sustainable. It's a fantastic point, Logan. You drafted Dwayne Eskridge. He's not been able to be healthy during out his whole time here. You hope maybe Penny Hart could develop into that role. Penny Hart never developed into that role. You've had just not the bodies down there to make it happen. You've not had the guys to go make it happen. Freddie Swain at times, right? Was it, was it Freddie Swain? Wasn't that it? Remember when he was out there trying to rock it from the slot? You know, you, you haven't had the guys that could be difference makers out there to take advantage of mismatches. If anything, the mismatch was towards the slot corner because you were giving him an easy, uh, an easy run that week uh, for who was going to be fit across from him. So some of it's just been of leaning towards 
where you're strong and where you're not weak, which is what you want every offensive coordinator to do. And that's part of why I like Waldron so much and believe that he is on the rise is because he's shown that tendency to lean towards where his strength is at. And that's what smart offensive coordinators do. They don't try to force things into their system. They take their system, they take the players, and they find the melding of it to make it the most effective. Seahawks, Jose Rodriguez, Brandon, are you still on Twitter? I am on Twitter, at Seahawks Nestor on, uh, on, on Twitter. You can find me over there, so for sure. Uh, ben Ortega, best Charbonnet comparison. The best comparison for me, Ben, has come from Chip Kelly, his college coach at UCLA. Um, I thought that there was some at times some Nick, sort of a little bit of Nick Chubb to his game. Wasn't quite right. Wasn't quite on point there with it. Um, I think Matt Forte, the former Bears running back, who was really effective for a good couple of year period there. Charbonnet to me looks very, very similar to uh, um, Forte. They've got that kind of load up cut thing that they both do in the open field, which really puts these defenders in a pickle where they're coming up and they can't choose between coming up and really strongly trying to bring the guy down because he's a bigger back and it's hard to bring him down naturally or having to prepare for him getting elusive on you, you know, basically juking you out of your shoes at the same time. Makes it, they make it tough on that because they can call upon either one and you have to kind of guess as a defender as you approach them, which then, of course, then allows them to break a lot of tackles. But I think that that's the best one. Forte was really good with the, the hands out of the backfield. Um, a real efficient runner, you know, really not, you know, more north and south than east and west. And he has a little bit of extra size to him, like like Forte had. Not a smaller back, but a little bit of extra, a little bit of extra build to him. Debo says, Brandon, uh, little do you know, but you're slowly bringing more eyes and notice to the Northwest and the Seahawks. Keep up the good work, my brother. And where you go, will go right by your side. Let's go. Hey, thank you for the love, Debo. I know I got you. I know you guys got my back, man. That makes it just it helps to make me so much confidence in doing this and make it so much fun. But I got my people have my back. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind on that from the support, the love, the encouragement I get every show. Without fail, not a show missed. I got those folks, you folks in here like yourself that, you know, help me keep going along on this. And uh, I hope so. If I can bring some light to this team, I can get this team a little bit more credit. I can get this team a little bit more people noticing what's what I'm going to do it because uh, this team does deserve more credit. Schneider and Carroll deserve more credit for the way they've turned around this so fast. Geno Smith deserves more credit for the way that he's been able to reclaim his career. And if I got to be the one to bang that drum like John Bottom doing a drum solo in 72 for Led Zeppelin, so be it. Give me my drumsticks. Appreciate you though, man, D-Boy. Seahawks, Jose Rodriguez. The receiver conversation sounds like an episode of Friday Night Lights I was watching today. <laughs> nice. <laughs> good show. Hella good show. Barry says, uh, DeForest Buckner would be great. He'd be awesome, Barry. He would be great. I'd be happy. With, I'd be very happy with him. I'd be just uh, just about as happy as I would be with with Chris Jones with Buckner, Logan Simpson. Charbonnet's a bigger back, quicker and can catch, but he's not necessarily good at taking away chunks up the middle like you expect from someone in size. Yeah, I guess that's a very fair fair assessment. Fair assessment. I mean, he ran pretty strong with UCLA though. He's, he's kind of like a big back that has some elusiveness to him. Dea tells us Charbonnet's film was better than Gibbs. Yeah, they both kind of do two different things a little bit. And Charbonnet obviously has from a level of competition-wise, not as tough a road as Gibbs going through the SEC every week. But uh, Charbonnet's film was very impressive. 
I, I, I like his game quite a lot, and I don't think he's a back with a lot of weaknesses. Maybe there's not that one great strength with him, but he's got a lot of pluses in his category and very few minuses. Punk91 says, and what's up, Punk? It's good to see you in the house. Who's been more annoying? Broncos fans the last offseason or Jets fans being insecure about Tariq Woolen? Well, I think you, you kind of capture the Tariq Woolen thing. We can see it's them being insecure. Jets fans are smart fans. They know exactly what they're seeing out of, out of Sauce Gardner. And, and by the way, folks, I am doing this video. I'm going to do, and I've already thought of how, to, it's going to be so toxic. It's going to be so toxic to Jets fans, but I'm going to do the video. I'm going to say, here's how the video is going to go. It's going to open up with black, white titles. Your guy, and it's going to cut to Sauce Gardner just being a hold fest, play after play, holding, 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 holding. And then it's going to be black, white titles, our guy. And then it's going to be Tariq Woolen going up just, locking guys down without, without laying a single finger upon them. And I'm just going to just hardline the cuts between each, just being completely toxic about it, Punk 91. But it's, it's more funny to troll the Jets fans because they're wrong and they know it and they're trying to talk themselves into it. The Niner fans were good last year, you know, and they have a reason to stick out their chest to think that they're one of the, the I mean, they're in their Super Bowl window right now, you know. They've got a reason to feel confident and good about their situation. I can't fault them for that. Now, that are also more annoying, I'd say, as the Niner fans. You mentioned Bronco fans. So you mentioned Bronco fans. Um, Bronco fans last offseason punk. I, I started answering that differently than your question. But Bronco fans would have been last offseason because they were, they were reveling in how much they, they had thefted us. You know? And it's, it's that old thing from a movie where you get the guys celebrating and be, oh, I thieved you. I took you for everything you're worth. You know, it's, it's uh, what's the, like the movie The Sting, you know? The character in this thing goes down and he thinks he's, he thinks he's been able to rig, rig this big, huge bet to go in and make this bet on a horse race that he's going to win because they've got it all rigged. But then he gets the tables turned on him and you don't feel the least bit bad about that guy. In fact, you feel real good about him getting his comeuppance. And he, had, he got what comeuppance. The Bronco fans got what was coming to them. They could have been a little bit more humble about it. They could have been a little more appreciative about it. Instead, they wanted to rub our face in it like you'd rub a puppy's face in... in and poo if you crapped on your, like, that's what people used to do. Look at this. So, uh, no, Bronco fans were more. Jets fans, it's just kind of funny. They know they're wrong. They know they're wrong. Sean Till, Tillis, how good is Draymond Jones? Never seen him play, but people talk like he's a game changer. Um, he's not a star level player. He is uh, really well acclimated to this defense, Sean. He's been playing the Fangio cover two shell scheme since he came in the league. So he understands the gap and a half nature of things, which is a, in itself, before we get to his talent and how good he is, that's just a big part of uh, this process with it. Because you had guys last year that had played a lot of a 4-3 defense and two gapping. They kind of struggled with what they were supposed to do playing and play out on the responsibility of you know coveraging, covering their gaps properly. Uh, Draymond Jones is a good overall player, but he is much stronger as a pass rusher than a run defender. He's maybe a little bit lighter than you would normally see as a defensive end. He's going to be out there at, you know, a, a 275-ish probably is what he's out there rolling that, but tremendously, uh, tremendously quick with the first step. And then he is, much like Uchenna Nwosu, he's really good with his hands. The hand fighting, being a technician, knowing how to set up moves, knowing how to counter, how to chain moves together. It's just like you see with the chin. And when you look to those guys versus then looking to guys like Daryl Taylor, where it's just all quickness and bend off the edge and there's no real plan of attack. It's, it's startling and it's, it, show, it shows up. It's easy to kind of see it. And when you can kind of notice it. So um, 
very smart player, a cerebral player, um, got just enough of a quickness to be a problem. And then the hand fighting is he makes it really tough on those offensive linemen inside to get a good get a good punch on him. You always feel like you're hitting the side of his shoulder. You're kind of hitting over there and he's kind of wiggling out of it or, or getting skinny sideways. So he just doesn't give him a real good target sign to kind of to kind of pop upon. But um, very good as a pass rusher, okay as a run defender. Um, you definitely had to pay a little bit more extra because there wasn't a lot of these kind of guys on the market, especially guys that be as pure a fit for your scheme. But still a very young guy too. He's just now entering into his prime. So uh, that that definitely makes him uh, a player still, much like we got from Uchenna last year, Sean. You're getting a player maybe still a little bit on his ascent. Maybe there's still a little bit extra to tap into, a little bit more he has to offer even beyond where he's been uh, up until this point in his career. Um, and that's what Seahawks are, I think, are hoping to replicate here uh, with the Draymond Stones. Same kind of sign to what they did with Uchenna last year, albeit for more money. Um, White Bird says, Pumpkin looks bored because you haven't been reading my comments. Time for a cat treat. I get rid of cat treats, will jump down. He's very bored. Very bored. Nitro Rock, I'm still wondering how you got Jadavian Clowney on your friends list. Uh, well, it was an interesting story. When Jadavian was here, we had a, he hasn't been here in a while. I got to check on him, but I, I got a name, Heat, um, one of our subscribers in the channel. Uh, t- he just came in on the chat. He said, you know, um, you want to play with Jadavian Clowney? And I'm like, oh, I'll go play with him, sure. Um, and then he, uh, he'd been playing with him, I guess. He plays with all these guys. I don't know how he's got the connection, but he plays with Curse and Julio Jones. And he's got a bunch of these guys that he plays online video games with. Um, and so we met up and played over there. I haven't been playing video games as much the last couple of years. So I haven't really been meeting up with those guys as much online just because I don't, I hardly play games anymore. It's, it's kind of weird, but uh, he's a good guy. It's fun playing with him. You know, it was intense. It was good though. Uh, I'd love to have him. I'd love to have him back. I would definitely celebrate that. Be able to maybe get some inside information from him. Logan, uh, Christian Wilkins might be too valuable to Miami, still young and just getting better every year. Very well, very well could be proven to the case. I don't think that they're, as we're seeing with these defensive tackles across the board, Logan, right? All these guys getting paid. Nobody's getting traded. None of these uh, NFL teams are showing any reticence to pay these guys. Everybody's opening up the pocketbooks to pay them, with maybe the exception of the Chiefs, and that's just because Chris is trying to get up around $30 million. So uh, I think that's definitely the way this trends is that Wilkins probably does remain with the Dolphins. Logan says, uh, Draymond Jones' uh, ability as a pass rusher is quite absurd. Was a top eight in the league before injury in, in pressures at his defensive, as a 3-4 defensive lineman with mediocre support from the defensive line around him. He does have an injury concern. There's a little bit of that, for sure. Fishface, Seahawks, will, Fish, Seahawks still need help stopping the run. Also, are they going to continue with the 3-4 defense? They are going to continue with the 3-4 defense. And I think you're right, Fishface. I think that they do need some help in stopping the run as it currently stands. I do agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're looking to go find some help somewhere to fish face. I don't know if it's a major trade. I don't know if it's waiting for the cut down day after the third preseason game, or maybe it's a trade deadline deal. I think Schneider is going to do something else. I think there's another move coming to help uh, reinforce the ranks of the, the run stuffing unit. Make a pause. Have you seen the tweet I sent you? Uh, no, it's hard to kind of, Look at tweets and stuff as I'm on doing the stream. No, nothing came up. Oh, the McIntyre thing. Yeah, but the problem, and I meant to respond to you on that, Jacob. 
you know, the thing with it's good that he's 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 owned up to the bet and he's carved that thing into his head. But you got to stay with it for a couple of days. You can't do the whole shaving into the side of your head and then shave it the next day. That's that's you doing the bare minimum. Like, well, technically, I I achieved my bet standard. Yeah, technically, you should have had to have worn it for a couple of weeks. But I did see it, man. Sorry, I didn't respond on it. Johnny Utah, Gardner Minshew would look good in that offense. Niner offense? Yeah, he would be good with them. Gibson, at the most important position in the game, having average or subpar quarterbacks is not a model for winning Super Bowls, regardless of coaching or overall talent, San Francisco. It's not. There's very few, as many people have said on this too, Gibson, it's how many Super Bowl contenders can you remember in recent years where truly they're, con they're considered a Super Bowl contender, kind of on a national perspective, and those teams have huge question marks when it comes to the quarterback position. Not very often, if ever at all. And I think there's a good reason for that. Came in, what's going on with the Witherspoon situation? He's just trying to get all of his guaranteed bonus money up on the front. Seattle wants to have that bonus money be there throughout the course of the contract so that they can have it flow throughout the course of the contract. He's wanting all of that guaranteed money up front. That's the thing that's holding this back. Dayatel says, read it knows is weird. It's, his, it's where he came from on this, guys. So it's not weird, man. It's, it's Jaron Reed's track record of where he comes from out at Alabama was a one-tech. We changed him to a three-tech. It's not a natural three-tech. This isn't Geno Atkins back there that you're trying to move to a one-tech role. This is a guy that was a one-tech, a zero-tech type guy coming out of Alabama. So it's just him going back to his origins. That's all that is. Luke Britt, who will be signed with the new cash? I don't know, Luke. I have no idea, man. I, 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 it could be a big trade. It could be a signing. I can give you a guess. And I've tried to provide some guesses throughout this show, but I'm making a blind guess in the dark. I don't like to do that. Cause I'm just kind of pulling names out my butt at that point. You know, they're going to do something else. I think that's the best answer I can give you is that this is an indicator that something else is going to occur beyond this, that they're not just done and stopping, or they're going to free this money up to not do something else. But I don't know yet as to what it is. Hey boy, Brandon, I'm really confused on the running back spot. With there still being solid, good running back free agency, it seems like the running back position is dead. How do you feel about it? I don't know that it's dead. They just don't get paid, but they don't get paid for a reason. It's not a conspiracy or something against them that they've done against NFL humanity. It's the fact that they break down fast. It's the fact that they're only really at their most productive on their rookie deal. And teams have to deal with that as a reality. And teams are dealing with it as a reality. Um, it's just become more into context this year because it's getting more and more extreme on, on teams avoiding paying running backs. Um, but I, I don't know how you can force teams into D-Boy paying guys because they're getting the, the short end of the shift. This is on the CBA. This is on the Players Association that when they have negotiations come up that they find a way to help out their running back brethren. And if they don't do it, it's then not on the owners out of the goodwill of their own heart to give up profit margins that are, that are hotly debated and hotly turned over when they have these CBA negotiations. So, you know, the, the, I know that the player association seems to have avoided this whole thing as far as not being part of the problematic point here, but it's on them. And, and when I look at the NFL CBA negotiations between the player association and the NFL owners, the players are a joke in their process, a joke. You know, they're more interested D-boy in finding a way to practice less then finding things like this, which would be solutions to the running back position to get him better paid. And um, so I, I just don't have a lot of sympathy in this situation for either the running backs or the players association. They can do something about this if they want to do it, but they choose not to. And that's on them. Cayman, I heard it was a money issue. It's just a bonus issue, Cayman. 
the money issue, the money doesn't change on this. You're, when you're picked as the fifth overall pick or the sixth overall pick or the seventh overall pick, you make a certain amount of money. That's what you're going to be given. So the amount of money is locked in. It's about where you get the money. Do you get it at the front end of the deal or the back end of the deal? Nick Guzman, why did we let Ryan Neal go again? Because uh, you signed Julian Love, who gave you more versatility and flexibility to do everything that you think Ryan Neal can do, but he can also play free safety and strong and uh, nickel cornerback. So they just like that versatility more than just having strictly only a backup strong safety. Voodoo Magic, is the Crow's Nest dead or you just Fairweather M's fan? I remember you said you'd stream 80 games and you did one this year. Well, I'm, that's not exactly accurate. I've done a good nine or 10 games. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely am not a Fairweather fan. Um, and I don't like that context even being put out there, quite honestly, Voodoo. So I sort of resent even being that being inferred. Um, I have addressed this on a variety of different times talking about the Mariners. And I'm a guy that's been a Mariner fan since I'm a kid. So I've had to spend by not just the majority of my life, basically the entire fan, the entire time as a fan over 35 years, 40 years as a Mariner fan, watching bad baseball, watching an organization run poorly, watching an organization that was bigger on counting their ducats and their money than they were on fielding a team that could go out there and really truly compete. And you can ask me to do that for a few years as a fan. You can go ahead and ask me to do that as a decade as a fan. When you've asked me to do it for three, four decades of my fandom life, when you've asked me to do it for basically 20 straight years, you're going to get me to a place where um, I, I'm not going to be as interested in watching your product. Uh, baseball is my original love. And I, I know how baseball should be played. I don't really care about where analytics are at. You have a lineup that's filled with the guys who strike out more than anybody else in Major League Baseball. From your, your Julio Rodriguez's to your, your Eugenio Suarez's to your uh, everybody. Nobody can control the zone. Nobody can lay contact. You've built a home run hitting lineup in the biggest, most spacious ballpark. You know, I, I don't think that I have to be forced as a fan to sit there for 162 games for 30 straight years. And that that's the only way I earn my fandom then, or I'm a fair weather fan at that point. I've done a lot to support the Mariners franchise. I sat in that stadium for 18 innings last year in the final playoff game in a smoke-filled sky with the fires burning all around us and watching an offense that couldn't even punch out one run in 18 innings. Um, I've gotten tired of watching them lose the same way, and it's boring baseball. Strikeout, 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 poor swing, pop-up, strikeout, poor swing, pop-up, home run. That's crappy baseball. Watching pitchers pitch their life out to watch the, the lineup constantly sell on them is poor baseball. Um, I will be getting back to doing more on the channel. Another part of this for me, Voodoo Magic, is that while it's been great that the Hawks Nest channel has taken off, um, my side work and the stuff that I used to do to supplement my income on the other side of it has gone back over the last couple of years. And so when it comes to me doing the Hawks Nest channel as I do right now, this is how I make my living. And when I go over and do the Hawk's Nest or the Crow's Nest, it's not a monetized channel. So when I'm streaming and I'm doing all that stuff, I'm doing it for free. And it's hard to, it's hard to pull money out of the pocket on one end of something that's being productive versus the other end, which is not fun to watch. And there's nothing to be gotten out of it by doing it much. It just makes it less motivating to go over there and, and kind of put that content out that manner. But it's really the frustration more than anything else that they continue to do the same thing year after year. You continue to do the same thing for two straight decades and you never change your approach, you never change your manner, and then you just keep expecting people to support you in, in, the, in the deal. And if anybody like me raises an issue with that, then I'm a fair weather fan, or would it be better if the team was moved to St. Petersburg? Would you be happier about that? 
you know, it's always got to kind of go to that realm on the other side of it. I mean, at what point, Voodoo, are we going to start to hold this ownership uh, accountable? At what point is it that, they've, that they're taking advantage here of the situation of a very faithful fan base that they're not doing anything to really take the steps to reward? For me, I got a line. I got to find out the amount of space I can do, put my attention to on a daily basis. And I'm not going to put it to something that um, is being, being operated in the manner by which they're operating. So is it dead? No, it's not dead. I'll come back over there to it. But it's going to be a thing at my convenience. And again, the overriding factor here is I got to do where I can make my money here on this channel too, man. You know, that's where I'm at right now. If I had more of my maybe side work, I could, I could afford to maybe take the hit by doing less. Because that's the thing is it also comes voodoo. Less hawk's nest to do more crow's nest. Less making videos for the hawk's nest to do more crow's nest. So if it's going to come at that sacrifice, there's got to be something on the other end of it for me on that, at least is enjoying what I'm doing with it. And it's really hard to watch these baseball games in the manner by which they play. BZ, Ayomama Uzaruki, who Denver used our fourth round pick in the Rust trade, has been suspended. He can petition for restatement in one year, so that's fun. Ooh, that's tough. Did he get the... Uh, was he out there gambling? Was he gambling again? Yeah, I don't think McGuire was a nobody. I mean, he's a first-round pick. He was damn good. He was Mark McGuire's brother. That's true. Jacob says, if Adams comes back, we're going to take bets on when he gets injured again? No, because we're going to be hopeful he can hold up. We want to put that energy out there. We want to put that energy out there. No way. Fish faces Shelby Harris reunited with Draymond Jones. Could be deadly. Good. I'm not against it, man. He would help us. He would definitely help us. Gibson, I like Charbonnet's versatility at running back. He's a good receiver as well. Chip Kelly, who coached him at UCLA compared to Matt Forte. I think that's the best comp. Gibson says, I just made that comment. Kudo. <laughs> there we go, man. Hey, great minds think alike sometimes. Great comparison. Nick Guzman, we could have uh, we could have even got a solid mid-round pick for Neil at the deadline if Adams came back and was anything like his old self. To me, there was no reason to make that move. Yeah, I mean, I it's I can get the the there is a reason to make it. Um, there's not a place that looked like you had an opening there for for Ryan Neal to get back on the field at that point. And remember with this too, some of this could be driven by Ryan Neal in this situation. Did Ryan Neal look at Jamal Adams starting out of him? Did he look at Julian Love then as the backup and then look at himself as a third stringer going into a final year of his deal, which would dictate what he's going to get in free agency? And did he look at Seahawks management and say, yeah, I want to sit on the bench for that all year. I want to see my value completely depressed for next year's free agent period. Or, hey, you guys obviously don't have a plan here for me. You've signed Julian Love, so I'm not even here as a backup anymore. How about you guys do right by me and just release me on my contract so I can go get paid or at least get put into a position where I can go flourish somewhere to then go earn that big market money deal the next year after that. I, we don't know whether or not that does a part. I would guess that there's a bit of that in there. And um, yeah, I, that would be my guess. So I, I, I get the people that like Neil. I liked him too, but the Julian Love thing made it redundant to hold on to Neil at that point. It, it made it, it made it a spot to where if that's the intention is to go get Neil and bring him in, then you don't really need Neil's Ryan. Neil's got no place of making, uh, going out and playing on the field. Uh, Jose Lopez, Zach reminds me of Austin Eckler. Ooh, Austin might be a little bit better of a pass catcher, but I think that Zach's more of a better runner between the tackles, but there's some similarities there. 
Uh, Kirk says, I was, I'm surprised no one's talking about Kenny McIntosh. Dude was very good in college, and he has underrated hands in the pass game. He's great, man. Yeah, I think they could really find a form-fitted role for him. Fly sweep guy, bubble screen guy, third down back. I think he could provide you some good value with that. I do. Mr. Thick, would Witherspoon's aggressiveness draw more flags in the NFL than in college? He's got to clean it up, Mr. Thick. It's the part of his game that needs to be, that needs to be kind of start to, he's got to address. Because you definitely get away with that a lot more in college than you do with the pros. But sometimes they let it, those guys at the college that did it get away with the pros. And they're letting Sauce get away with it. That's for sure. But I don't think they're going to give Sauce, I don't think they're going to give Witherspoon the same length uh, to work with in that respect that they did uh, with Witherspoon that they did with Sauce. So he's got to fix it. That's, up, that's one of the main things for him to clean up. Get better at zone and get less handsy um, are probably two of the things that are at the forefront of what Witherspoon has to work on from day one. Leon Thatch, I know we got a bunch of great safeties on this team. Is it a stretch to say Julian Love is the best of them all? I, I guess the question to be answered to a degree, Leon, would be, you know, depends on, I guess, what our metric is. All three of these safeties kind of do different things. Um, Julian Love's versatility certainly helps him to add extra value on top when he can play slot, he can play free safety, he can play strong safety. Um, he was top 25 last year in tackles. I, I think Adams is still your most talented. Um, I think Quandre Diggs is your best playmaker at taking the ball away, and then this is your most versatile. So it's hard delineating at that point because there's just such differences that they bring to the table. But Julian's an underrated signing, underrated player, and what Seattle was able to bring him in and what he's going to be able to do for us. And Dea Tellagiri came, McIntosh is the perfect replacement for Homer. The guy's got, uh, be a great, great third down back in here. Um, just get the ball in his hands, let him work. Larry Bird, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, hoping for another good year and growth for the channel. Well, thank you, Larry. We're having, we're already on track with the, with what we've done with free agency, what we've done with the, uh, with the draft. And then everything on the other back end of the draft, you know, the, the goal this year was to get to 15,000 subscribers. We're going to easily, I think, by the start of the year, get right around 13,000, which means we're a mere 2,000 away throughout the course of the year. I don't think there's any problem with us hitting that mark over this year. So the growth has been great, consistent, even increasing more and more by the year. Uh, I couldn't ask for more. I'm really happy with where we're at on, uh, on the growth front of things and a lot of things to, to hopefully even go past maybe that mark. Maybe we can shoot past 15,000 this year, man. I'm hoping so. Thank you for the donation, though. Nitro Ox says, you might not want to do that. I think it's a Jets fans. Uh, I think if a Jets fan doesn't assassinate you, Sauce will do it himself. <laughs> Sauce putting me on blast at that point. I can see him doing it. I can see him doing it. I just, I, I get, he gets so much hype at this point. It's, it's just about driven me to have to go make that video, I think. And it'd be fun to make because I could find so many clips of Sauce just holding on for dear life like he's clinging to a buoy in the ocean when he's in coverage. Nick, uh, I like Charbonnet, but... He is there to be a compliment to K9. Agreed. Some Seahawks fans think he's going to be used more than he really is. Agreed. Yeah. A lot of folks have thought that he's going to potentially even come in here and take over for Walker or something. That's not going to be the case. Walker is going to be your bell cow guy. Still get, you'll find some touches for Charbonnet. He'll be worked in, but he'll be worked in, not centerpieced. Logan, another day a Jets fan was trying to defend Sauce on holding. Not even three minutes later, a video of Wilson toasting Sauce on a route. You could see a few quick frames of sauce grabbing on for dear life. It's every clip with him, man, Logan. I don't, it's not an overstatement from my standpoint where, you know, as I've nicknamed him, he's the handsy Ramsey, you know, or as May says, the AK grabby McGrabby. 
I mean, he's that's every clip you watch of the guy. He's just in there holding on for dear life. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it with a player get that kind of reputation to get away with that right from the jump. It's one thing if the guy's like been in the league for four or five years and he's he got his pelts on the wall. He's got 25 picks to his career. It's, it's like, well, his rep is going to carry a little bit here, but yeah. Uh, DA tells us, what if Daryl Taylor gets 15 sacks this year? Oh, that'd be amazing for the Seahawks standpoint of it. I mean, you've got the guy then at, at his best value in his whole career. Um, and that that's, there's going to be, you know, if you want to hold on him, you hold on him and sign him to extension at that point. Or if you put him out on the market as a trade commodity, his commodity is never higher. You're not going to, you're never going to get more returns for him than coming on the back of that kind of season. So it'd be nothing but good for us, even with our stack of edges. Allen says, Brandon agreed. Well said Bronco fans should have been way more appreciative. That's it. I give you a hall of fame quarterback. You don't come back to me and say, nah, nah, nah. We just ripped you off. You're such a fool. You're so foolish. A fool and his Hall of Fame quarterback will soonly be separated. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, they went deep. They went deep. And, uh, you know, they paid the price. Subs got K9 at 60%. I might go 65, 70. But that's fair. It's right around the right, same part. Guzman's got, yeah, K9, 60, Charbonnet, 30, Macintosh, 10. That's right. That looks right. Nick, great minds think alike. You better believe it, brother. Uh, Wade Richards, uh, coming out of college, people thought Devin Bush was going to be an elite linebacker. You think he reaches that potential now that he's in Seattle's system? He's in a little bit of a different system than what he's been prior, Wade. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I'm not sure that he does, though. Um, I really didn't like the Steelers taking him in the top 10 when they took him as far as where his talent was and, and him being really a, truly a guy that was worthy of being a top 10 pick. If you're going to take a top 10 linebacker like that, you want a guy like a Devin White that's just a physical powerhouse, you know, that, that pops off the tape and you can see it. I, I watch Devin's tape and I just don't see him really popping much. He'll go make a play, he'll go do some stuff, but Steeler fans weren't upset to move on from him. Um, I think Seahawks, with the money they gave him, are doing more of a flyer on him than anything else. He's insurance there for Brooks as much as anything else. But once Brooks gets back to full health weight, I think that he's going to end up taking the spot over Devin. Not that Brooks is so awesome, but just because I think Devin kind of is what he is a little bit. Uh, Logan Simpkins, did the chat get nuked? Most of the messages are gone? I don't know. I, I don't think it's clicking out on my messages. If it did, If it did click your messages, we had some weird stuff today with the the chat on, uh, I think YouTube's having some weird chat issues today, Logan. We've had a couple of these pop in and out a bit. So I think I've caught everybody's, but if I miss your question or whatnot, definitely do post it through if we're having those kind of issues popping up a bit. Uh, Sup says, I think Seattle and Seattle, I think Seattle and Bobby make Bush a great gamble on tapping that potential. I like the gamble of it, Sup. It's one of those low risk, high reward moves where if you can tap into it, you're paid cheap amount of money to have them do it. And it's maybe possible. If I'm going to make the prediction for it to happen, though, I do want to have something I'm backing that with. And even last year, he's not coming off a very, very good year, even a full year removed from that torn ACL that he suffered a little bit early on in his career. D-Nugget says, KJ Wright's podcast on YouTube has been fire. We can do a show just on those. Been calling out Russ. Yes, he has. It's, it's been growing, too, on the call out of Russ. It started out real subtle, and, and you had to kind of just be really listening carefully to hear some of what was being talked on. But then it's, you know, by the last one, he was talking with Golden and he's like, yeah, Russ has got a lot of stuff to apologize for. <laughs> like, oh, Lordy. But uh, KJ's been doing great stuff. His channel's been just awesome. Awesome. 
Dantel says running back market is because of skill gap. The best running back in the league is only marginally better than some guy in the next draft, unlike other positions where the money justifies the gap in skill. I think that there's a part of it there that's that day. I, I think the injury side of it factors in. I think the length of careers factors in. I think just the, the general fluctuation of the position from a health standpoint factors in. So I think there's a lot that's brought teams to the conclusion of where they've, 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 they've gone with these running backs. But I think they're correct in their conclusion too. David Pugh with a $5 donation. Thank you, David. Appreciate the dono. Does Imagine coming to someone's stream just to call them a Fairweather fan just for attention? Yikes. Anyways, have a good night, guys. Much love. Uh, thank you, David. Yeah, I'm trying not to take too much offense by saying something like that. And I'm, I, I'm only going to hope here with Voodoo that it's a matter of just, you hadn't heard me talk about this prior on this, but you know, I, I, I don't like this whole thing that nobody gets held accountable thing. That's a big part of what I've done on this channel since day one. If I've got an issue that I see from this team, I bring it up and I, I, we hold accountable. And if they do things great, I celebrate it and say, look at how smart and, and awesome the team is being in this respect. And if I've got a team I'm covering the Mariners like they are, that there's some things that are done smart, but there's the stupid things that they do for the this time of period. And you got 162 games in baseball. I got to sit down for three hours and watch 162 games, the majority of which will be bad baseball. And even the ones where you win, it's not necessarily going to be very entertaining baseball. That's, that's where I come down to and go, no, you're not going to ask me of that for 40 years. You can ask me that for 20 years, but when I get closer to the 40-year period, you're going to have to start to earn a little bit of my viewership. You're going to have to give me a three, four-year run of being better than average. And then maybe you can start to kind of call, bring me in. But I reached my frustration boiling point this year with the Mariners. You went through this offseason, decide not to spend any money. You brought in a lot of hitters that were, that were real mid-hitters, knowing that this was an issue. You've constructed a lineup with home run hitters in the most vacuous park in baseball in the way it plays. It's just stuff being done stupid. And then on top of it, you're the most profitable team in baseball, but you don't want to spend money. Run, run, me, run, run by me why I should deal with that as a fan. Most profitable of any team in the sport and you still won't spend money? No. No. Logan says, I've tried to watch baseball, but just couldn't get invested. Just it's too slow paced. I enjoyed playing it as a kid, just can't watch. Got a little bit better this year, Logan, with some of the pitch clocks and some of that sped up some of the stuff a little bit, which is, I think, great moves by Major League Baseball in that respect of things. But it is a sport that does move really, really slowly. And it's all the much more slowly when it's being played poorly. And it's, it, is it was tough for me this year to get into it. I was hyped to do 80 games, but I, I quickly got to the spot where I'm just like, come on, guys. You're swinging the pitches five inches out of the zone. And then on, when you're not striking out, you're just hitting it up weakly up in the air on, the, on this pitch you're swinging at five inches out of the zone. I know pitchers are harder to hit. I know league-wide that the analytics have pushed more for home runs or nothing, but you guys have taken it to an extreme degree with this team. I mean, at one point this year, what, we have four of the top five hitters and strikeouts in the entire Major League Baseball. That's extreme. That's not just like, well, it's a bit of an issue. It's like, no, that's an incredible issue, and you're not dealing with it. You're not looking to find any answers. We're about to head through the trade deadline in baseball. They've done nothing. I will be doing a video on the Mariner Channel, and it'll be about the fact you need to throw more money at Shohei Otani than anybody else in Major League Baseball this offseason. Anybody else? David, thank you for the love, man. I appreciate you so much, and you have yourself a great night, man. Thank you for that. Don't know. Appreciate your thoughts on that, too. Definitely not a fair weather fan of Mariner comes. I love my Mariners, but... I need some goodwill brought back here from their side. They need to meet me halfway. Gibson, with the Mariners, I think a big key is we haven't had a good GM since Gillick, and that was 20 years ago. 
Agreed. That was the last time you had a really good one. I think DePoto has shown that he can be a good general manager at developing talent, but spending money, uh, great at trades, uh, a cognizant philosophy in the way that you're building your team rather than, yeah, just trust the process, throw young guys out there, see what happens. It doesn't, doesn't seem very well thought through. That's for sure. E-boy, thanks for reminding me that. Please do hit that like button if you haven't already. It does help out the channel. Helps me tremendously. Dayatelis' thoughts on Ioannidis? He's okay. I think he's still out there on the open market. I, uh, he's okay. I think I would prefer Shelby Harris. His familiarity with the scheme and a little bit more if you know what you're getting. Ioannidis is kind of just a guy to me a little bit. Just a guy. Who's the best college? D-Boy says, who's the best college? I don't know who the best college is. To go to school or for football? What do you mean, D-Boy? D-Nugget in the house. What's up, D-Nugget? Mr. Isaac, wow, you're still going? We're still going, man. Uh, Mr. Unlimited, we're loaded with three wide receivers, three tight ends, three running backs. How do we get all of these weapons on the field? I think that you just commit, Mr. Unlimited, to doing two different things. Um, one, you're going to be a very multifaceted offense that's going to be able to run a lot of different looks at defenses that they don't necessarily get to prepare for just one personnel package that we know they're, we're going to lean into 24-7. I think you're also, on the other side of it, opened up to be able to attack the weaknesses of the defense. So more than it being allotted, like we're going to run three wide receivers 30% and two tight ends 20% and you know four wide receivers 5%. And Rather than it being that, it's more of who's the opponent you're going up to on a given week. What are they weak at? Is this opponent weak in base defense? Well, let's go with more three tight end sets. Do they have a linebacker that struggles in coverage? Maybe to more of the two tight end sets. Get those linebackers, uh, you know, locked in. Um, do they suck with their slot, their slot receiver, their slot corner? You know, when they go into nickel, their slot corner is he a problem for them? Is he an issue? Is he something you can attack? So you look at every week with this kind of loaded up loaded up level of talent as you have on the offensive side of the ball of how do we attack where they are weak rather than we're just going to do what we do. Let's go after their weakness. Let's go after their vulnerability. Let's attack that underbelly. And we have the, we have the, the tools to get it done. So I think that's where you go. And then it's an ever fluctuating thing week by week. Dean says, Brando needs to get paid. That's Skrillex, the cabbage fat stacks. Yeah. He worked too hard. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta make my, I gotta make enough to make my, get some money. It's been just tough on the, I did the IT side stuff and I dialed some of it back to put more concentration on the channel, but it's also been just the reality of the pandemic. You know, just some of the side work and some of the businesses out there. I've had clients that had businesses that closed up and it killed them off on that. So it's just been a little bit tough on that side of it. But luckily the channel's kicking butt. So it's all good. Logan uh, says Sherman was smart with his hands. He'd put his hands on you without grabbing you. He'd fight you without interfering. Sauce straight up grabs your jersey, gripping that thing like it owes him money. Uh, that's very true. And yeah, Sherman was a little bit more subtle about it. He's a little bit smarter about it. He understood what was the line, how far he could take it up to. Sauce is just kind of overt, and the officials are giving him the benefit of the doubt on the other side of it. Uh, Mr. Isaac says, you the man, B. Thank you, Mr. Isaac. You're the man. Megan says, okay, 12's got the Zorn jersey power on to annoy B. Off to get CT scan done. With, wish me good luck. Good luck, Megan. Have a nice, safe scan. Uh, Roma podcast. Yo, Brandon, I don't know if the last message got last in the chat, but I'll just repeat. Please check your Discord DMs when you get a moment. Uh, I want to set a fantasy draft date on a day you aren't streaming. Thank you. Uh, yes, I saw your deal on that. 
I believe. Um, I think you're good, man. The, the days you put out there, I looked up and I don't think I saw any, any problem with them. So, um, let, me look, let me look right now here. Sorry about the lack of response. It's just been busy. Um, you should be good on, on wherever you're looking to pick. Let me see here, 27th, so 27th of August is Sunday. So, you know, we can do it on Sunday, the 27th, but then I would want to do it before five o'clock standard time. So we do it like two or three if we did it on that. Um, either one of those works as far as Sunday goes for me, um, uh, Rumbler, but I do want to make sure that we're done by the time five o'clock rolls around because we're going to want to keep the live schedule going on those days. So we can schedule that day, just not evening if possible. Or we can schedule at five and I can just live stream the, the fantasy uh, picks. Logan says, uh, running backs that you can justify paying are guys like McCaffrey, Henry, Chubb. Running backs are the most versatile offensive position. Uh, CMC can be the entire offense. Henry can uh, control the games. Uh, pace is Chubb. I agree with you. Those guys are probably a bit of a cut above of where they're standing right now and certainly deserving of paydays. Henry's still been able to be pretty productive even after he signed his contract. McCaffrey's getting in through, I think, about the last year of his deal. And Chubb's not going anywhere from Cleveland anytime soon. Speaks to it, I think, when you are running back, and teams keep you under that contract on the team and let you get through the full, full part. That, that itself is, speaks volumes to how good you are and how valuable you are at the position because it's so easy to cut away. Barry says Otani's going to get that Christian Ronaldo money, and I'd give it to him. I'd give it to him. I want my team to give me an olive branch. Give me the Otani olive branch. Overpay for him. And Jesus, I saw you pay overpay for a Robinson Cano back in the day on a stupid ass contract. If you're going to do something as dumb as that, at least with Otani, you get the two for one. I think with Otani, he's still younger than where Robinson was when you signed him at that point. But throw all the money at him. All of it. D-Boy, Brandon, uh, why do you think I haven't been asking you about doing anything about the M's? Because uh, we've been mid at best. There's nothing to talk about when it comes to the M's. You captured it well, D-Boy. I mean, that's, you can see it. I can see it. Um, I'm still watching them. I'm still paying attention to them. It's not that I just stopped, like, but if I'm going to stream and I'm going to, like, cover the team, you know, I, I'm going to struggle with covering a team that I, I disagree so thoroughly with what they're doing at times and how they're doing it. And they, there's not they're going to be bad for the intermediate future. But if this ownership doesn't commit to spending money, and it's going to just be this, well, trust the process crap. You know, that's good for a well in time. You can get me to trust and buy into the youth movement and all that for a certain amount of time. But there does come a point where, all right, when's the rubber meet in the road here? How much do we have to be patient? You know, how long at one point in time are you going to take advantage of the profits that you're making? And not small profits, the most profitable team in baseball. And they're going to be again, once again, this year, D-Boy, partly because we stack that house no matter whether they win or lose but also because you're not spending what? Your, your bottom 30%, bottom 40% in Major League Baseball as far as, this, as far as your salary, as far as what you're paying your team. It's hard to compete when you're in that spot, man. Especially in baseball. If you're going to pay far below what the others are going to pay, it's tough to compete. And baseball's got kind of that soft cap where it's like a luxury tax. But I don't mind any people asking. I don't mind asking about, about the team, but I don't think anybody's fair weather at this point if you're not in on what the Mims are doing. 
JT, uh, running backs got it bad. The league has pushed to make it a passing game. And with the 17 games, it's nearly impossible to stay healthy. Good backs only last five years or so. So teams aren't willing to overinvest. You capture it well, JT. And I think the way you describe it, there's no, there's no um, animosity from, from owners, you know, in, in paying or, or, or valuing running backs, but they, they're facing the situation for what it is. The extra game, the Thursday night games where you're going to need your backup running back who the, the other running backs probably run on Sunday. So you need a backup. You can go to back to more. The depth is now more valued at that point. And by the depth being more valued, that just pulls more ducats from the, the number one running backs on that side of it. Um, the lo- how long they last, JT. The fact that they're at their most productive on their rookie contract. I mean, the data on that is absolutely startling. You get any, every one of these running backs outside the rookie contract and it's a, it's a hellacious, hellacious run with these guys at that point. And the data is insane. You've got just taking 25 years of data and looking at it. If I'm a general manager, it's telling me a story and I can deny that story, but I'm going against the lay of the land. I'm going against gravity. I'm going against the a river in which way that it runs. I mean, I'm trying to reverse course on that kind of fashion. And I just don't think rather than doing that way, you got to just lean into the reality of the nature of it is what it is. And if the running backs in this league want this fixed, they need to go to their C- the, the, their player association. And on the next CBA, this needs to be put at the forefront. The problem is the NFL players, as much as any players in any association or whatever, you know, a, a union are as personally selfish and greedy as anybody else. And so they're not going to do that. And so then they're going to come back and try to blame the owners like it's on the owners to get this done when it really isn't. It's not their, it's not their circus. It's not, you know, not their issue to have to go at. D-Boy, Brandon, who is the best college quarterback of all time in your opinion? Ooh, great question. Great question. All-time best quarterback? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, D-Boy, that's a really good question. And I feel like I'm, I'm spacing out on what would probably be the very easy answer here for some reason. Or there's, there's like an easy answer and I'm just completely spacing it out. I don't know, D-Boy, I give you a couple names, but I don't know if... I feel strongly of either of them. You got uh, the kid out of Texas, the quarterback out of Texas, who beat USC's teams, Carroll's teams for the national title. He might be a guy you could go to. Andrew Luck would be a guy who I think he came back for his senior year, who uh, had that, a lot of that really good production in how he played. I mean, he didn't put up startling numbers, but put up good numbers, I guess. Michael Vick had a, had a phenomenal college run. I think he would be he'd be probably a guy at Virginia Tech that you'd have to certainly give him his his share of kudos as far as possibly being that guy then. I don't know if there's a sure, sure one answer here, D-Boy. Like you have Tom Brady obviously solves who's the best quarterback of all time. I don't think college football has as much that guy that you can say um, because you have the guys that have maybe the, the wins and the losses or the Heismans. Um, you have the other guys that might have the productivity. Um, some that have the rep with the mystique that, that they sort of carry. But I don't think you get a guy that puts it all three together as just that number one guy. I'm probably probably spacing on someone, but I can't think of anybody necessarily that just 
100% jumps to mind over somebody else. Gibson, there's some, that's something I see as well with our versatility in offense. We should be able to cause problems for every defense we face. It's two things that I want my offensive coordinator to do. Get the most out of your talent, but also put your talent in the proper positions to succeed. And if you're attacking their weakness with what you have to be a strength, and when you have the three tight ends, three wide receivers, four running backs, and a solid offensive line, you've got a lot of places at strength. You're All across the board, you have a strength. But where is their weakness? And analyze that weakness every week. It'll be a bit of what I do, Gibson, when we talk about prepping up and and you know, previewing for these teams this upcoming these upcoming weeks this year, it'll be something very specific to this season where I'll be saying, here's this team, here's what they do weak, here's how they're weak in it, here's how the Seahawks can attack that. And if you see the Seahawks going wrong in this game, if you see us losing this game, it's probably on the back of us not attacking that weakness. And I think it will be as simple as that in a lot of these contests this year at times, because you just have so much more of a talented team than you've had in the past for that to be the case. Connor says, anybody else see the... Uh, Kylian Mbappe, $1.1 billion offer for one year with $800 million in salary. That's pretty insane. Pretty insane. Wu-Tang, damn, missed the mainstream out having dinner. Schneider always looking for a heist. He's out there looking for his next, his next mark, Wu-Tang. We got, it's like Ocean's Eleven. This is Schneider, Schneider, Schneider 12. <laughs> He's trying to find that next heist, man. He's seeing if he can, seeing if he can double up. Got to double up on them heists. Uh, Wu-Tang, thank you for the $20 donation. Wu-Tang, very kind of you on that, man. Thank you so much. Glad you jump in here at the end on that, brother. Appreciate you. He says, what do you think they should do about running backs? I feel like they're getting hosed given it's a vital position. Shift to rotating them, giving them wide receiver style contracts. It's my old position, so I do feel for the Rough Riders. Um, I do feel for them. I know it might not seem like I'm showing a lot of sympathy for the running backs in their current situation. Um, I do have some creative solutions for this. Um, but unfortunately, I don't know if there's any creative solutions right now in the, as we stand right now. It takes the CBA stepping forward here. It takes the, not the CBA, it takes the union stepping forward here, Wu-Tang, and saying, look, we, we've got a problem with, with a, a big part of our membership here is having an issue with getting their value. The rest of our membership, our quarterbacks, they're living on easy street. You know, we need to find a way to go to the rest of our union members and say, there's this one position that's really getting hosed out. We've got to do something for that. That means that we need to come and drive a proposal to the owners. And in that proposal, we're not going to ask for more of a profit margin for them because they're not going to get to that when we already have a signed CBA. What we're going to say is that we want in the CBA an amendment, amendment in order to have the running backs be able to take some of that salary away from maybe some of the other guys in some creative fashion or another. Um, maybe it's a fund that is collectively put together um, by the players association that everybody kind of chips into where then it's a performance-based thing that running backs get then at the end of the year and whoever does the best gets the, gets the, a little bit of extra money on top of what they make from a base salary standpoint. And maybe that money doesn't count against the cap. Um, you know, maybe you find ways like that, that it, or it counts against the cap, I guess, but um, you're getting them more money. You're getting with that pool of money a way to find a, to get them more money. There's some downsides to even do it this way because then you have owners now avoiding getting a running back in a position they're going to get the bonus, but that's this is why there's no real easy answers here to this. Um, I think another thing that's underrated that's going to set the stage here for some success on this that, that might help to resolve it in its own its own way, um, Utang, is the NIL. The NIL money now coming into these college players is going to be paying those guys that are going to have the impact. Like I don't think running backs are going to be as devalued through the NIL money as they're being devalued at the pro level. 
So if now I have a running back who can go into college and go make three, four, five million dollars over a four-year college run and have that be a millionaire before he even walks onto a football field, um, might be a way to kind of offset some of this in a way without having to take any real strong steps. And that will help them. But I don't think that you can just ask owners to come out of pocket for this and foot this bill. They're paying, if they're paying the Players Association 48% of the profit, I don't think you come to them and say, okay, now you need to pay us 48.5 just because the running backs aren't getting a good deal. Um, I think the Players Association has to step forward at the forefront of this one and, and, and be a little bit more understanding that they don't just serve quarterbacks on the CBA or the star players on a CBA. You serve everybody. And if, if the biggest contingent like this being the running backs are at a point where they're getting paid less on average than kickers are, you've, you've probably reached a point where you've got to do something about it. Um, but it isn't easy, man, because the players aren't going to want to give up any money, right, Wu-Tang? I mean, if you're a linebacker and they're telling you now, like, we're going to come at and take, you know, 0.5% of your salary and pull that into the fund that goes to everybody else, you know, who's signing up for that? Who's signing off for that? I get I, I, 95, 97% of the players would be like, running backs can go pound sand. They ain't taking my money. They ain't taking my cash. So I, I, I do think it comes back, you know, with that. But it's, uh, it, it's a tough situation. There is no easy answers on it, man. I, feel, I do feel bad for him. You're right, it's a vital position. And I've been as pro running back as you'll find out there, Wu-Tang. You know, I'm not one of those devalued guys that's like, well, just take a guy in the fourth round onwards, never pay him, just draft a whole bunch of those guys every year. No, I think that there's difference makers. There's guys that can help to pick up an offensive line that can that can draw the attention away on defense from your receivers and your passing game. And uh, when you have those kind of guys, that's worth a certain amount of value. But the some of the some of the the proposed solutions here are just not viable and not realistic. And um, it's going to have to be fixed at the union level here, which means that this means it's probably Wu Tang going to take a couple of years. Um, to try to get resolution. I've heard some crazy stuff like every running back in the league next off season will announce they're not going to go to OTAs, you know, to try to send a message. It's like, no, it's just not going to work. You know, it's not going to work. It doesn't mean I don't feel bad for them. I do feel a ton of sympathy, man. It's a, they take the most beating of anybody in the sport. Their careers are the shortest and they're the hardest to get paid. How do you not have sympathy for them on that? You know, how do you not? Everything 12, Therama. When will you and Brendan stream again? Those streams always make my day. We are going to be kicking it up, I believe, on next Thursday. So I think we're going on uh, next Thursday on the 3rd. Yep. I think we'll be 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Uh, and I think we're on my side of things next week. So uh, we'll be linking back up at that point, kicking it off. And then we're going to be going strong, I think, I think just about twice a day throughout the course of this, twice a week, I think, through the course of the season. So we're getting back into it. We'll get, we'll get it back kicked up a notch. I'm glad you like it though, man. Appreciate you for watching on that. Thank you so much, Wu-Tang, for that $20 dono, man. Your, your running back brethren will eventually be made right. Somehow. Logan says, if Henry continues to be a dominant, how is his situation going to work? 30-year-old running backs, the 30-year-old running back that teams won't pay. These running backs might end up retiring after the second contract because of the fuss. Yeah, I mean, what, what would be Henry if he was on the market right now? You know, if, if the Titans just released him immediately right now at the moment, what's his market? 
you know, where people are at. If he goes another through another year this year with Tennessee, another year of wear and tear. He's now up to probably darn near, if you include his Alabama career, 3,000 touches for his career. You know, is anybody willing to give him anything more than a couple million a year because of just simply the risk, even if he is playing prime time, even if he's looking very much almost vintage like Henry? It's a good question, Logan, and one I don't have an answer to, but I would tend to lean to teams being very risk adverse at that point at his age with all of the mileage that he's taken off because they have all of that data to go back on. It's like, what do you, what do you want to lean on? Do you lean on all this data that takes into account 25 years of football and freaking what, 10,000 running backs that have played? Or do you just go, well, this one guy's different. You know, it's hard to have the guts to say that one guy's different. Even a guy like Henry, who is different, who is so um, much a cut above during this time of his run, who's, you know, been his back for this um, era of football, the best back of this era of football, probably. Mr. Unlimited, how long do you think Pete will realistically coach if he wins a Super Bowl? and he has this great team, does his career last longer? I think it does, Mr. Unlimited. I think that Coach Carroll doesn't want to look necessarily retire anytime soon. He seems uh, just as energetic and uh, vibrant as ever in the press conference today. I've never seen any indication of him looking like he's just about ready to check out. And a lot of these coaches at the end, go take a guy like a, a Tom Landry or uh, even like a Bill Parcells, you could kind of feel a little bit of at the end of, a, of a, an, an exhaustion at play. Just kind of tired of it all. Tired of the stress, tired of the years of doing it, tired of the work that you have to put in. Just kind of wore out. And uh, I don't think that I've gotten ever the sense that Pete's in that position or has gotten to that stage. So I tend to think that you're going to have to rip the whistle off his neck to get him to stop coaching. Sub says elite wide receivers should be paid well, but that doesn't mean all wide receivers should be paid high. A wide receiver three shouldn't be paid what a star running back should be paid. I'm with you on that. It's all, but it of course doesn't all exist in that sort of vacuum. You also, it's the, how does the wide receiver three stay healthier than the, than the top paid running back? Um, that's got to be a part of the process that you're, you're putting into consideration. And if I can trust that this wide receiver three is going to get through the whole course of this contract versus this running back, who's just as likely to go down as soon as he's done signing the deal. Um, it's that, it's that risk aversion nature to this part. That's more than just the, um, you know, reaching the, the value getting the guy, you know, paid for what he's worth. It's that risk part. And so many of these running backs that have been paid, sup, you know, in recent years, we can go through the list that get paid and then they're tremendously injured. They're not the same player they were on that rookie deal. And it's, it's so hardened as a rule. Erickson says, Bobby getting serious on the rooks. Let's up and go. That's, I want, that's what I want from Bobby. I don't want him that stern, a firm hand, but a strong hand. Yeah. Logan, I'd say Pete has two more years left on the schedule. He wants to see this roster out. He knows he has a shot to get one more ring. Agreed. Agreed. I think he'll try to go even longer than that. Big Country says, bro, had the best season. Tim Tebow, Big Country nailed it. Big Country nailed it. Tim Tebow's the best quarterback in, in college football history. And Burrow probably, yeah, Burrow had the best season at LSU. Great answer. Way better than what I came up with. Uh, D-Boy, Brandon, did you know that the M's have the number one sold hat and we've been top three for the past 15 years? Damn. We got some good colors, man. And the other thing too is that, as I say, our this is the part that really annoys me is you have a fan base that is that is supporting this team. That even when it's not at its best, when it's playing mid-baseball mid or, or just hanging in there and playing bad baseball, they still support the team. They still come out to watch the team. 
Now, I can go watch any of the highlights this year of Mariners. They could have a day game in Seattle, and you still see fans all over that stadium in a way that's not there with other major league parks. And it's the part that makes me mad. The fans are doing their part. They're putting in their investment. They're showing you their care. They're showing you that if you can put a winner, I mean, it's like Field of Dreams. If you build it, they are already here. It's like, it'd be like Field of Dreams, but the ghosts are already in the cornfield looking at you. Like, you don't have to, we're here. If you could just make the field for us, we'll start playing. That's, that's where we're at with it, D-Boy. Great point on that, though. Wu-Tang says Joe Burrow's senior year was off the chain. He was un, un, uh, unconscionable. I mean, just so ridiculously good. Mr. Unlimited Drunken Miller. There we go. Peyton Luck, Lawrence. All those are good ones too, Logan. Lawrence, I think, what, won a national title freshman year, if I'm mistaken. Michael Penix, Timmy Chang. <laughs> Some good uh, suggestions. Diego Kusaka says, I'm excited for Tavai. Me too, man. Me too. There was no undrafted rookie free agent that we picked up, Diego, that had better tape, more impressive tape than Jonah Tavai at San Diego State. Used all over that line of scrimmage. He showed off a variety of different skills. He's got some moves. He's got a little spin move. Um, really good at create winning and, and winning the leverage war, which you got you have to if you're a little undersized like he is. But uh, he's a guy I am rooting for because his tape was so much fun to watch coming out. Austin Luthi, thoughts on the classic jerseys? I love them, Austin. I've been saying for years as we were leading up to this moment where they finally unveiled them and, and did them, I was telling all of the younger fans as I was, I was a kid of the 80s, so I remember the jerseys, but I was telling all the young fans for many years here on, on the Hawks Nest that um, you guys are going to want these jerseys full time when you see them. You're going to love these jerseys. You're going to say, why haven't we been rocking these up until this point? What took so long? And can we have it every game? And that, that has been the feedback that I've heard, Austin. So it's put a smile on my face that folks are recognizing it. I just think that they're the perfect colors for the region. They, they set well with the backdrop of the Pacific Northwest. I just wish we could get more than just two games of it, quite frankly. Dara, there needs to be a salary cap on quarterbacks. I agree, Dara. You want to fix the running back position? You want to find where it is that you might have one? If you're if you were the union and you're looking at this and you're going, okay, we've got a problem where we got all these positional groups. We have this one positional group that is getting screwed. It's getting screwed at like 10 different ways from Sunday. We have this other positional group that's making, that's making at the top end of their market twice what anybody else on the next roster is making on every single roster across the sport. You can basically track the quarterback as making double that of what the next guy on the roster is making. This seems to be where the imbalance is occurring. I'm not an expert on this, but that seems to be a bit of where the imbalance is at. So you pull from one a little bit and you add to the other. That's another part that they could do with this, but uh, they haven't. I agree though, Dara, they should. Quarterbacks make way too much money as it stands right now. And it's not only bad for the sport, it's not bad that that seems to be have robbed a little bit from the, the running back position to a degree, but it's also been bad because it's created this diva mentality in quarterbacks where they on this 55-man roster with the 16 practice squad players have suddenly come to a conclusion at times that they're the, they're the show. They're the Superman. They're the one that this is all about and everybody else is just sort of background fodder. They're the main character. Ugh, I hate that mentality, but it's it also has been one that has proliferated the NFL now that, that these salaries have gone to the crazy marks that they have. SD Bricks says Boyd or Higgins are more valuable than Mixon. I, I think that's that's right. Yeah. I mean, the value is what it is. You know, markets determine this in a lot of ways. Danny says, uh, somewhere I heard about us trading for Bucks Devon White. Is that true or fake? I, the, the one place I saw it coming from was Chat, chat Sports. 
Um, and they're renowned for being on YouTube where they're just going to put together whatever they can for a video that no matter how outlandish or how there is even no connection between a player and a team as far as a trade, they'll put those connections together. Um, and they, I think they're the only ones that I've really seen on anything confirming. Is there some Devin White? And I think all they're trying to do with that, Danny, is put it two to two together. Devin White wants a new contract. The Bucks have not given him that. He's counting $11 million on the cap in the last year of his fifth year option. The Bucks need cap space. So moving Devin White could clear that up to free them up to do some other things, which might be helpful. Um, Seattle need, has a need a bit of linebacker. So I think they're trying to put two and two together as Chad Sports on this one, but it's a possibility. Just haven't heard of any real tangible aspect to those rumors. Grass Daniels, who will last longer in the NFL, Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson? It's actually a pretty good question. It's not as straightforward as I might think on first blush there. I'm going to lean in and say Pete Carroll. I don't buy in that Russell Wilson is going to reclaim his, reclaim some elite status. I don't think Russ has grown the skills that he needs to grow to remain the NFL as a strong, as a, as a really good starting quarterback in this league. And I don't think that if he goes out and has a failed year this year, he's going to have a lot of other starting opportunities after this. I don't know if Russ is going to want to sit for the next four or five years as a backup in this sport with the money that he's made. And if he gets cut from Denver and, and be okay with that, maybe, but I, I would more see Russ at that point, probably being like, all right, I had my run. I did what I did. My game is where it's at. I've got a, he's got all those other interests and stuff out there outside the sport. He wants to go be a politician or president or whatever he wants to be. So go be that at that point, you know? Preston, hey, Brando, looking forward to your collab with Dan on Cam Young. I'm trying to get synced up with Dan Vines over there. So uh, we will get, uh, we'll do a little bit of time, I'm sure, discussing on Cam Young on that. But uh, we've both been kind of busy. I missed one scheduled show on it, which is my bad. Uh, it's been, just been running 24-7 lately. But uh, we'll definitely be collabing up over there for sure, man. Oh, show. JT says, who was the better Seahawks running back? Chris Warren, Derek Fenner, John L. Williams, Chris Carson, or Ricky Waters? Ricky Vanning Uh Chris Henry, Chris Warren was the best of those running backs. Um, followed by probably, uh, I'm going to go John L. Williams, Chris Waters. I'm going to go John, so I'll go, be go this order. Chris Williams, Chris Warren, John L. Williams, Ricky Waters, Chris Carson, Derek Fenner. That'd be my, that'd be my, that'd be my breakdown. Corey Coleman trade for Vita Vea. He's a name often been brought up even on this stream, Corey, a couple times, but there's no chance for you to trade for Vita Vea because of the fact that he just restructured his deal with the Bucks, making it impossible for the Bucks to move him because they have to eat too much dead money. They don't have the salary cap to even eat the dead money from a Vita Vea trade, and they're not even close. So there's no possibility Vita Vea comes to the Seattle Seahawks. Absolutely zero. Jason McEwen, Rick Meyer is the best college quarterback. Jack Maloney says, geez, how are you still live, bro? Damn, I love the dedication. I love what I do, Jack. And it's, uh, it's a lot easier than you think, man, when the chat keeps me rolling like they do and keeps me engaged like they do. Makes it so much easier, man. I got some smart folks in the chat that always keep me on my toes. I love it. Love it. Logan says, Chris Carson will always be my saddest favorite player, quite... Quiet, humble, hardworking man, took a pay cut to remain in Seattle, a ferocious runner in a softer league by the year. 32 was a dude. Uh, absolutely was a great back, fun back to watch, man. They don't get funner or more violent. Even with the, a team that's had a guy like Beast Mode come here, I think Carson was in a lot of respects. Every bit as violent 
as beast mode could be. Um, and it's sad to see how it broke down for him. It really is. You know, he was trying like mad even after he got the hardware in his neck to still train and see if he could get back. Uh, testament to, to, the, to one to still go and play. You know, it's tough. Wu-Tang spread the cap wealth around. If the line doesn't block for the quarterback, if the run isn't established and the defense isn't sound, what is a quarterback? I'm with you, man. I think spreading it out makes a lot more sense. And, and the quarterbacks don't need to be making as much as they're making. It's really silly because the quarterbacks are in here. They have the longest careers, but they make the most money by double. And then, then we have the running backs on the other end who have the shortest careers who make less money by half. It, it's the one that doesn't add up. Even the kicker's making more than the running backs. Like a kicker with their careers, they can play till they're 45. They can be out there smoking cigarettes and still kicking the ball at 44. That's, it, it just doesn't add up. And it does need to be corrected. Wu-Tang says, Pete will die on the sideline, by the way. Dude can't be stopped. I'd, I would more bet on that than anything else. I think, I think you're going to literally have him out there on a given Sunday, and it's like he'll reach for the left side of his chest, his arm will go straight, and that'll be it. <laughs> but that might be 20 years down the line at this point. Uh, retired Canadian says, I think Russ is going to have a bounce back here. He might. I mean, he's been given everything that he wanted as far as he's got playmakers on the outside. He's got Sean Payton as the head coach he wanted. So he's gotten everything he, can, he could want to, to go out there and have that success. Um, my feeling on it comes down to this tired Canadian. It's not trying to throw any shade at Russ, but in watching him closely through the end of his career here in Seattle, there were old man elements to his game that just didn't grow. And they have to grow. If you want to play this league 15, 20 years as a quarterback, you've got to grow the old man elements to your game. You've got to be very smart from the neck up. You've got to be able to process from the neck up. You've got to win from the neck up. Not the neck down, the neck up. And Russ has not yet shown an ability to win from the neck up. And uh, that's the one where I'm a little bit more reticent to believe that he suddenly picks that up at 33 years of old, 33 years of age for the first time. Uh, Logan says if Russ can be a 25 to 30 touchdown, 10 interception quarterback for the next two years, he can salvage his career, but he'll never have those top five quarterback seasons again. He just doesn't have it in him. Nope, he doesn't. He doesn't. And there's a chance I could see him potentially hitting that mark. You know, the Broncos run a heavy power run game, low volume passing attack, a lot of him with play action on bootlegs with real easy reads, and he's outed space away from the line of scrimmage. He might be able to find some success in that. And let's also acknowledge he still does have a pretty good defense there. So it's still possible. I know I'm selling a little bit on that as being a, uh, what I see to have, see have happening, but it's possible. Ron Chandler, anybody see the interview with Pete Carroll last night? He looks more pumped for this team than ever before. That's what I was saying too, Ron. It's, it's like the man's not showing any sort of uh, dialing down on the energy or he's getting, you're feeling his age. Like, man, he looks like an, he looks like an eight-year-old guy out there. You know, we've all seen those guys out there that go out, they're old and they look old and they act old. And you're like, geez, let's not put that guy out there anymore. He looks a little bit, he looks a little bit done. Uh, but Pete's out there and he's, he's engaged. He's in it. Um, he's on top of the details. Um, and it's never been any fluctuation in that. Um, and, and I just think that a guy that has that much passion for still doing what he's doing, it's very hard to say there's any type of point he's coming to, you know, a close. And I, I'm really interested, Ron, to see what he's going to do with this team because he's done so much of his best work in, in recent years past uh, with young teams with teams that people would think were not ready to go, that are going to take a little bit longer to develop. And he's been able to kind of bump them up a little bit faster to reaching their, reaching their height quicker. And maybe he can pull it off here once again. 
SD Brick says Russ's football abilities maxed out during the hot streak in the 2015 regular season season. Sad case of what if. Indeed, I, I think he was able to go as long as he was able to go while he had his lower legs and his scrambling ability and the deep ball. But I think once you lose a step, lose a step and a half, and your arm strength gets lost a little bit, not, not fall off a cliff, but just you lose a, both of those elements and then you don't grow the neck up stuff. This is how we land on a kind of season that Russ had last year, or even the last couple of, you know, midway through the season in 2020 onwards, there was certainly not a really great amount of play from Russell Wilson during that time. He had a couple run game at the end of the, what was it, at the end of the 2021 season um, when he came back from the finger injury, but that was also going up against some really bad opponents, teams that were done that year, Houston and Detroit and Chicago. So it wasn't really a murderer's row of difficult teams he was going through. He's kind of is where he is, you know, and what if, what if is right. Logan says, I didn't realize Russ is turning 35 in November. Jeez, man. Yeah, it's late in the game to kind of pick up these skills. It's like why I have faith, Logan, at times in Geno Smith, because this neck up stuff I'm talking about in Russ, this is what Geno was doing when he left the New York Jets and he waited that 10 long year period to finally become a starter here back in Seattle. What was Geno doing? As I always term it, he was doing the lonely work, the lonely work grinding on tape, becoming a master of reading tape and master of reading defense, master of controlling uh, the line of scrimmage against defenses, getting better at throwing with anticipation, better at going through his reads, better at pre-snap, identifying where the first read needs to go. All of these little details that he, he elevated in his game throughout this time in a way that because Russ was able to always lean back on his athleticism and his speed and his quickness and, and play the position in an unorthodox way that other quarterbacks couldn't, he wasn't growing his game mentally in that way. He could always lean back on the physical, physical gifts that he had. But those gifts eventually do fall away for every player, right about the time you're in your early 30s, or as it has hit Russell Wilson. Um, I'd love to see him. I'd be happy if Russ was able to turn this around. I'm not rooting for him or against him, but if we're going to make, make a prediction on this, that's hard to see. Uh, Nick, I'm curious to see if Russ can actually operate an offense like Sean Payton's. Also, he found out the hard way Sutton and Judy are not DK and Lockett. Boy, did he ever. Those guys have uh, nowhere near kind of the hands that you get from DK and Lockett. Um, Judy's interesting. He's a guy that, that this year seems like he might be finally ready to kind of really tap into the promise of what he was as a first-round pick this upcoming season. But um, he's not going to operate the Peyton offense that Peyton operated with Drew Brees. Drew Brees was a bit of an opposite of Russell Wilson. He never had really the mobility to lean back on, so he had to be really good in the pocket. He had to be good at those neck-up things that I'm kind of dinging a bit of Russ for. Um, and some people I know, by the way, don't like me necessarily talking about Russ. I get a comment every once in a while, like when people ask about it in the chat, I'm going to discuss Russ. So I get the people who are burned out a little bit on Russ and don't want to always go into it with him. But I'm going to, when people ask about Russ, I'm going to discuss it. So, and I'm going to give my honest opinion of it. Um, Russ is not going to be able to operate the Sean Payton offense the way Payton operated it with the Saints. Short passes and slants and all that stuff. They're going to transition into this power-based rushing attack with Russ under center and he's going to be running a lot of rollouts and a lot of play action. And they're going to hope that they're going to be able to pull those defenses up, bring the eight-man boxes up, and then eventually you're going to give Russell hopefully some deep shot situations, which he can still throw relatively well on the back of that. But it's low volume passing and all that stuff, which Sean Payton, except for maybe at the very end with Drew Brees, like the last season or two, was never a low volume passing attack. Um... D-Boy, Brandon, I don't know if you've seen this question or not, if it got lost, but what if the Chiefs are having the worst or one of the worst wide receiver cores in the NFL? How many wins do you give them this year? Um, 
I don't know if they would sit on having the worst wide receiver core, D-Boy, if that turns out to be the case. I think they would make a pretty aggressive trade and find a way to, to fix it to some degree. Um, Mahomes last year took some big-time steps in his processing. Uh, again, let's, let's kind of make this go full circle, D-Boy. We're talking about neck-up stuff. Patrick Mahomes dealt with a lot of the stuff that Russell dealt with um, about two years ago, where teams started to slide into the cover two looks take away the deep passes from Patrick Mahomes and make him prove that he could dink and dunk his way up the field. And it took a long period of time for Mahomes through most of that year to kind of start to transition to more into taking what the defense gave him. Last year, he fully bought into the process. Could have been the loss of Tyreek Hill and he just didn't have that effort. Tyreek's down there somewhere guy anymore to throw to. So it forced him to sit on the short stuff and, and dink and dunk and hit things <laughs> more consistently within the context of a West Coast offense. So he's grown that skill set, D-Boy, and he's going to carry that with him into this year, I would believe. So I, I don't think that there's still not a team that can't still find 10, 11 wins this year. Um, but if they don't have if they don't have Kadarius Tony and they're riding with what they've got for a majority of the season, that is probably the top end of where they hit this year. It will be a factor that does eventually hold them back because they are kind of going a little bit with a bare minimum at the position. They do have two guys that could end up filling this role a little bit, D-Boy, that maybe fix this. Sky Moore, who I was very high on when he came out of college, who had kind of a disappointing year for them last year, is a guy that stands out as he might take some steps forward and it could be a really interesting player. Rasheed Rice was not a guy that I liked in last year's college uh, draft very much, but he was a guy that a lot of people loved for his explosiveness and all of that. Those are two good talents they've added in there. Um, and you can make the argument they just need one of them to step up. So that's also another place that they might be able to find a little bit of help. JT says, better Seahawks wide receiver, Brian Blades, Daryl Jackson, Doug Baldwin, Joey Galloway, Golden Tate. Um, uh, so Brian Blades, Brian Blades was the best of that unit. Doug Baldwin would be probably tied with Joey Galloway. Baldwin has more longevity. Galloway was more flashier um, to begin his career. And then I would go Daryl Jackson, Golden Tate. Tate would be bringing up the last. Jackson actually had a lot of production here during his time. No, bro. How do you feel about the Hawks spending a fifth round pick on slot corner Witherspoon? I'm not sure that slot corner is where he ends out at, at the final point of his career. No, bro. Um, I think that, that what you could be looking to utilize him with and putting him in the slot in this first year is that you have a very stacked corner room and you're trying to put out, when you go to, when you go to nickel, when you go to nickel defense, you're trying to bring out the three best cornerbacks that you can bring out onto the football field. So rather than slotting one guy into one spot because he's drafted in this particular place, you say, how do we get our crew of our best three guys, three, three best corners on the field when we go nickel? And that very well may be the case of having Witherspoon in on the slot to make that happen. But long-term, I do believe he's going to be a guy that's going to fit very well on the outside. You just happen to have drafted him in a year where you're really stacked up at cornerback. You know, no bro, what you want to do in drafts is you draft for value. You, you got to pick one or the other. I don't believe in this BS. You can go right down the middle of the lane and you can pick perfectly right down, right down the middle lane where it's, it's a perfect mix between value and need. You got to pick a philosophy if you're going to draft as a team. Are you going to draft for value or are you going to draft for need? And if you come up to that fifth round pick and the best guy on your board is Devin Witherspoon, that's the best value on your board. Go for the best value in my opinion. I don't want to draft for need. Because I think drafting for needs what's gotten this team no bro and problematicville from 2015 to 2020. Why you drafted so bad is it was heavily, heavily steered towards drafting for need. So I don't want to draft and look at Witherspoon and go, well, how's our corner position though right now? Do we, I mean, do we really need him in our corner? No, 
Is he the number one guy on your board when you're picking? That's value. And I'm always going to lean towards saying value first and foremost. John Stilwell, thank you for the $20 donation. John, you killed it this, this stream. You always kill it every stream, man. But I mean, you might, over $100, you gifted out like 20 subs. John is, uh, John's the true MVP tonight, folks. Who do you think has been the best safety in Hawks history? Uh, very, very easy answer for me on this, John. And I think, in fact, if I was to give you a one-two punch on this one, I think it would surprise people pretty considerably about who my one-two punch is. My number one best safety in Seahawks history is Kenny Easley. He could play free safety. He could play strong safety. He was great against the run. He had insane, incredible ball skills. You could ask him to be a punt returner, and he would be awesome at that. He was also a, a, an incredible hitter. He brought everything to the position you could want. Everything to the position you could want. And, and I, I believe he is in the Hall of Fame at this point, um, if I'm not mistaken. Make sure I'm right on this. I'll make sure I'm right. Yeah, Pro Football Hall of Fame, 2017. Uh, Well-deserving of it. Um, to me, Kenny Easley is far and away the best. Um, he played in the early to mid, mid-80s, which is why people just can't don't remember him as much at this point. But he was fantastic. My number two guy is Eugene Robinson, John. So I still don't get to Earl Thomas. Um, and I know there's going to be names of Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, but you, you got young guys. That go, go watching Kenny Easley, Eugene Robinson. Dudes were different. These are different. Eugene was a pure free safety, but an absolute ball hawk. Um, more interceptions than Earl Thomas had in his career. I think he played a longer time in Seattle in his career to Juju Gene. He was a leader on that defense as well, including that 92 defense that was truly, truly special. Um, I'd, I'd end up landing at Earl as number three after that, but those two guys would be my first two guys I'd go to before I got to the LOB guys. Logan says, Judy has always had the talent, but has never been able to put it together. A complete season, injuries, quarterback play, et cetera. Don't forget Logan hands. Don't forget the dropsies. Because that's also been a problem with Mr. Judy is he gets open, but he just doesn't seal the deal. It's the old million dollar move with a 10 cent finish. And uh, you're right about those other two parts. Injuries and quarterback play have been a part of it too. But he's got to, uh, he's got to get the hands locked in a bit, a bit better. JT's with me on the easily. There we go. And John, thank you for the $20 don't know, man. Appreciate you, brother. Nick says, it, it makes me really sad what happened to E.T. the past last few years. He's an all-time great safety. Very good player, man. Um, I love Earl Thomas, man. I do. I don't want to seem like I'm not giving him his, his flowers for what he did and, and what he was. You know, he was a single high safety that could play cover too. There's not been too many of those type of safeties that have ever existed in this sport, if any. Um, part of... Part of a part of a legendary defense, no doubt about that. And it's sad that it. Uh, it's really sad too. Is it? It may be the thing with him having those last few years cut away that that's the thing that keeps him from getting to the Hall of Fame. It could end up being the thing, especially with some of the reputation issues that might carry into this a bit. Nick says easily. Easily would be second for me, then Cam. I will say I'm biased. Born in '95, didn't see Easily live. Can't fault you for that, Nick. It's it's hard if you haven't seen him live. It's hard if if. You know, they were way before your time. You know, it'd be like me trying to go and look at guys in the early 70s or the, or the mid 60s and, and put them up against, you know, the guys I had in the 80s or 90s that I look at it with that. So I, I get that totally. I get that totally. Kenny was just a different dude. He was just that he could do everything. You could play free safety or strong safety. There was nothing he couldn't do on a football field. He had the size. 
He wasn't undersized. He was big. He's fast. He was quick. He hit like a train. And he was just unbelievable. I'd probably, you and I like your, I like your list with Earl Easley, Hamlin, Cam. I like you got a Hamlin in there. Hamlin would probably be, we can't, we can't shade out Daryl Williams though. We can't figure, we cannot shade out Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams, another guy might've led, and you're talking about the Cam Chancellor hit. You can make an argument for one of the hardest hits ever in Seahawks history is Daryl Williams on a poor Raider tight end. I mean, he literally at time, I thought he had decapitated him when I watched it live. Like he just killed that man. But uh, yeah, I mean, he played here from 99, from uh, 96 to 99. So I guess he only had a four-year career here. But Williams had, had his first year in Seattle, five picks, then eight interceptions, then three, then four. He had a little run there too. Hamlin was a hitter though. John, in the game against Miami, easily put all three starting receivers out of the game for a period of time. That's the thing, the, the hitting can't be undersold with Easley. He's a guy that, if you look at the stats, you go, oh, he's probably just a ball hawk. He had a lot of interceptions. One, I think, two-year period, he had 17 interceptions in a two-year period at one point. But he could hit. Uh, there's, and I've got a video I'm putting together eventually would be like the hardest hits in Seahawks history. And Easley's going to have a couple of those on there. I mean, he, he would lay the wood. Fun, just still a fun player to go back and watch. Youngsters ever did get a chance to see Easley. Go back and watch some of those old games. Check him out because you still will see how he stands out on the football field and the way he played. Why do I says Kenny Easley is, is the best safety Seattle has ever had? Yes, he was better than Cam and Earl. He was just that good, man. Just that good. Nick says Sky Moore and Justin Ross are going to surprise some people this year. I can see it. I love Sky Moore, Nick. I, I, I did like him as one of the my favorite wide receivers coming out. And I thought his pairing with Patrick Mahomes was going to actually bring a lot more fruits for him last year than it did. And Justin Ross is, of course, the guy that is super, super highly talented, but had that, that crazy medical issue going on. And if he can get beyond that, he's a guy that has a lot of talent to him. Um, so I, I would love to see um, both those two guys step up. And I think the Chiefs have a lot of confidence in one of these three guys coming to the forefront. Daniel says, I remember every non-Seahawks saying how he was going to be uh, saying how he was going to his best wide receiver core of his career as well as uh, the best O-line of his career. Mass. Now I hear Donkey fans blame Sacks on Russ. It's hilarious and ironic. <laughs> well, it took him a year on that one. It took us a few years to figure it out here in Seattle. But yeah, they, they kept doing the wide receiver cores better. And the offensive line one was hilarious because I tried to warn Ben Bronco fans. I'm like, you're giving a guy that tends to hold the ball longer than any quarterback in the National Football League one of the worst pass-protecting offensive lines in all of football. This does not equate out to success. This is not going to bear out to you You getting over the top with this. It, you could kind of see where the failure could come in there. Not to say I was outright saying it's going to fail, but this is where this could fail. Very easy to see how these two things do not go together well. John says, that Earl made some plays I've never seen anyone make. His ability to cover the football field and cover so much space. You, you have receivers that would throw a nine route it's like the nine route against the Washington Redskins back in 2012, where Brown and Browner looks like he's beat. Robert Griffith's going to throw the nine. He thinks he's got Earl leaning to one side of the field. Earl just gets up on his horse and somehow finds a way to go make the interception. High points the ball to come over, make the interception after covering all the way across the football field to get to the, I mean, those kind of plays from Earl 
the the shoestring interception against uh, the Cowboys or the cha- the Chargers in the game where he had two picks in that game. You know the ball skills that he would bring to play on it too. Um, big time picks at big times moments. The, the you know he'd, he'd have kind of a flair for you know the moment he had the the Rams pick at the end of the game where they're trying to win the game and he makes an interception in the back of the game during the regular season. The pick on Brady where the Patriots about ready to put that 2012 Seahawks team to bed in that game, and you get that pick by Earl Thomas in our own end zone. Um, yeah, he had kind of a flair for the dramatic too, did Earl. Nick uh, Gronk said the hardest hit, hardest, but he ever took was from Earl. That's truly amazing. Oh, it is. Earl got him good too. Earl got him squared up real nice on that play. And it was a clean hit. Clean, clean hit. Logan Mahomes' wipe, uh, yards per attempt went down drastically, but his efficiency was just as great as ever. He can adapt with a lesser roster, take away his star receiver. He'll learn how to use the new guy. Rodgers struggled there. I agree. The fact that you got him to buy in last year and that he had the ultimate success in buying in last year to going and winning a Super Bowl would give me a lot of confidence as a Chiefs fan that Mahomes has got this particular issue solved. And he had to deal with it in the same way that Russ was facing it a couple of years ago, where teams were like, no, we're going to go to cover two. No more throwing it deep. We're just going to remove it the whole game from you. And if you do throw it deep, we'll take it away. We'll intercept you. We're going to force you to be patient. Uh, Ewan Slow says uh, Earl was far better than Cam, though. I think he was better, yeah. It, it's tough with them because they were so much different things in what they did. One was the ball hawk, one was the center field safety, the other was the enforcer. Why do I? I'm just laughing at these reactionary takes on Witherspoon. It's embracing to see uh, as felt. It's embracing to see as fellow 12 Spoon is locked down cornerback that also plays the run. Dude is a stud and people are stupid. <laughs> oh, people are a little down on him with a holdout, I guess. Maybe a bit. John says, isn't Chris Jones the one who housed the fumble ruski against New England? That sounds right, John. My memory's a little fuzzy on it, but it sounds, that sounds correct. Kyle says, I should have taken Carter. We will regret it forever. We might, Kyle. I mean, I don't make no mistake about it. I'll be tracking what Jalen Carter does. I'll be seeing how much of a problem off the field he truly was with all of what we heard, which was, you know, we heard just everything short of him being a serial killer um, from the way people talked about it. We'll see on it. You know, we will see. Cameron Robinson says, you rock, B. I got to go horizontal without the, bop, uh, without the bop. Work calls way too early. Keep pushing positive. Hawks for life. Thank you, Cameron. Appreciate the kind, uh, kind encouragement, man. And uh, thank you for listening and watching. And as you do, I appreciate you. Ewan, uh, Ewan E. Winslow, I don't think Earl or Cam would have been quite the same without the other. I kind of lean to that too. It's this where it's hard to kind of quantif- quantify them one way or the other a bit because they do such different things. Um, and they, had, they did fit to such a certain type of role. He says he hit too many people. He had so many people he had to retire. Cam, that's right. Theron says Spoon is only 185 pounds. He is not going to hit the same in the pros. We'll see on that, man. We'll see. I'll tell you, Theron, the best tackling cornerback of all time, in my opinion, is Antoine Winfield. There's been no cornerback who tackled better, who was more a sure tackler in open field than him. And that man rocked out at 5'8". 5'8". JT says Eugene Robinson was better than Cam Hamlin. I think he was too. Yeah. Uh, Ewan uh, Slow says, no way I would put either before Earl and I watched them all live. It's fair enough, man. It's a preference thing. 
John, we'll all find out if passing on Carter was a good move sooner or later. I think we will too, John. I think this is going to present itself very quickly as to what was the right move to make there with this one. And we'll see. We'll see. I still support the team what they did. I still get why they did what they did. Lawyer Moy was a Seahawk. Pretty damn good and helped groom the LB. He did. He did. He had a good year that final year too. He was an older guy. He couldn't move like he once did, but he was still very violent. He was still fun to really just lock in and watch what he was doing on the field. Uh, Winslow says Earl was one of the best of the era and one of the best defensive players of his era. I think yeah, that's fair enough. Certainly as far as from the free safety position. Wasn't a lot of other free safeties you'd say as good as him during that period. Jacob says, Brando, I meant the tweet about the Niners. If you already talked about it, I probably missed it. Um, I didn't see. It's hard to... I don't use... Okay, so it was uh, 49ers. Oh, there it is. The Niners are hilarious. Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah, when they miss, man, they miss big, don't they? Don't they, Jacob? Like, when they're off, they're off. So conference championship loss, 2022. Conference championship loss, 2021. Fourth place finish, 2020. Conference championship win in 2019. You got third place, fourth place, fourth place, fourth place, fourth place. Conference championship loss, conference championship win, conference championship loss, 2013, 12, and 11. So it's a strange, uh, strange way they got that set up, man. It is. Tyreek Grenade says hardest hit in Seahawks history was Largent on the Broncos guy, Mike Harden. That's probably that's probably a good one there too. I don't know. You go check out that Daryl Williams hit on that that tight end, that uh, tight end the Raiders though. That was is pretty mean. Kyle says the real question is Earl Sherm or B Wags impossible to rank them. It, then it comes down to this is really Kyle a preference thing when you talk about it. We all got our own individual preferences a little bit with it. I don't think that there's a consensus on this one. No, bro, did you repeat saying Jay Reed is starting the nose tackle for the Hawks? Laughing out loud. I don't think he watched the film. Um, did you hear? Did, I did. Uh, I did hear him say. I, I think they're committing to doing that. Um, he was a one tech back in college originally, no, bro. You know, we eventually moved him to three tech, but his origins are as a one tech. That's. Coming out, you're drafting a run-stuffing one-tech in Jaron Reed who could give you some marginal pass rush from time to time. That guy with that kind of physical profile um, and ability is going to, in my opinion, fit out to being a guy that can fit into being a, a zero-tech. Um, I don't know if he's going to be a dominant at, but I think he can hold up over there. Why do I, JSN might already be the best slot wide receiver in the game. We need to temper expectations with stats, though. The top wide, The top three... Wide receiver only had about 750 yards in 2022. JSN might have a fantastic year, but only 700 yards. Himothy. He is Himothy, man. And yeah, good point. There are only going to be so many touches. Why do I, on top of being slots, don't always get a lot of catches? Um, I will say there were some top three wide receivers that, you know, you had no Cooper Cup last year, so he's out half the year. Justin Jefferson does basically most of his stuff in the slot. So it, even the guys that do, do stuff on the outside, there's a lot of what they do on the inside too to, to combine to get their stats where they get them. Stefan Diggs is a guy they'll move into the slot a lot. Um, but you're right. With the amount of touches that are available in this office and the, the general use of the slot receiver, 700, 750 yards is probably a pretty accurate for where it's going to go. <clears throat> Grandizer says, I never got over Eugene Robinson overplaying with the Falcons. No, that was tough watching him over there. He seemed like he should have been probably a Seahawk for life. That was a tough one. 
Logan, I wonder what it was like for a players to look at Chancellor on the field. 6'3", 230 pounds, strong safety, built like a linebacker. Dude looked like a demon. He did. Even had that black visor, which made him even more tougher. JG, speaking of hard hits, the heater, David Hawthorne. He could lay some wood. D-boy, Brandon Day, ESPN had got DK at number eight, best wide receiver in the NFL. Do you agree? I'd probably be, be apt to put him in that spot. Yeah. You know, the amount of double coverages DK pulls with how good he is as a run blocker, um, with, with how he has steadily, I think, improved as a player over these last few years since entering the league. The fact that he's D-boy still 25 and, and ascending. Uh, I think that's fair. Not, not a lot of people necessarily have him at that spot, but I, I certainly would. I certainly would. Why do I, before we get into camp this year, let me say thank you for your streams during the slow time. You keep getting better at what you do, my friend. Love you, man. Oh, well, Brent, man, that, you're so kind to say that, brother. I, I really appreciate it. I'm having an, as great a, great a time as a fun a time as I've ever had doing these streams and going live, man. So, you know, I just love doing it. And uh, the goal and the hope is here, why do I, whether it's the play-by-play or the off-season coverage or scouting players or just doing the general show week in and week out, the goal is, you know, to get to a place of trying to get better at this, you know, trying to hopefully get more entertaining for you guys, more intelligent in my approach, smarter with the things that I can bring to the table. So it's good if that is uh, fitting to form in that way, because that is absolutely what I aspire to do. We don't want to ever just sit fixed. We always want to be improving and getting better in here. You know, that's the goal. Thank you, man. appreciate you. Uh, JT says one of our hardest hitters was also Freddie Young. Hey, there we go, Freddie. I got to go find some hits on Freddie. I need to add, that's what I'm waiting on to do. I got this hardest hits video and I got all the, the typical hits, the, the Earl hit on Gronk and all the other ones out there. I've got the cam on, uh, you know, the cam on the, on the uh, Vernon Davis, the two that he's done, right? I got a couple of those out there, but I want to get a few of the ones from the eighties before I release it. I want to make sure I'm capturing a good amount of those, of those hits that occurred. Cause I know there's some good ones on those defenses, including from your guy, Fred Young. Ethan says, hey, I'm back, folks. Stream still going strong, I see. Always going strong. You know it. Why do I? Yes, that, that is who I see in Witherspoon. Uh, Whitfield, um, Antoine Whitfield, lockdown coverage. What a playmaker and difference maker he is. I love it, man. And Antoine Winfield, if he has the career of Antoine Winfield, we're going to be very happy with taking Witherspoon with the fifth overall pick. Because uh, he played a lot of his career in Minnesota, and so not as many people are aware of Antoine Winfield. Of course, his kid's playing right now at Tampa Bay and balling out there at safety. But Winfield was a really, really good player. John says, easily got very ill in, I think, his fifth or sixth year. Too bad. Yeah, he took too many of, I think, the aspirin or something. There was a, a, His kidneys, I think, had the bad reaction. His body started to break down. I mean, he, he played so, John, so wildly a little bit. You know, he threw his body around. He, he was reckless abandoned, and it was on that AstroTurf. And it did seem like that wore him down really quicker because he played so, so violently and free. But uh, yeah, wore down fast. I'm, glad the, I'm still glad, John, that at least the Hall of Fame gave him his props and got him in there eventually because he was deserving. He was one of the best safeties in the 80s, um, a, a true difference maker on the football field. Logan says 215 for me. Got to get some rest. Love the streams. Go Hawk. You get some rest, Logan. Thank you for uh, all the great chat here on the stream um, and bringing the perspective as you did, man. I do appreciate you on that. We'll probably start to kind of put a bit of a button on this too, by the way, folks. We're getting down to, I think we've been in well over five hours or so here on the stream. So it's probably about a, about a good, good enough time to start to maybe put a bit of a button on this one. About 1115 here at night of my time. Jake Boss says, I keep checking the Seahawks news on if there's any update on the Witherspoon situation because sometimes they do things late, but nothing so far. 
Nothing yet. Nothing yet. I'll have to wait another uh, another day or two on this one, but I do think Jacob this gets it resolved sooner than later. I don't think it even goes a week. I mean, the way people are kind of freaking out right now, this thing goes a week and we're going to hit like DEFCON 4 with the Seahawks fandom at this point if that was to happen. So I hope it doesn't. Uh, D-Boy says, six hours in and you're looking like you could go six more. Keep up the good work, Brandon. Thank you, man. I was hyped for tonight. I wanted to talk about some of these, some of what we're seeing from John and it looks like the team's about to make some moves and whenever you're on the edge about to make the team a little bit better, you're going to get my attention. You're going to get me excited. Brandon Kessler, thanks for the long stream too. Made the 12 hour shift fly by. My pleasure, man. I love I love helping you guys out when you're at work. You can hear me in the background getting you through the day. It's how I always used to do it back in the day when I had the, the eight to five or two is I'd put on a podcast and it just gets you through. You're through the doldrums and you're not thinking about the work. You're just, you're just rolling, you know, so to speak. So my pleasure, man. I love doing this, you guys. You guys make this so much fun, so interesting and just, it's, it's six hours, seven hours. It's always hard to gauge. How long have I been going? Because it's just, I'm, I get lost, lost in the sauce and not the gardener sauce, not the Hansy Ramsey sauce, but the, uh, the chat sauce, you know? JT says, don't forget about the big hit Cortez Kennedy put on Co- uh, Christian Okoye. No, I got that one in there. I got that one in there, JT. I think I got that. I did definitely put that one in there. For sure. I got to get some of, I, I, I got the easily ones in there, but the Freddie Young one was a good point. I probably got to get a couple of those in there because I know he's got a couple. Um, we talked about Eugene Robinson. I think he's got a few in there that I don't, I don't want to miss. Um, Hamlin, I've got, the, I've got the Saints hit on Stallworth by Hamlin, of course, where he made Stallworth's face. You made, if you guys ever see the still of Stallworth's face after Hamlin hit it, where it's like, that's the way the face looks. Shows you how hard he hit him to make him make a face like that. JL says all-nighter. I'm not doing no all-nighter night. <laughs> maybe once we get to the season. People have asked if we'll do a 24-hour stream maybe when the season comes out. Maybe I'll do it at that point. I'll be, I got to build up for that though. Uh, Ethan says, I'm not worried about the Witherspoon thing, but it's like, come on, Witherspoon. You aren't special just because you were drafted number five. Not entitled or to anything. I get it, Ethan. I get it. I'm thinking a little bit of this is less Witherspoon driving it as much as it's probably his, uh, you know, it's probably his agent driving it. And these players are told by the representation, be it management, be it counting, be it their family, listen to your agent, trust your agent. Your agent's job is to do this. It's not your job to do it. And when you do give that over to the agent, you're, you're not going to come in there and go, man, it's, I missed camp today. What are you doing? You know, you're going to trust that he's doing his job. Um, but the fact that all the rest of the guys are signed to the NFL the fact that these deals are slotted to make what you're going to make. It's really about moving where the bonus money needs to be sitting on the deal. That all leads me to believe at the end of the day, then that this will get done very soon. Very, very quickly. News are an analysis of Arturo. Jacob Haas, I'm guessing he's on the other side of the continent because 1018 Alaska time, 1118 Washington time. Yeah, he's got to be over East Coast. He's rocking that East Coast time. JT says, good stuff this evening. Heading to bed. Sounds good, man. Appreciate you, JL. Till six in the morning. Till six in the morning. And what you gonna do? Got a pocket full of rubbers and my homeboys do too. Turn out the lights and close the door. But for what? We don't ever know. Uh, Jacob says, you uh, you said you got Discord. We do have Discord going, man. I'll post it in the chat here. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a deal. I'm getting my website put together here. So we'll have that live and I'll have the links through there too soon. Sites in route. We're almost ready to roll on that thing. I know I said that before, but we're getting real close. We're getting real close. 
Now I'm not much in the Discord, so I'm gonna I'm gonna load that up on that. I just don't have the time because I'm usually just running throughout the day. But I do put the Discord link is in the channel if you guys want to jump in there and chop it up, talk it up, hash it up, whatever it may be on that. Um, Sector Seven says bums keep breaking in and pulling the fire alarm. Can't stand the Central District in Seattle. Jesus, they don't. Sometimes they will do some weird stuff. It's like who's what are you doing? Who is this for? Who is this for? I'm mad at life. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Sorry, Spectre 7. It's the middle of the night, too. Now that's, that, that is a big-time dick move on their part. That's extra special dick, part, dick move at that point. Um, I want to give a shout-out here as we're finishing up here just a bit to the sponsor of the channel, and that would be the underdogfantasyfootball.com. They have been so kind as to reach out here to the Hawks Nest and show their support. They're going to sponsor us here for the next year on this channel. So I'd like to show them some love back. And what's nice about them here is when you use my code on underdogfantasy.com, N-E-S-T, they will match up to 100% of your first first deposit up to $100. So uh, it is a a weekly fantasy deal where you you create your league or you create your team every week. It's a new team every week. You don't have to start guys. You don't have to hold guys out. They they will determine who's the best starters based on the production you get from those teams. And you go head to head and you try to win some money. It's a, a really cool little thing that they got rolling over there in that respect. Um, there's a couple of other little deals. You can do baseball, obviously, in there. Basketball, every sport's in there. They've got a variety of different little kind of things you can do to set up um, in these contests to kind of win some money. So um, thank you to Underdog Fantasy for reaching out and, and uh, sponsoring the channel. And again, if you do use that code, you get the free $100 up to $100 deposit. And on top of it, you help support the channel. So it's a win, 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 win all the way down the line. Also helps to make the game and uh, make the, the week of football a little more interesting when you got a little bit of money riding on it, doesn't it? Just a little bit. I'll be also uh, showing you guys some of my bets as we get a little closer to the season and what I'm trying to lay my mind on, see if I can uh, maybe guide some folks in the right way as we, uh, as we head out to the season. But thank you to Underdog Fantasy. For all of that support, it's much appreciated. Uh, do, 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 do. Jacob, I like the Pokemon reference when I joined. <laughs> Thanks for joining the Discord, folks. Uh, I'm on Discord as well. My designation, Super Bat, named after two of my favorite comic book characters, Superman and Batman. That's good. Those are good uh, characters, man. It's a cool name. I like it. Vector, along with smashing my car windows, I drive a beat-up, dirty 09 Focus. Leave my windows alone. I don't have jack for you. I've heard some people in Seattle are like opening up their windows and keeping them open just into anticipation because they've had it broken so often. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's tough. This is tough, man. When you got that point, you can't park anywhere else. You know, you got to leave it out there. And uh, it would be great if Seattle could eventually start to kind of like maybe clamp down on this a little bit. Even the Discord is lively. It gets lively in there. I was got to warn folks. It'll get it'll get popping in there, both good and bad. Jacob says, I do have uh, the new Battlefield, by the way. I've, uh, I definitely have and own the game. I haven't been back and playing with it. I bought it when it first came out. And of course, it was a crap show when it first came out because it was so buggy and screwed up. But I've heard it's better now. I've heard it's worth playing. It might be time to try to go over there and check it out again at some point here. Don Don Power Ranger, Hawks Nest. Well, I must go now. Thank you, Brandon and all. Till we meet next. Remember, no matter which side you're on, we're all human beings. I love you all. Go Seahawks. Well, that is beautifully put by Don. Absolutely so. Uh, 
Sector 7 did that once and someone slept in my car overnight. It's insane. Oh, even that didn't work for you, huh? Yeah. I, I, it's, they're expecting the, the, everyone just to de be dealing with this and they have no solutions in order to fix it, which is silly to me. It feels like you can find a fix for this if you just determine that you, it's in the interest of the city to do so. Um, and it's a problem that's not going away. It's only going to get worse the more that they just basically quasi-ignore it. Um, we deal with a little bit of this stuff over on our side in Spokane, but luckily it's all designated just right around the downtown section. So if you're out in the valley like I am, it's no problem. But I feel it for you out there, man. You know, I'm considering at times of thinking about coming back to the west side. And I'll tell you one of the big things about not doing it is a little bit of that problem and issue that exists over there. It's a big dissuader. Ran the cut says, yeah, Battlefield's fun now. They always seem to do that. It is a little bit of their modus operandi. They like to, they like to uh, release it in basically beta mode. Um, and it had potential when I first played, but it was so wonky and broken at the time. It was like, we just put it down. But uh, I've been getting through, I've been rocking the Diablo pretty hard, but it's going to, definitely Diablo is going to wear me out at some point here and probably have to double back around to Battlefield because there's not a lot of other options at this point. Ethan got a, finally got a Brando. I got a PS5. There we go, Ethan. You made the right choice. Yeah, right choice. I got a free with my PlayStation Plus. Okay, there we go, Jacob. Well, if I jump on, maybe I'll hit you up, man. I think it's uh, I think it's cross-platform on the Battlefield. So if I do, I'll let you guys know my gamer tag. Well, it's actually, it's, I don't know what it is on Battlefield. I might've changed the name on the Battlefield tag. So I got to see what, which one that is. This is different of your Xbox tag. Jason says, when it, comes to, when it comes to the Mariners, I only look at the box score. That's it until things change. It has gotten bad. I was, I was uh, moaning about it earlier too, Jason. It's, it's gotten bad. And uh, it, maybe it makes me a fair weather fan that I don't want to sit through all these lows for these long lows and that I'm supposed to sit there and just, you know, eat my porridge and like it, so to speak, eat my stale porridge and like it. But um, they need to change some things. And this needs a philosophy change. This needs an understanding of what kind of stadium you are, you're in. This needs to be an understanding of why things have run afoul for the last two decades. And, it, and if it, is there something that's run afoul of the last two decades that's been consistent? Yes, is the answer to that. So the team needs to start making some more recognition here and doing it by goodwill, even just goodwill gestures of the fan base. You can't sign Oshoe Atani. He wants to go to LA. He wants to go to San Francisco. He wants to go to New York. Fine. But it's not because you haven't put the biggest contractual offer out there for him. Let him then go make that choice and let you have shown your fan base that you've made the offer for a guy who's an absolute, complete, natural fit for this team, a complete, natural fit for the needs of this team. And you got the money to do it. So hopefully they make that swing, Jason. They do. I'll still be doing a couple streams at some point with the Mariners throughout this season at some point. So I ain't going to completely not do anything on that other channel. But they, you're right. Things got to change. It's gotten bad. It's gotten old. It's gotten stale. Jacob says, I'm more of Call of Duty. I like me some Call of Duty too, man. I'm not anti-Call of Duty either. That one just gets a little re repetitive. You get a little bit like, okay, I've done everything. Vector 7 playing Starfield when it comes around. Yeah, I'll check it out. Obviously, you know, you get your No Man's Sky vibe off of Starfield a little bit. And, you know, some of these video games, it's all about a little bit the hype. They'll tell you of everything it's going to be and then it releases out and it's far, far short of what they told you it was going to be. So I'm going to be more, you know, not skeptical lie, but you got to kind of prove it to me a little bit with some of these games. I'm not just going to buy in that it's going to be great because you, you've hyped it through the moon, but the potential from Starfield, the way that they're attacking it, 
how they're looking to kind of expand things from a gaming standpoint in a way that hasn't been done with that particular game with their with their their whole pro their whole process. I, I'm very 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 interested in that one. Uh, Kelly says this wouldn't be Diggs's contract. This wouldn't be Diggs's contract to pay Witherspoon bonus, or could it be? No, not, uh, Kelly, because what's happening here is the the Seahawks want to actually, if they entered in these Witherspoon negotiations, they wanted to have it signed to where the guaranteed bonus money hits kind of over the course of the contract. So what that would actually mean for them is that the first year of the contract would be higher than what Witherspoon is wanting by what he's driving for. Because if Witherspoon's wanting guaranteed and bonuses here on the front end of the deal, then that means that that's more of the bonus money that now feeds over the whole portion of the contract. And that would mean then that the first year cap hit would actually be lowered if the Seahawks took the Witherspoon tact on this of just basically bonusing out all the money on the front end. So no, it's not. I think that it means there's Kelly, another move to be made on top of this at that point, I would say. Uh, Jacob Oz, do I play on PC? Asked Brandon. Uh, does Jacob? I don't play on PC. I can't. I'm a controller guy. But most of these games, what's nice, Jacob, are all cross-platform. So you can play one to the other and it's no, it's no problem anymore. You know, you can pick everything up. But uh, I could never make the transition to PC. The hands on the side and it just never felt natural to me. <laughs> Rand says, oh man, Starfield. I've already pre-ordered. They have me hooked. Hey, they've done a good job of selling the game. And, and the promise that it foretells um i can understand somebody sign up early on that there's been a lot of bad video games in recent years I've, I've considered this to be the dark ages of video games this last six year seven year period uh where it's just the video game industry stilted you've seen um mystery boxes and basically you know like gambling being brought into video games uh you got mobile games and all these things have really wrecked a little bit of the traditional sense of it which sucks but uh i i'm I'm open on Starfield being really good. It's one of the one of those games out there that I don't have a lot of games I got a lot of hope for moving into the future. Don't have much hope for Madden at all. I don't have a lot of faith or even hope for this college football game that'll go out next year. I think they're going to do the mutt mode in that, just like they did the mutt mode in in Madden, which ruined that. So uh, to have at least one game you can look forward to is pretty cool, and hopefully it's good. Ethan says, uh, but Brando M's won two series in a row, so we're we're back, right? Well, they could get hot still, and there's still a lot of the year to go. You know, I, I don't think that we're completely far out of this wild car chase. You are still within theoretical striking distance, but they have been just so, as DePoto said a couple of days ago, they have been so thoroughly average. Two steps forward, two steps back. Two steps forward, two steps back. I mean, it's been in every single turn that it's been that way. Um, could it come together at this point? It could, but... Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, this year is probably not it. And especially with the Kelnick injury now, um, you got Marlowe out there instead, and it's that's that's a step backwards at that point. Are they going to be able to sustain at that point? I don't know. Uh, Seahawks says, let go. The live's still going. We still going, man. Thank you for subbing up to the channel, brother. Appreciate you, Seahawks, for joining. Channel is a uh, sub. Jacob says, I've tried playing Black Ops 2 Zombies on PC, and boy, do I suck. I just, it's hard. If you don't have that feel for the fingers and stuff, and you're a controller guy, it's its like trying to speak in a different language, only knowing like three of the words. Ethan says, I'm very concerned with Starfield. Honestly, not a big fan of Bethesda. I just feel it's too good to be true. 1,000 planets. Okay. How many of those planets are actually filled and populated? I think it's a valid excuse, and we have No Man's Sky as a as a 
background to this because No Man's Sky went through the same thing of hype with everybody getting through the moon. Endless, it's an endless universe, self-propagating universe, you know, all that stuff that we heard with it. And this stuff starts to sound kind of similar and that didn't deliver. And so you go, well, how is this going to deliver then? So uh, they're saying the right things, but I think everybody that's skeptical of modern video games, whether they're hyped to the moon or not, is right to do so because video games has become a shell game. You know, how many video games show you the cutscenes where they don't even show you the gameplay and they'll hype you up with the cutscenes and you never actually get to the to the actual video game stuff and they get a lot of the pre-orders just off of that. It's it's a it's kind of a dirty game. Dirty, dirty game. See, Ox, it's eleven thirty over here. A lot of Seahawk fans in Cali. You better believe there is. Can't can't blame those Seattleites for trying to get down there and warm up a little bit. Sector seven, this is absolutely the dark age of video games. It's been horrific. I long missed the golden age of AAA, original modern warfare series from COD, Battlefield, Bad Company 3 and 4, etc. It, it's, I feel really bad for the younger generation as much as anything Sector 7 because you and I got to go through our years and video games were always pushing forward. You went from Mario Brothers to Super Mario Brothers. You know, you always were going to something that was a next level up, that was a next iteration, that was a next um, a push up that, that, that felt like you were, you were at the, at the cutting edge of technology on as far as video games were. Didn't matter whether you had the NES or the Super NES, or we got to the Playstations and all of those iterations to all, with, all the way to the Xbox. Everything was stepping forward. Everything was improving. Everything was getting better. The games were getting more dynamic. The graphics were getting better. But yeah, the last seven years, it has come to a complete stop in that respect of things. And it's disappointing because I still do like playing video games, but it, it has been a dark age. It has been, and it's so wild to see because I would have thought by this point we'd all be in full-on VR mode, having our brains blown away, never leaving the house, right? Something out of that movie like Wally, we're all just sitting on chairs getting fat because it's just so engrossing. But that's not been the case. Leon Thatch, bunch of Seahawk fans over here in Phoenix too. They must be everywhere. Well, they go where it's warm. If you're going to go where it's warm, you're not going east, you're going to go west. I agree. I was in Arizona for a year. There was a lot of Hawk fans down there. That was even in the early 2000s. So, uh, you know, lower California, Southern California, Arizona, nobody's born there. Everybody moves to those places. Everybody's like, I just want sun. Give me sun. But it's good to see we're worldwide. I'll tell you that. Uh, ST Manager 420, I'm jazzed for the first Armored Core since PS3 coming next month. First Armored Core, I'll have to check it out. I hadn't heard of that one, man. Sounds cool. Thanks for, I got to check, Armored Core, I got to check this out. I hadn't heard of this one. This one slipped between my cracks. Ethan, uh, it would be such a Mariners thing if the Kelnick injury is what fires them up and they turn it on to make a playoff push. Am I right? It would be a very Mariners thing, yeah, for them to suddenly now get hot with Kelnick's injury. 100% it would. Um, and then look, they, the season ain't over. They've, it's been what it's been, but it still is where you are above 500. There is a wild card chase to be had. Uh, nothing, it is still, we haven't gotten to August, which means we still have well over two months of baseball left. So they could still make something happen. Say nothing of even if they do happen to try to make some kind of tread deadline deal. If it's not some major swing, at least to moderately improve the team somewhere. Uh, but um, yeah, we finally got Colton Wong swinging a little bit of a bat now, right? There's a couple guys who are starting to kind of come along a little bit, which is good to see. But you're not, you're not wrong about that. It'd be a very Mariner thing. John Stillwell coming in with one more for the road, as he says, with a big $20 donation. And I want to give John a hand here. Uh, one of the tremendous, tremendous contributors here to the Hawks Nest and the memberships and the donations and all of the support you've brought to the channel. 
throughout this whole last couple of years, John, um, and especially this off season when it was direly in need as we started to slow down on things and stuff like that. So man, um, thank you so much for all your support, not tonight, just throughout all the time here on this channel and what, you know, John in a lot of ways helps a lot of this keep going in certain respects to where I can really laser on on this along with the Megans and Randalls and Garth Knights and all the folks in between who, you know, beyond that who've donated, you guys help to keep this thing something that I can do full time. Um, and as I say, in a way, John, that's very unique for somebody that's only at 12,600 subscribers. You know, I think a lot of people have to wait till they're at 30, 40, 50,000 subscribers to get the kind of uh, love back that I get in the way I do. And uh, thank you so much for letting me be able to do this the way I've been able to do this, John, with these, this kind of support, man. This is what opens this door up in the way that it does. And it really is appreciated. I, I, I do really treasure it. Jacob Star Wars Battlefront 2, the 2005 one. Oh, you're going way back on that. I'll tell you, you know, we're in a dead period. We got to start going back 15 years for the good video games. Uh, Stanger, pronounced Stanger. Sorry, Stanger. I'll try to remember that, man. Ace Combat. Seahawks, what do, you, do you think the Chiefs would trade Chris Jones to Seattle? I think that they would only trade Chris Jones if they just still feel like the numbers are too far apart and there's not common ground. And he's held out so many days at this point that... It, it just kind of gets past the point of no return a little bit at one point or another in these kind of negotiations. And Jones seems pretty, uh, not maybe not mad, but seems pretty disappointed with where things have landed in this. And um, so it could, it could metastasize in this way, um, but it's hard to predict that it's going to happen that way, Seahawks, because there is no real indication right now that they would be willing to move him. I've tried to do a little bit of math and saying, you've been in this situation with Tyreek Hill, you moved him, you were then this last off season in this situation with Orlando Brown, where they want to be paid this huge high top of the market rate. You don't want to do that. They let Orlando Brown go. So there's part of me that wonders if not, they would maybe look to do the same thing here with, with Chris Jones and say, we're, we don't, we're a team led by this quarterback. We're led by the coach, Andy Reed. We're led by our offense. We can't play. A, we can't pay a player on defense, $30 million. Who's going to be 29 heading into 30 years of age. So it, it could go down, but it's hard to predict um, because they've not getting, given any indication that they're willing to do it. Leon Thatch says what Julio has done the past few games has been impressive. It has been. And certainly one thing that's been missing from the Seahawks, the, Seahawks, the Mariners offense over this year has been that you haven't had that, those times of a month and a half run, two month run where Julio's kind of carrying the offense like he did last year. When he got hot after that first month of the season, that, that's what really allowed you to get hot. And he was, he was hitting home runs. It seemed like every other game there for a while through the, the part of it seemed like June and July. And now he is definitely heating up at his hottest that he's been throughout the whole year. And he's been kind of slowly getting himself back to right throughout this year. Never really bad, bad, but just getting that, getting that average up from 220 to 230 to up to 240, up to 250, up to 250. So he's, and now the power is starting to come along with it. He's hitting the opposite way with some, some real um, strength and power. So I, I love what I'm seeing from Julio in that respect of things. And uh, he's going to be a star on into the future. There's no questions for me with Julio and them giving him that contract. I think it was smart money spent. Um, and he hasn't even been the problem this year necessarily in that respect. It's been more of really the rest of the lineup as much as anything. Um, the strikeouts haven't helped, but Julio will be fine in the long term. And John Stillwell is my hero too, man. My hero and your hero in that space. Stanger says Armored Core. <clears throat> Stanger uh, says Armored Core is a build-your-own giant fighting robot game. Think Mech Warrior, but way more customization. Ooh, okay. I'd be for that. There was one that came out a couple of years ago that was a Mech game on Xbox. They made two different iterations of it. It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. 
So if it's something like along like that a little bit, I sign me up. Jacob says it's the problem of games being so polished and graphical now. So there's definitely an issue to it. No one's also thinking really outside the box, Jacob. You know, everybody's just sort of washrooms repeating ideas everybody else has come up with. Nobody's trying to be cutting edge or pushing the ball forward. Rand says, yeah, it was almost too much as a kid to play. Can't wait. I hope it's good. Hopefully so. Even once Julio develops the ability to truly hit in clutch situations like bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, and things like that, he'll be able to go over the top and be a true superstar. Agreed. And I expect him to get there. Let's not forget, too, the kid's 22 years old. So you definitely want to give him that time to kind of develop into that player he will really fully become. But uh, I agree. He's going to get there. News and analysis with Arturo. Hella Seahawks fans in Alaska. Ah, I love that's what I love about us. We got such a big region. We got the by far the biggest region of any football fan base in the country. We go from the bottom half of, of, of Oregon all the way out to the western side of Montana, including in Idaho. You get a little bit of Hawaii in there, obviously all of Washington. Um, northern half of Idaho too, with the Coeur d'Alene area. Then you get a little bit of Vancouver, then you get all the way up to Alaska. We got an insane, insane coverage area. Spectre says that little bitch you had about trading Witherspoon for Chris Jones straight up earlier had me spiced. Crazy scenario. That would be a crazy scenario to put to pull if they try to do something like that. And uh, I've never seen anything like it. I didn't present it, by the way, Spectre. Somebody asked me about it, so I was I was more asked about it. But um, it's interesting. Um, you know, it's interesting. That's going to be about the cost for him if you're going to try to go swing a move for Chris Jones. And. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's an uh, interesting thought for somebody brought up on that. Big countries is Ty, Ty France has fallen off a cliff, sadly. Yeah. And it's true. It's weird with him, too. It's just it, so often you watch him in recent years and everything that came off of his bat was a line drive or a hard hit. And now the strikeouts have come up and his ability to, to really land solid contact consistently like he used to. Um, even if he wasn't getting it through the holes, you knew it was a matter of time before. And now you just don't kind of see that in his game, which is tough. Spaces again, thanks to the membership. Appreciate you, Space. Appreciate John as well. Space, thanks for, you've donated out memberships before as well. We have Mr. Kane doing. Thank you for all that. Very, very kind of you. And, and again, if you remember, we'll be on tomorrow at five o'clock Pacific Standard Time doing a show, no doubt about it. So maybe we'll just be talking about the Witherspoon thing or, or camp, but uh, we will be on and going live for sure. Titanfall games. That was what it was. I love the Titanfall games. That Mech Warrior game stuff was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Alaska's a really cool state. It is. I, someday I'm going to get up there and check it out. Making back in the house. Hope your MIRI went okay. You only panicked once in the tube. Good to hear. Good to hear results tomorrow. Hopefully everything's safe and sound and up, up on the level as it should be. So you do take care of yourself out there, Megan. Give me a little worried with MRI machines. You know what I mean? I'm a little worried. All right. Well, I think we are a good, when we start this at five, we're almost seven hours deep here into the channel show. I think we've put in the work and the time today. I think it's probably as good enough for any time here to call this a, call this a show on this one. So I will be back Thursday tomorrow, five o'clock Pacific Standard Time. We'll be uh, here on this channel. And then folks, by the way, do take note, we will be on Bleacher Report this Friday, 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. I will, I will be sending a link through the community post on that. So I'll keep you guys appraised and abridged of uh, everything that's going on with that and how, where it is and how you guys can watch with that. But it uh, should be fun to be back over in the Bleacher Report. And then uh, this Sunday, we'll be back here as well. So we got a lot lined up. If there's any breaking news, if there's a Chris Jones deal, if there's a trade that John Schneider has made, 
I'll go live. We'll be talking about it. So you guys can trust in that. I do appreciate you. Thank you as well to the sponsor, underdogfantasy.com. If you want to go to Underdog Fantasy, have your first up to $100 deposit matched. Use my code NEST. Get that matched $100. Get an extra $100 bill in your back pocket. Get yourself a little support of the Hawks Nest channel on the back end of it. Win, 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 win. But uh, thank you to Underdog for for, um, supporting the channel with the sponsorship. I'm really psyched. Uh, to be doing some really great work with them this year. Uh, Ethan, it's been great talking to you, Seahawks Space. Appreciate you guys. New, news and our news analysis, Arturo, you too ran the cut. Uh, Stanger, I can't wait for Armored Core, man. I'm going to go look it up on YouTube now and check out a video and see what it's about. So appreciate you dropping that note. Like I said, we're in, a, we're, in, we're in the desert, us video game players right now. We're walking through a desert. We haven't had any water in seven years. And you give me now this drop of a nice, beautiful game. I'm going to sever, sever every little bit of that drop, you know? So I, I love the suggestion. If you guys have any games you ever hear on that, let me know on it because I'm always looking for the, the next up-and-comers or what's going to be next. You know, been a lot of dead. A lot of dead. Uh, well, I appreciate you guys. Hit that like button if you could on the way out the door uh, as that does help things out tremendously. And uh, we will be back tomorrow and then we'll be back on Friday and we'll be back on Sunday. We're going to be rolling through this whole season 24-7. Get ready for a lot of me on this channel because we're going to be pushing out a lot of content this year, even way more than last year. Strap on in. I hope you guys are ready. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. Your support is unbelievable. And uh, your guys' positive energy, your encouragement, the way you guys get me thinking in this chat is second to none. I really want to just say you guys are, uh, I, I know I probably say it a million times and you guys may get tired of hearing it, but it is so unusual. It's something that just always puts me in a bit of awe that every show, every time we do this, it's always readily present. You guys are always in. We always know what time it is. Uh, thank you guys so much for for the way you guys are and how you, how you are in this in every way, shape, and form. I couldn't ask. I couldn't ask more for you guys ever. I would never ask for more for you guys. You guys are you go be above and beyond already as it is. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Be back here tomorrow. Be back here on Sunday. Be back on Friday on the Bleacher Report. But until that time, I hope you're not forgetting. I hope you're not unaware of the fact that this team's about to potentially do some very great things this upcoming season. And I hope you got your eye on the Super Bowl. I hope you're dreaming big. I like my even-keeled Seahawks fan that can say we need to be patient, trust the process. We're going through this. The flower is not blooming yet. It's just it's just crusted over the top of the, the dirt. Give it some more time. I'm with you guys on that, but I'm an impatient man. And I see an NFC that is ripe for the taking. I see an NFC West that is ripe for the taking. We can go make a move to take this team over the top. If we can get ourselves a little bit closer to getting to that certain contender status, sign me on up. So before we be back a couple days, I hope you don't forget. I hope you got that at the forefront of your mind. I hope you're hoping this general manager, John Schneider, is going to do something crazy and wicked and awesome and make this team just a little bit better, a little bit closer to reaching that mark. My name is Brandon Kane. This is the Hawks Nest. Don't you ever forget. Ever forget. Go Hawks!